Ergo, if you're listening to this podcast, understandably, you may have questions that you would not have had an understanding to when you first God watched damn, the original film. I'm glad you didn't film. write that fucking scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, hello, everyone. This is merely the sixth iteration of the Waffle Press Retrospectives. <laughs> hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Retrospectives. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. I am the architect of this program. Make me the oracle. Yes. <laughs> I'm not good at predicting things. Yes, but but consider this. Um this is a strange film. That's my co-host Macaringo. Uh <laughs> All right. Matrix sequels. We're doing them both at the same time. Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions, both directed by Lana and Lily Wachowski. Uh, and written. seemed like a good idea at the time to do them both together. It did, and I, you know what? I completely stand by this decision because for this rewatch, I rewatched them both back to back. That is how I spent my Sunday afternoon, or was it Saturday? Do you remember? I don't even fucking remember. I don't know, but you were texting me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, Diego's adamant of like, I'm not gonna let you fucking know what I think of these movies until the day we record, and then of course he texts me. <laughs> yeah, I texted him immediately after. Because <laughs> something happened, and I'll get into that. I'll get into that. Because yeah, you still like technically don't know what I think about the films. Um, I I can't. I, I'm sure people will be shocked when they find out what you think of the Matrix sequels. <laughs> I I've been vocally open about being pro Matrix sequels. Yeah, yeah. I I've not. I've not. The guy who likes everything likes the Matrix sequels. Well, hey, hey. <laughs> I didn't like, uh, fucking, you know what? See, you can't think know. of one. Yeah. You, you know, can't think of one. I, I didn't like V for Vendetta. Yeah, that's a weird movie. It is. It, if the Wachowskis had directed it themselves, like, all the way through and not just partly <laughs> the way through, I think we'd be looking at another all-timer. Even weirder, isn't that a movie that, like, I have not seen it in forever, and I know it deviates from the comic a lot, um, but, uh... Doesn't like that like doesn't the fascist government kind of take over by making a fake disease and then handing out the vaccines? I think so. Isn't that a thing? But also like that's a weird thing where like I think the conspiracy ends up not being true or something. Like that's so it's a weird movie. Mm-hmm. I have not seen You know what I put it on like 2 years ago and uh I was like this is weird and then I got bored. <laughs> It, so. it, it is kind of boring. Uh, Hugo Weaving obviously fucking kills Hugo it. Hugo Weaving fucking rules yeah. in that. Yeah. And he also kills it in fun. this film, returning as Agent Smith. How does he return, Matt? Um, he's, he's just there. He's, um, he's unplugged, man. Uh, Neo frees him. But how? Freedom. How? How does he free him? Matrix. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. Matt, what do you think about the Matrix Reloaded? Oh, <laughs> uh, these movies are good. Both of them. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna say, uh, I like, I was, I was trying to say that I was, I thought it'd be a good idea to do these two together because I will say I think the the if there is a flaw to be found in the Matrix, <laughs> it's uh, that they kind of don't work separated. At least that's maybe what I thought the time before we recorded this um and then i took eight pages of notes <laughs> on these movies 
Um, so maybe this, this episode might go a little long. Um, but hey, let's talk about, before we talk about the movies themselves, uh, you already talked about your history uh, with these, because you watched all of them together when you were younger. Yep. And what was that like? Um, like we talked about the first one, but like, how does how did the sequels play? At a at a certain point, I was like, oh yeah, talking, talking, talking. Um, like you know, at at a certain age, you're not really like, you're not fully invested in like movies as an art form. Mm-hmm. So the talking stuff, I was like, yeah, you know, like other. It didn't feel like it had changed my world at the time. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, and but you are you are watching them on the same night, correct? Yeah, yeah, the same afternoon. Okay, and yeah, it did it did bleed over into the night. Okay, uh, yeah, I would assume. Yeah, yeah, and I thought the action was awesome, and then that was kind mm-hmm. of like it. Uh, and then I like as I got older, I found out people didn't like like the third mm-hmm. one especially, and I was like, I don't know, the, the fucking robots are so cool, <laughs> like. <laughs> he he believes that's why he like it made sense to me you know mm-hmm. that that last one always made sense to me so know that going into this um i could i could definitely see problems with reloaded at even at that age because i was like yeah i wasn't mm-hmm. super into it and as i got older i was like was it just because it wasn't like because that that movie has a lot of action but i find even now that it may not meld the action and visual storytelling so much with the exposition always. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. Um, uh. <laughs> which is also maybe kind of the point, but it still is kind of a roadblock for me mm-hmm. at times. And I, I promise I'll get into all that. But it, uh, yeah, I always liked the sequels mostly. And then I kind of went through that phase. Where I was like, oh, I guess they are bad. Mm-hmm. And then I like, quickly snap back to no 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 Matrix Revolutions is the shit. This has some of the coolest shit you'll ever see in a film. But we'll mm-hmm. get there. How about okay, you? Never, never mind that shit. Um, my <laughs> relationship. Uh, so like I said, I watched these on on DVD when I was very young, and so I was I basically was able to get hyped for the Matrix sequels. Matrix Reloaded ends up being the first R-rated film I see in theaters. Good call, Dad. We talked about a group orgy scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'll say, like, I had, like, I saw that movie, really enjoyed it, um, liked it, and I, like, got it enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to say I got the big ideas that were going on, but I got enough of the functu- functional ideas that I thought it was interesting, right? Mm-hmm. For what you are as a kid at that age. I do remember, though, uh, all right, so Matrix Revolutions is coming out. It's like a November release. The school year has started by that point. A fucking friend of mine fucking lies to me on the playground the day I'm going to go see it, saying that Morpheus dies in the movie. (laughs) I never got over that shit, (laughs) you motherfucker. Um, I'm trying to remember if... I knew going into it that there was kind of like some negative buzz around the third one at least. Um, But I will say I do remember going into the third one and being a little underwhelmed. I'm 10 years old at the time, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, I didn't come out like, fuck this movie, but I did come out kind of like, 
eh, like not <laughs> as excited as I was um, with Reloaded. And then I do remember the vibe coming out of the theater, like uh, people not being happy. No. <laughs> um, and I do remember people like in the hallway outside the theater, like arguing, like, what the fuck was that ending about? Uh, and then, like, you know, for years, I kind of just watched them every now and then. But, like, the third one was definitely the one I watched the least. Like, I don't think... There was a long time where I think I kind of only would watch parts of Revolutions. Like, maybe, like, The Last Fight and the, uh... The, uh, Big Battle for Zion. But not the rest of the movie, for whatever reason. And then, yeah, I think I, too, I went through a phase where I was kind of, like, I had got wind of, like, what the popular opinion was on them, and then people were like, do you realize these characters are boring? And I was like, wow, that's so right, internet person. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, we all, we all have to spend our time in that weird train station. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, hey, guess what I did, uh, in between, uh, our last episode and this episode. Did you watch the Nostalgia Critic episode on this? Oh, fuck no. Okay, I was like, don't do that to yourself. You're better than <laughs> you that. You know what? I, I, I posted that on Twitter. I went to... I was going to make a joke post <laughs> where I was going to take screenshots from his review. Where, you know, he's dressed up like fucking whoever. <laughs> mm. He puts sunglasses. He did the bare minimum <laughs> to look like he was in the Matrix. And then just post screenshots and be like, wow, the Wachowski sisters are geniuses. Oh. You know, God. like that classic joke. His parody looks so bad <laughs> that you wouldn't get it was a Matrix parody unless I told you. <laughs> it just looks like fucking people with sunglasses standing around in a warehouse. Because <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> um, no, what I did was I made a timeline uh, between uh, the release of the first Matrix and the release of the Matrix sequels, all the shifts in culture that happened. Because I think that's very important for what we're about to discuss. Okay. Um, I, I should say, um, I kind of only made half the list because I got distracted by other things and then never bothered to finish it. Well, the big one is 9-11. Of course, but we, we will get to that. <laughs> Much like the United States got to. No. <laughs> uh, we will get to it. Um, so March... 31st, 1999, Matrix is released. Boom. New hotness. April 20th, the Columbine High School Massacre. <laughs> Which we discussed on our last episode. Um, those kids, those fucking dorks that shot up through school, they wore trench coats. Everyone thought they were part of a group called the Trenchcoat Mafia. This wasn't true. But a reminder that at the time, trench coats were still very dangerous. Um... Something that I couldn't date exactly, but I listed under Columbine because it is important. Um, uh, interactive flash game called Pico's School, which is kind of a dark parody of the Columbine High School Massacre, was uploaded to Newgrounds.com. Oh my god, now, now Newgrounds. We, we, spring... We've discussed Newgrounds, and this is important. This is officially kind of the beginning of the Newgrounds people of our generation kind of know, right? Mm -hmm. And other websites kind of pop up between then and I believe like 2001 we get E-Bombs World, Something Awful, You're the Man Now Dog, College Humor. 
and these are important because this is all you got to remember kids the pre-youtube internet like where you had to kind of go looking for things <laughs> um all these websites became i would say for between now and the matrix sequels release a good fourth of the content were parodies of the matrix <laughs> Am I wrong? No, no. It even pops I up mean, in Jimmy Neutron. It's yeah, but I'm talking about specifically like that. Like that's you know a cartoon making it. Like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But it it is everywhere. These are people with a lot of free time making their own Matrix parodies. <laughs> um, because that's how much this hit the culture. A bunch of kids hyped up on fucking Mel Brooks movies trying to do their Mel Brooks Matrix before Mel Brooks can. <laughs> and thank God Mel Brooks never tried, right? <laughs> Um, I can think of, can you think of any from that era? Um, no, but I remember like nothing specifically, that, but it, it was like embedded into the internet culture. I remember people would just redub the movies in like flash a lot. I remember that. I remember there being a lot of parodies like that. Um, where it was, uh, like fan translations kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> almost. <laughs> um, I remember, there, for, there was a lot of, like, Mario ones, which I guess was also the thing at the time. Like, pixel art was big. Um, so there was a lot of, like, oh, Mario's going to fly around like Neo from the Matrix now. <laughs> so I think that's very important. Um, May 19th, 1999, Star Wars Episode One is released. Um, I don't know if you are aware of this, Diego. But the response to episode one was very divisive. <laughs> yes. And I think I think that more than anything kind of cements Matrix as the new thing, right? Like all the people that were disappointed with episode one jump ship to the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, I will find very specific examples of that coming up. Um, also in May of that year, uh, New X-Men by Grant Morrison starts getting published. And have you read New X-Men? No. Uh, Grant Morrison's run. Have you at least seen it? No. Um, it's That is, the you know, the new outfit design of the characters, which is very Matrix-inspired um, and will influence the look of the soon-to-be-released X-Men films. Uh-huh. This X-Men film is released in the year 2000, and that is definitely, you know, they're in, like, leather, you know, outfits, basically. Um, do you just making a note of it do you have grant morrison down as a topic later as well um i actually don't okay um, well I, I, I probably should have yeah but... um well grant morrison writer of uh oh fuck what is the name of that thing? i had it i just had it i'm sorry i lost it right there anyways I he wrote say... a comic that apparently was a huge influence on the matrix that has neither been confirmed nor denied but he noted some very similar stuff and was like yeah i'm not like offended by it i just you know Mm -hmm. hey it might be uh i you know i don't know as much of uh morrison's earlier work so um the invisibles is what it's called Oh, the invisibles yeah you know what yeah that makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. um you know what he wrote uh they wrote a lot about it in their book uh super gods okay and I was gonna pull out my copy again. Like, I had all these plans, like I always do, and then just life fucking gets in the way. <laughs> so, um, alright. July 13th, 1999. The first 
Tom era of Toonami begins. Now, this is the first time to not like look. There's there was anime on TV before then, but this is kind of kicking the doors open to anime reaching a wider audience, right? Mm-hmm. You got Dragon Ball Z, you got Gundam, you got Sailor Moon. Now that's all being broadcast to children across America, and this is only you know six months after the Matrix. You know, now this niche thing is now going to become this very popular thing among children. Um, December 10th, a very important event, uh, Deuce Bigelow Male Gigolo <laughs> is released and has the first, from what I can find in my research, the first recognized theatrical parody of The Matrix. There's a fight that kind of does the, the Trinity thing <laughs> in it. Um so there's that. <laughs> and I was going to make a list of all the parodies. I decided not to do that because literally there was like a hundred between 1999 and 2003. <laughs> so I'm going to spare you from that. But I, I am going to bring up movies that you can kind of see as adjacent or parodies that were very specific and could show just the breadth of The Matrix, right? All right, we're getting into the year 2000. Now, what important cultural movie came out in January 2000? Unbreakable. That's right, The Boondock Saints. <laughs> um, a movie which has a lot of gunfights set the techno music. Which was discussed on the early days of this podcast with our mutual friend Shannon Sturchy. And oh, yes. I gotta say, I stand by every word of that. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure she does too. You know, yeah, like, we've evolved on a lot of opinions in the history of this podcast, not Boondock Saints. Yeah. <laughs> um, October 22nd, uh, 2000, Charlie's Angels is released, which I only bring up because I just rewatched it, and man, does it have, like, terrible wire work fighting that is clearly, like, trying to be, like, this. the Matrix has established this as the new... Uh, style. It's just, these are, I think, two prime examples of, like, how the coolest shit ever that was established in the first Matrix is already getting watered down by shitty imitators. Mm -hmm. And I think gunfights set the techno music and terrible wirework fighting are, like, two of the easiest things where if you don't get it right, it's just embarrassing. You know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's this is starting the kind of maybe poison the well a little bit. Um, November 7th, 2000, George Bush steals the election. (laughs) Um, So now we are entering a new era of the United States. Um, February 2001, uh, in jolly old England, (laughs) uh, the episode of Space that parodies The Matrix is released. Have you ever watched Space? Yeah. Fuck, I haven't thought about it in years, though, it feels like. It's still fun. It's still a lot of fun. Um, They did an episode where they're basically chased by agents. They did a few Matrix parodies throughout the show, but I'm thinking of the one Mm -hmm. that's kind of an extended parody. Uh, It should also be noted that this episode, a lot of it is about how the Phantom Menace sucked. So these two things are, like, happening parallel, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think it's important. And I have the Space uh, DVD that was released. I can't remember how long ago. Uh, that all the episodes came with commentary tracks. It, they go into detail in the commentary tracks about how they felt about Star Wars at the time. You know mm-hmm. that like season one of Space is very much pro Star Wars. Season two is very much anti Star Wars. But they also talk about how, and I think these this DVD is released in like 2007. Um, that revisiting the episodes, the only jokes that kind of they felt embarrassed about were the Matrix jokes. That they were kind of like, this. we we thought the Matrix was the coolest shit at the time, and now looking back, this is just kind of embarrassing. Which again, hinting hinting at what's coming, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, March 5th, 2001, Conker's Bad Fur Day day for the N64 parodies the lobby scene. (laughs) Again, so it's even even Nintendo's doing it. All right, now here's a genuine cultural touchstone moment. Oh May wait, 18th. whoa, whoa! Are you dissing Conker's Bad Fur Day? Yes, I am <laughs> dissing Conker's Bad Fur Day. Hey, whatever you know, Conker. There's there's there are fans. <laughs> um, May eighteenth, two thousand one. A movie that is officially part of Western canon. <laughs> One of the most important films of the 21st century. Uh, it's uh, It could not have been released six months later. <laughs> and it's one of the highest grossing films of the year. And it has a Matrix parody in it. I thought you were going to say Shrek. I, I was waiting for you to say Shrek because okay, yeah. it is Shrek. Okay, yeah, Sh- Shrek. <laughs> Shrek, Fiona gets into a parody. Remember, she does her hair when they freeze her in midair with the bullet time. Do you remember that? Oh, yep, yep, yep. I, I do remember that. Remember how fucking funny that was? It's a good movie. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, that joke was so good, they parodied it again in Shrek 4D, the amusement park ride. <laughs> Oh, I missed the boat on that one, I think. Yeah, I think they finally closed the last Shrek 4D. Oh, bummer. Uh, you missed the era where you could go to Universal Studios and there would be a uh, an animatronic donkey kind of looking through a window and some uh, underplayed, underpaid, clearly white employee trying to do a donkey voice. Ooh. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, what a great time um, at the at the amusement park. All right, another movie that I have brought up recently, released on June 8th. Uh, I call it, I, I said the opening of this movie is one of the most overconfident openings in movie history, uh, Swordfish. Mm. A movie I will somehow find a way to do on this podcast, which is a hacker movie. And then not only does it have bullet time in it, it has... A pipe bomb bullet time scene. And it is like one of the worst effects you've ever seen. <laughs> it's also drenched in like that terrible like... I guess it's Tony Scott lighting before Tony Scott was even doing it. When did Tony Scott start doing the like, this is what Mexico looks like? <laughs> Man on fire. That's a Man on fire. So that's later. But this is like, this is what California looks like. Mm-hmm. 
Well, well to, to be s- fair, Tony Scott and like the music vi- and the music video eras of like the '90s and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess that's what they, it is, they're really right. like leaning into like the this high saturation, the high contrast look, which that- honestly I I like in bursts. <laughs> Yeah, although Swordfish, it's, like, so fucking turned up that the movie just looks orange. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's it. That's the primary color of Swordfish, a movie about hacking. Um, July 29th, Pootie Tang. Oh, fuck. There's bullet time in Pootie Tang. (laughs) Um, I bring that up because I like the movie Pootie Tang. (laughs) July 4th, Cats and Dogs. (laughs) Matrix parody. (laughs) When he fights the, like, Russian cat. You know? <laughs> yeah, I remember this. Yeah, I saw that in theaters. Um, July 23rd, Max Payne, the video game, comes out. Oh, fuck. The Bullet Time video game is released. So that's that's very important. All right, September 2nd, 2001, <laughs> Adult Swim begins airing. Um, at first, it's just Cowboy Bebop is the only anime they show. Um, the next year, they'll start showing stuff like Yu Yu Hakusho, Big O, and Outlaw Star. So again, now we're not only getting the kind of kid-marketed anime, we're now getting the quote-unquote adult anime on a major cable network. Uh, Alright, then 9-11 happens. <laughs> and I just wrote in all caps, never forget. Um... <laughs> Do I have to explain what 9-11 was? I want to hear you explain it for the first time in detail. Um, do you, well, all right. If I were to explain it in detail, it would go. we would go for four hours. Okay, now then. But I, I'm going to say, uh, if I had to give a one-sentence summary of 9-11, it was the day America realized that buildings blowing up wasn't actually that cool. And that now, from now on, <laughs> wow! From, hey, you know, never forget. Um, from now on, all Americans know what it looks like when a building collapses. Which I'm not even trying to say that as a joke. It's just like now you can't watch any movie the same ever again, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Even the fucking Avengers had to fucking make their effects look a certain way. <laughs> fucking ten years later. Um, I also, I will say, I just want to throw out this. I have this theory that, like, the reason why Columbine and 9-11 stick in our brains so much as opposed to other events is I think a big part of it is that a huge chunk of Americans watch them happen on TV. Um, I think if an attack had happened like 9-11 um, and it had killed just as many people, but it had been like in one big burst, you know, and it wasn't something that we watched play out on live television. I don't think it would have left as big an impact. Now, I don't think that means George Bush wouldn't have used it as an excuse to go to war. Mm. <laughs> and I don't think it, w- I don't think that means America wouldn't have been convinced to go to it, but I don't know if it would have left the like that weird, like next four years where we think there are just terrorists everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Columbine is the same thing, which Columbine's a weird one where uh, we we handled shootings differently in 99. Um, everyone thought it was a hostage situation and not a shooting. And by the time the news started covering 
the school, it was like hours of just footage of like police like rescuing kids. The shooting had been over by the time the news started broadcasting, right? Mm-hmm. Like nothing in the news caught the actual shooting, but I think because so many Americans were like, this is an event unfolding in front of your eyes. I think that's why it stuck out to so many people. Um, I guess the big uh, one that doesn't, um, that kind of maybe disproves my theory, is Waco, which happens like a few years before, which played out for literally weeks, and then like doesn't get talked about that much. At least compared to the other two. Yeah, that's a weird one. Like, does, does that... Does oversaturation, like, count? With, like, real-life stuff? Because, like, I think I'm, kind of... Might. I think it does. I mean, look at how we're responding to COVID right now. Yeah, and, and, like, at a certain point, like, you know, you hear people, well, we just have to learn to live with it. And it's like, that's a psychotic thing to say, but you, they would never, like, understand the weight of what they just said, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, was- you don't have to live with... What are you talking about? <laughs> well, here's what's so weird about COVID. Like, we're all losing our minds, right? Yeah. And there's, but there's a huge divide. Like I said, like I like, I, I was I said at one point like if you think the country's divided now, and I think I was saying this pre the election, like it's going to be even worse when we get out of this, and half the country is devastated by COVID, and the other half thinks COVID was a hoax. And I think one of the weird things that's happening is that like we're we're all going through like mental crisis right now, even on like a subconscious level. But we're because like everyone lives in their own bubble now it's like some of us are like it's covid and the others are like it is the covid conspiracy and i think that's why like everyone's rapidly going insane at like ridiculous speeds because I, I don't i i think people are getting numb in some way but numb in that way you get numb to trauma which is like a horrible thing you know like i think we're all just like like it's like you know we're looking at like the numbers and it's like wow, it's like, that's kind of what the numbers were like at this date. You know, we're like, it's like 9-11, like, multiple times over mm-hmm. at this point. It's 9-11, like, every day. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And I think on some level we're all absorbing that, you know? Even the people, I think there was that whole thing of, like, eh, COVID's not more deadly than the flu and whatever, like, all that talk initially. And I think now that the numbers have gotten high enough, that talk has kind of gone away a little bit. But I don't think we all know how to process it. I think uh, it's a it's it's too big for any of us, and uh, we're all at the same time kind of awake that the whole country's broken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I'll actually talk about this a little more later. In in some things, I think uh, Matrix Reloaded maybe could have done to make it a smoother landing. I guess. Um, but we'll get into that. Yeah, and I, um, I promise we'll talk about the the actual movie stuff in a second. But this this is important. Yeah, I'm I'm almost done because like the next few years I kind of just no no I I, I am pro what you are doing. I I would not yeah. let you continue if I was like all right let's let's not waste our time. But this this whole like the 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 way culture moved and shifted. Uh, yeah. it is is vital to understanding the reception of these films and how they were made. And I have more about the yeah. production side of it, which is not super related to the politics of it, uh, only the, the business side of it. But yeah. we'll get there. It should be noted, though, that a weird thing about the Matrix Eagles is they started filming before 9-11. And they filmed for a year and a half, which is kind of nuts. Do you know how many shooting days? How many shooting days? 
So they, they took breaks because a year and a half is a long fucking time, and it's more than this, but 267 shooting days, I believe. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I think Kubrick I'll, is still higher, though, with uh, Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll bring it up. But Bill Pope gives a very... Um, spirited discussion on the process of the sequel spirited is a word Spir- yes um, i'm aware of bill pope's comments bill, bill pope is like one of our greatest living artists uh legendary cinematographer and there's a lot to talk about with his work here but continue mm-hmm. please um all right and then here's the thing that like i think we all kind of remember but don't totally immediately after 9-11 like a month after 9-11 we suddenly get Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter movie, and then Lord of the Rings in December. And that is this weird shift back to, like, I don't want to diss Lord of the Rings, I guess. But there's a little bit of a, like, simpler fantasy air to those movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a... Uh, I think those movies are great and there's a lot going on to them and there's bigger ideas. But if, if you're, if you want to talk about why they maybe appealed to the public, I think there was a softness, a softness to them that kind of made them more appealing, at least fellowship, you know, mm-hmm. that at least got people on board. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the movie starts with a birthday party, you know? Um, and that like, and it, it's a, it's a series that's very, and Harry Potter too. They're series that are very reassuring about goods triumph over evil which is very much what we were hoping to be reminded about at the time. <laughs> uh, so that's like one of the first kind of like movie shifts that's really happening. Um, all right. For some reason, I wrote down that in January 25th, uh, 2002, Kung Pao Enter the Fist was released. <laughs> A movie I remember the trailers being on TV all the time. And I remember him... Uh, doing bullet time with a cow shooting milk out of its udder. I'm not even joking when I say I've seen that trailer like at least a thousand times because yes. of that, like that, that hype to that era. Was it, was it on Cartoon Network? It must have fucking been. It must have been. What a weird thing. Yeah. That was Guess fucking never, everywhere. Never got me to see it. <laughs> I finally saw it once, like. Five years ago at a friend's house. I don't remember it though. <laughs> All but right. I definitely saw it finally. That's the biggest anticlimax of finally meeting someone who has seen that movie. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um June fourteenth, two thousand two, Born Identity is released. Oh fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh okay. I'm not the biggest Born fan. I think I've made that clear All on right. the show. Um, I don't like hate him. I'm just not the biggest fan. Yeah, here's a hot take uh, since we're on the topic. I prefer the Daniel Craig, James Bond spy films to the Bourne films, even though they themselves are a response to the Bourne films. Here's the weird thing. Not to go back to 9-11, but uh, Paul Greengrass, I think, really, like, he developed, like, great skills on the Bourne movies, and then I think he used them better on movies like United 93 and then Captain Phillips, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, Captain Phillips like, is fucking great, especially. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the stuff, you know, it's one of those things where, like, I think people kind of, like, hype up United 93 as, like, goddamn, you just can't fucking watch those last 30 minutes of that goddamn movie. Because mm-hmm. it's so goddamn intense, because it feels like you're really on this goddamn plane. But, like, I'm I'm always impressed, even in the Bourne movies, too, I'm impressed with, like, the dudes on the computers scenes. And, like, the intensity he shoots those with. 
you know? Mm-hmm. And I wish more people did that as opposed to trying to do the shaky cam action, which I think kind of works in spurts. And I think Paul Greengrass ended up being the guy to do it best. And I'm not even like the biggest fan of it. You no, know? no, that that's fair. Him and his editors like made some real magic there because he yeah. does have like shaky camera movements there, you know, which complete opposite to the matrix, which is like clean. Yeah. Visible yeah. Action constantly. But like, other people have tried to do that, and even like my beloved Quantum of Solace, I'm like, all right, you're, I I can't see what's happening here, but I can yeah, tell it's that, really fucking cool. And I I can say a lot about the Born stuff, and it's like I can still tell what's happening, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty much, which is crazy when like you think about what happens in those action scenes. Yeah. Also, every so action scene is only like a couple minutes long, and it feels like they yeah. go on forever, but not in a way that's like draining which uh i may go back to in this conversation (laughs) Um, but like i don't know it's very impressive directing work and i frankly after captain phillips i i haven't seen it from uh from my boy green grass yeah i started that one movie he made and then just didn't finish it Um, yeah he's got a couple of those unfortunately he did one about that shooting um the one that was like in I think Sweden or something like that. I missed that one, but yeah. And it was on Netflix and I started it and then I kinda was like, I don't know if I want to watch this. <laughs> I think I was in a bit of a mood that night. Um but hey. Uh all right, July twenty sixth, two thousand two. Austin Powers and Gold Member is released. <sighs> now I bring this up because uh Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, which was also one of the first DVDs I owned, as brought up on the previous episode. Uh, the trailers for The Spy Who Shagged Me and the movie featured extended Star Wars parodies because it was being released the same year as Phantom Menace, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is going to be the big thing on the horizon. Let's just go back to the well of Star Wars for our parodies. By the time Goldmember comes out, there is an extended fight with Fat Bastard that is explicitly a wire fighting parody. Where Fat Bastard's literally like, I hope my wire fighting team is ready. And then you see him, because, you know, it's a movie. And there's a lot of, like, kind of Matrix parodies in it. And I think it's, again, like this sign of Star Wars kind of being pushed out of the way for Matrix. Um matrix kind of being set up for the fall unfortunately <laughs> i think it's it's achieved this place in culture so quickly that no sequels could live up to it you know um which i i think is important um march 30th 2003 america goes to war on a lie <laughs> in iraq um so that happened so that's now hanging over the country now I think so Matrix Reloaded is released in May I think we're still living in an era where a lot of Americans believe that the Iraq war even if you agree with it or disagree with it maybe won't last that long at least and then by the time uh, 3 comes out in November it's very clear that actually this thing might last a long time now I have to jump the gun a little bit before we talk about the movies because there is one movie released um, I also, I skipped over some of the superhero stuff that was going on at the time. I, I think you can make an argument that Matrix kind of helped normalize what will become a staple of superhero action going forward. You know, like the first Spider-Man 
course comes out in 2002 yeah right the i mean oh. not, not to talk about spider-man again but the raimi spider-man specifically there's a lot of like i mean really great action stuff but it is very clearly like sam raimi saw the matrix and was like oh i can do that too and he can yeah but like it's definitely <laughs> that one fight in the burning building is very specifically you know um kind of bullet time but with a pumpkin bomb yeah, pumpkin like, time nice yeah <laughs> <laughs> I just rewatched also it like cried. spidey sense is like their kind of bullet time thing mm-hmm. you know and i mean remember when movies were like all right he's got spidey sense let's make it look cool as shit yeah right and now movies just kind of have him go like uh-oh and then nothing visually interesting happens yeah imagine um, if you made fucking your your visual art form visually interesting imagine if you made a movie all right, but in between Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revelation, Revolutions, one movie is released, and I think it is the movie that fucking bodied Matrix Revolutions in terms of, like, it's it was the one movie that came out that fucking was like, you know what, fuck the Matrix, this is the new thing. I have no idea what you're going to say, actually. It's a movie you like. Return of the 2003? King? What? Return of the King? No. That's uh, December. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, Curse fuck of the Black yeah. Pearl. Pirates of the Caribbean, which is kind of like a return to fun action movies. Swashbuckler, you know? Mm-hmm. The summer blockbuster is back. And uh, it's... Uh, I don't, know, I don't know if I want to use silly, but it is very much like, let's put the fun at the forefront, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is sandwiched between two movies that are like, what if we were just ideas of movies <laughs> for two hours? And I think that is what leads to kind of like, I think a lot of people kind of came out of Reloaded, not sure how to feel about it, and then Revolutions come out and people are like, you know what, fuck this. Pirates of the Caribbean is where it's at. And then, of course, the Pirates of the Caribbean does the exact thing Matrix does. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think the, the thing that happens there, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong, it could be off on my timeline a little bit, um, but I think in between part one and two of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dark Knight comes out. I could be wrong. No, you're, no, you're, you're, you're wrong. Off yeah. by part, a year. part two and I'm three are 2006, 2007. All right. Yeah. I thought it was 2007, 2008. No, no. And I, so. who, who ran Disney at that time? Was that, um, that wasn't Eisner, right? Well, Eisner is there when first, the first one comes out. Okay. Okay. And um, then Iger, Iger takes over. But there's after. a guy in between that no one remembers. Okay. Well, whoever that was is basically the reason those movies like say what you will about two and three like they look incredible right mm-hmm. and i think we really underestimate the 2000s for having like the best visual effects of all time yeah yeah and it's very clear that no you can make vfx look incredible it is we we've made it clear in this podcast and i think a lot of people are kind of warming up to this idea finally it is not about digital filmmaking it is not about blaming vfx artists it's very much these studios and corporate entities not putting the time money and resources behind the movies to get them to look good anymore 
Well, also, we have, uh, you know, the, the, the whole, like, indie to Marvel pipeline. It's not like the guys that get brought over from the indie world are, like, special effects nerds, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like James Cameron was a special effects nerd, you know? Yeah, he worked on he, fucking Escape from New York. <laughs> yeah, like, he, like he, he got into the movies because he wanted to do special effects initially, right? Yeah, now he revolutionizes gateway. the industry every time he releases a film. Yeah, so, like, he, he comes to it from that angle, whereas, like, you know, I'm sure there are some indie guys who, like, they have ideas, and you don't have to... I mean, also, like, we talk about Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi came from, like, low-budget horror world, and also, I believe, was a magician when he was a teenager. What? Yeah. That was great. And so, like, like a lot of, like, the stuff he used was, like, magic tricks in, like, the early Evil Dead movies. Um, and so... He, he just, they, these guys, they have kind of a flair for this stuff. And then we don't have a generation of filmmakers. It's just weird. It's, it's a thing of, like, we can bemoan the, like, indie to, like, these people should kind of be getting to tell their own stories that are in their own, at their own speed. But we also don't have a generation of filmmakers yet that came up primarily, like, with a grasp of special effects. I think that's going to change. I think with the weird kind of, like shift in online media um, where you start getting people who just make movies entirely in CGI on YouTube. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like, how often do you see, like, those weird monster, like, like not like scary, I mean, even the scary stuff, like that lo-fi stuff that I really like, but like, yeah. how often do you see, like, squids or octopus, like, making landfall, and you're like, oh, that's like a digital creation that someone made by themselves. Mm-hmm. And it looks, like, shockingly good. Like, it takes you a second to be like, oh, this isn't real. Mm-hmm. And they did that by themselves. Like, yes. I think we're on the verge of like a filmmaking revolution this decade. We mm-hmm. just need to like not smother it. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think you can't. It. I think a lesson maybe to take away. You can't really stop a revolution. It's just when is it? You know. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna come sooner or later. And I think it matters to the people who you know are coming up right now. Um, whereas if it's if it comes later, it's too late, and if it, it comes too late, too early for a lot of people. So some some group of people are going to get lucky, um, I guess is what I'm saying. But also like not just talking about that. Um, do you know who Monty Ohm is? No, actually. Um, he was um, a a web animator. He made a lot oh, of videos. No, I, I I do. He just passed away a couple years ago, right? Yeah, passed away a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't realize he was the same. I had seen his videos. I did not realize it was the same guy for the longest time, um, where he made a lot of, like, mashup fights. Like, he did uh, Dead Fantasy, which is, like, Final Fantasy characters and Dead or Alive characters fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, fun stuff. Uh, like, it's, there's also, like, an action angle to some of it online. And I think that'll be exciting. And that's also stuff clearly inspired by The Matrix. Yeah, and know? I, I want to further shout out Mon- Monty Allum for um, uh, my beloved Red versus Blue, which I don't know how well that's <laughs> aged, but he really kind of, like, reinvigorated that web series with, like, uh, mm. like just straight-up VFX sequences that I think they're still doing to this day. It's like on season yeah. twenty now or whatever. I hopped it's off. It's still going, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um. I do remember though. Like I kind of remember like whenever I wasn't like I said I didn't really know who he was when he was doing it, but like around that era was kind of when I stopped. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's a weird shift, but like his work, like I I gotta be honest, I don't know how well it mashed together with like 
the mm-hmm. the machinima content, which like I hate, sorry for using the word content, but that's kind of what it was at a point. But his work was like well choreographed and such. It just it was weird because that's not the format of that story. <laughs> but his work was great. And I've never seen Ruby, so um, which was the series he created. Oh, okay. Uh, that see, like I even know about that. Just like through, I know through, of like, it because it is like. It is, like, so insanely popular, you know? Like, it is, it's one of those things where, like, I feel like I see it everywhere. So there's a generation coming up on that. So it's one of those things where, like, I kind of want to get into it just to see, like, what are people getting out of this, you know? Mm-hmm. Let's see how many episodes. There are currently 106 episodes of Ruby. You know, that's not too bad. And eight seasons. Okay, so that's, that's uh, pretty good. I mean, it's not like One Piece, so. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I gotta find time to watch Ruby. <laughs> oh boy. Um, we live in a strange world. Oh, and then one other event happens. Um, that's personal to me is that in December two thousand three, Cheaper by the Dozen is released, which I have stated on this podcast was the first movie I walked out of that I didn't like. <laughs> so. The Matrix Revolutions got in, like, just under that wire, where it could still kind of get that childhood innocence where I just liked everything. <laughs> <laughs> or at least, I guess I say, I didn't dislike a movie, I guess is what I'm saying. Okay, okay. Um, and then, Cheaper by the Dozen, I was like, nah, fuck this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so there's where culture was leading up to Matrix Reloaded. And also, Cheaper by the Dozen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. Actually, you know what? I think it's also 2003 or maybe 2004. But the first movie I ever like felt visible disappointment in was the Viggo Mortensen vehicle Hidalgo. Oh yeah, I think we've talked about. Okay, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just I don't know why that that popped up into my brain. There was like a weird like horse movies are back. Like yeah, I mean, moment like, in uh, the early... Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, like or whatever. Yeah. That's, that is still, like, a really popular movie with, like, horse girls and shit. Yeah. Do you remember the horse girls from your school? No. <laughs> I went to an all-guys high school. Oh, yeah, you don't fucking tell me that. Yeah. I'm sorry, I always forget. No, no, it's all right. Uh, I still see the horse girls in my head to this day. <laughs> they will never leave. Okay. Well, do you still see the architect from The Matrix Reloaded? Um, no, what else was that guy in? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. He just, he's just spouting exposition to this day. You know, they wanted Sean Connery for that. Interesting. Everyone thinks, everyone thinks they wanted Connery for Morpheus, but, uh, they wanted him for the architect and I guess he said no. Mm. And, uh, you know what? That, that would have been a bad choice. <laughs> I think so too. Um, they also wanted Jet Li for a role. Do you know of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know which character. Yeah, yeah, yeah for Seraph, who we'll get into, is just the coolest dude ever. That's his role in the film, to be the yeah, coolest be the, dude ever. Be the coolest guy ever. Yeah. Um. All right, so I guess now's the time to talk about the movie. Yeah, Matrix Reloaded. Um. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> That's right, Diego. (laughs) 
I think neither of us want to fucking throw the first thing out okay, there. Okay, I'll do it then. I'll do it. Um, no, I'll do it. I'll take the bullet. Fuck it. Okay, okay. Um, Because there's, there's two sides to basically everything I'm going to say here. Mm-hmm. Where they will say there's a lot of important stuff in the first 40 minutes of The Matrix Reloaded. I think the first 40 minutes of this movie are kind of a disaster. <laughs> oh, really? I I do. Um, in terms of recontextualizing the audience of what the fuck these movies are going to be about. Uh, I think that, you know, first movie ends with system failure, Neo turns into a god and flies away, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of, like, rumors coming out about, like, what the fuck. I remember the hype for this. Like, no one knew what the fuck this movie was going to be. Um, there was all that talk about how they had to build their own fucking highway for that chase scene. Oh, we're going to fucking get to that shit. Uh, and there, there's, you know, there's a lot of that. Then some people are like, what the fuck is this movie going to be? And then the first 40 minutes, I think it's hard to tell if it's going to be more of the same or if we're in like a whole new world you know mm-hmm. um, I think there's there's a bad job done at recontextualizing for the audience I'm, t- I'm talking about if you want to make this movie accessible right which is a different debate of, of, as opposed to the quality of the film because um, like I said there's a lot of important we'll get to like some very important scenes that happen in here um, but yeah, there's a lot. Also, uh, I think now we kind of have to talk about how this movie was supposed to be a springboard for Matrix becoming this multimedia thing, which leads into revolutions. I I, I think we can hold off on that. No, because a lot of what happens in this movie <laughs> doesn't happen in this movie. <laughs> It happened in, like, promotional materials. Really? Okay, because there's a lot that happens in Revolutions where, like, Niobe, played by Jada Pinkett Smith, is like, I spoke to the Oracle, and she gives a rundown of what she spoke to the Oracle about. That happens in a video game. Yes. Like, there's that. There's stuff that happens in between. The stuff with the kid is, like, I think in the Animatrix or in a comic or something like that. Um... The scene where they're like, we're getting these messages, like where we found out the machines are digging, that was established in like a tie-in thing. There is so much going on that I didn't even fucking remember that like I was looking up and it was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, uh, I'm sure it would have been thrilling if you had kept up. I think this is a movie that just, it's so weird because I think they kind of realized their mistake by the time of Revolutions, but we'll get to that. Um I think this is a movie that just assumed that The Matrix was so big, everyone would pay attention to every other thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think that was a mistake. And I think that has been a continued mistake with trying to make these thing, make these franchises multimedia, you know? I think it's um, a mistake for most things. And I think to, like, what what these films end up doing is trying to, like, oh, well, you know, the Emperor spoke to us in Fortnite, and that explains the opening crawl to Episode Nine, yeah. <laughs> which is a frankly, like, how does how does everyone involved with that film still have a job? <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry, uh, but like, it, it's, what a bonkers thing that now Fortnite is canon. <laughs> I know, I know, but the point being, I don't think it's that bad of an idea. 
you can't have it run the system forever. You can't it's have the franchise run that run by that forever. You, I think if you have, like, here's a trilogy of stuff or something like that, right? Or a series mm-hmm. of, of, like, films for a couple years where this is all interconnected. I think you can do that. And I got to be honest, because it came from the Wachowski's own mind and vision, I, I kind of fuck with it. I'm interested in it just because you can kind of feel like the Wachowskis are like, this is our fucking moment, you know? Yeah, and like, something similar happened a couple years later to my beloved Southland Tales. Hey. <laughs> which is technically part three of six of a six-part chapter, which was also uh, uh, released in promotional comic book materials. Mm-hmm. Now that's, I gotta just say... That's just crazy. Yeah, no, I, I've never read those other comics because they're like impossible to track down. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know what what happened but, there, but I wow. love Southland like, Tales. Who, who thought that? I don't but, know. You no. know what? He, he, he might have been the one guy that like saw these movies and was like, "Now is the moment. Yeah. Now <laughs> like, is my is time. What, this is what the future of cinema should be." And like Southland Tales is like the natural extension of Matrix Revolution. It kind of is. It's also about questioning the systems that that you live in. I mean, it's like the dark doppelganger of it, you know? Yeah. Like, like, welcome to the desert of the real. It's Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> Also, Dwayne Johnson's best performance for some reason. I know, yeah, totally. I, I would agree with that. Um, but I'm saying, like, I, I, I kind of agree where, like, I would like someone to try this at some point. And I think in the age of the internet, it is like now is the time for someone to really go in on this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, now is a time where you could do something where it's, like, to understand the story, you have to read a book, listen to a CD, fucking read a webcomic, fucking play a video game, watch a movie, watch a bunch of, like, mini short films that are being released in front of other films. Like, I think now is the time you could get away with it. But I think it would have to be, like, a weird mid-budget art project, you know? Honestly, like a, I think an A24 film should do this. Yeah, I would maybe agree. Yeah, that not 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 to be like a twenty four stand or anything like that, but like because that's the kind of marketing those films tend to have, anyways. You know, where yeah. like the Green Knight had this incredible weird... internet hype train behind it, and then people A24... in the real world were like, "What is the Green Knight?" <laughs> <laughs> but a twenty four is like the only like company, like film company, right now that has like a following that isn't based on franchises. Yeah, you know, yeah, like which is kind of nuts so they could maybe get away with it mm-hmm. i kind of agree with that yeah. um, but matrix reloaded but yeah matrix reloaded uh yeah i think uh i think the first 40 minutes inter- and i guess if i were to make like a big overarching point like i'm the guy like i, I get it i'm the, the guy who comes in here i like structure <laughs> i will uh if a movie has big ideas but the structure is whack, I might fuck not gel with the movie. So I'm definitely going to point out that I think there are some things structurally wrong. Not wrong, but just like off with these movies. And I think that there is a perfect version of the Matrix sequels that is one three-hour, maybe three-and-a-half-hour-long movie. I think there was a way that you could have told this story condensed. Now, because of the ideas that the Matrix sequels are tackling, there's kind of a part of you that is like, is some of this weird structural inconsistency intentional? Mm. 
And I'm normally not a guy that fucks with that, but I kind of fuck with it here, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm kind of like, is this... Is some of the shit in the first... is In Matrix Reloaded supposed to be a little lame? Is that kind of what the movie's going for? And there's stuff in the Matrix Revolutions that makes me think that that is absolutely the case. And then there's stuff in the Matrix Revolutions that makes me think that was not the case. But uh, regardless, I it, you could make an argument that I would agree with, where you're like, it's supposed to kind of... Where, you know like how people make that argument where it's like, the fucking prequels are supposed to be stuffy because the Jedi suck, mm-hmm. you know? Like, which is an argument you can make, but I don't think that makes the movies more interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you could make a similar argument here, and I think it does make the movies more interesting. Um, but we can get deeper into that. Yeah, I would um, argue that case for, okay. for these for specifically reloaded a yeah. film that i think is like about like to get all numerical about it i think it's 50 percent brilliant 25 percent really interesting but doesn't really work and 25 percent what happened <laughs> um <laughs> is how much of that 25 percent is the character of the kid uh you know what no the the kid is fine for me. The kid who is who everyone keeps saying is sixteen years old, even though he clearly looks thirty five. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I got a th- problem. This was with the two thousands. We're coming off the Raimi Spider Man. I buy it, but no. <laughs> here here's here's what like the first moment that that idea clicked for me was when um they're going to see the Merovingian and he's like explaining the the way of control and how he he kind of roofies someone oh yeah that's an interesting moment oh that's a way of phrasing it um and and then he's like all right fuck off now and then his wife monica bellucci you know that horrendous looking woman um (laughs) she's like the dynamic between those two characters completely explains the dynamic of Reloaded, where these people are just pawns. They're not revolutionaries like they they are, but not to the extent that they think they are. And they're just pawns in power struggles because the Merovingian's wife, Mona Lisa, right? That's her name? Um, No, all right. I'm going to talk about this real quick. Okay, okay. I'm going to jump to the Merovingian. I was going to save it, but we have to. So the Merovingian is like the most disgusting French man you've ever met. Yeah, he's French. He's he's, he's so awful. Like, I almost feel like you could claim racism against the French people (laughs) with how the the Merovingian is characterized. It'd be like if a fucking, like, I'd be pissed if, like, there was, like, we have to meet the Italian. (laughs) I'd make it the pizza, like... (laughs) Like, that was his entire character. He was literally Super Mario or some shit. Oh, no, excuse me. Her right. name is Persephone. Why did I think it was Mona Lisa? Well, yeah, Mona that's Lisa. the thing. So, the Merovi... All right, here was something I forgot to ask you. I, I had it built up for, like, a week that this is the question I was going to start the episode with, and I forgot. Um, at what age did you realize there were werewolves in this movie? Um, I missed that on, on my younger viewings. It was only recently when people were like, yeah, I love the offhand comment about there were werewolves and vampires. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, <laughs> I, did, I also did not know that until a few years ago. And that's kind of like the moment where like suddenly the sequels clicked for me. <laughs> but like, 
it says a lot that I feel like you, if I was writing a Matrix sequel that had werewolves in it, I would lead with the fact that there are werewolves in it. I think that's very important for what this movie is. Um, but, alright, so we got the Merovingian. He's basically, like, a Hades-type character. Yeah, and I, I need to go back after you're done to, to my point there, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll totally go back to it. And I will talk about the parts that I agree with, too. Um, so it's like, alright, so what's the Merovingian? Well, he's like a Hades-type character. He rules, like, the digital equivalent of the Underworld. And it's like, well, why isn't he called Hades? Well, he's called the Merovingian because he's French, and it's kind of like a reference to this obscure French dynasty from, like, the fucking, like, you know, early time French history. And it's like, you know, we don't want to just come out there and say he's Hades. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, what's his wife his wife's name? Persephone. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so we get, like, really technical with the fucking Merovingian, but then his wife is just Persephone. <laughs> Like, all right, I guess that's the Wachowskis, like, through and through. Mm -hmm. It's like, here's one thing that's needlessly complicated to distract you from the very obvious thing <laughs> happening in the scene. <laughs> Which I also think is part of what the movie is going for. <laughs> yeah, and so there's that moment where she's like, fuck it, like, I'm tired of this guy, like, uh, like just kind of, like, disrespecting me. I'll I'll show you what you want to see, but I need Neo to kiss me. And boy, I bet Keanu Reeves had a terrible time making this movie, having to oh, film yeah. a sex scene with uh, that whole Trinity scene and then so... also make out with Monica Bellucci. That scene is so weird. I know, it's very strange. Even <laughs> when I was younger, I was like, this feels like needlessly complicated. <laughs> it's one of these things where like, when you watch it now, like I can't really get upset with audiences for not j like jiving with the movie yeah you know? yeah like, but after that moment she's like all right i believe you right after like being like no not good enough like i didn't believe the love and then she feels it again she's like all right i'll, I'll... and she herself is power brokering you know mm -hmm. in her own way and then she she shows them to like this place where where they have the the, the key maker and then she shoots one of the henchmen and then she's like go tell my husband what i've done and it, for years, it bothered me that I was like, why the fuck would she do, like, why is she doing that? She's trying to help them. And I was like, oh, she doesn't give a shit about, like, what they're doing. You know? It's yeah. just her, like, it, it's just her power struggle with her husband. And so she's it's like. It's not just that. That's, like, their weird, like, sexual dynamic. Like, you get that that's what their relationship is like, you know? Mm -hmm. That they kind of, this is, they kind of get off on going back and forth at each other. Yeah. Um, which is some interpretations of the Hades Persephone thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, so I was like, oh, fuck. Like, that's the moment for me that made this all start working again. Because I like the first 40 minutes of the movie, mostly. Um, I got to be honest, Reloaded has, like, a bunch of moments where it just stops fucking dead. Yeah. There's a bunch of, of like, brick walls that come up. And it's not just the exposition. I think, unfortunately, the filmmaking takes a major step down. Where, like, every yeah, moment a... of the original Matrix, where I'm just like, holy fuck, every image well, is telling you, like, a thousand different things. Yeah, but here's something weird. So, like, this is what I couldn't figure out re-watching these. I, I, I totally agree with you on Reloaded. 
but you get to Revolutions and it's suddenly like, oh shit, they're back. I think visually Revolutions looks fucking incredible. I think Revolutions is one of the best directed blockbusters I've ever seen in my entire so, life. <laughs> so is it intentional here? Maybe. Like, is it... I think, because I think part of it is them kind of being like, it's almost like a fuck you to the audience, which is pretty daring. Um, especially if you're trying to launch a multimedia <laughs> franchise <laughs> to immediately go fuck you with the sequel. I think it's trying to be like, look, the hero's journey is kind of lame. It's the same shit over and over again. Like, and so when we make this movie, the fighting is going to be kind of lame. But there's some stuff, we'll get to it with Revolutions, but there's some stuff in Revolutions that makes me think that, because this was kind of a tortured production, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, you get the sense that they got, like, a blank check to do whatever they want, and then they kind of, even then, they, they, they're the Wachowskis, so they got too fucking big with it, you know? Yeah. And you can feel like they maybe didn't know how to stuff all their ideas into one thing, and then once everything gets on rails after all this setup is done and, re- and reloaded, Revolutions works really well, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for me to fully tell. And even then, it's one of these things where, like, I kind of would just, like, reload it to function better as a movie. That's just personally, you know? No, I, I actually like, agree with you. Like, I don't need more structure, but I need, like... Yeah. I need a better way to kind of, like, process all this. Because all the ideas, I'm like, yeah, this is fucking brilliant. Um, maybe, you know, if, maybe don't, don't just have people mm. talking about it all the time. Like, you know, people, it's like the lame argument people have against the Star Wars prequels where they're like, it's just people talking in different rooms. And it's like, yeah, but like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it could still come more alive because the writing of like the characters, I actually don't think is like the problem at all. Yeah. yeah. I, I am pro Matrix Reloaded is what I'm getting at, but it is I am the too. most I'm, frustrating I want to make it. I want to make it clear, like, when I said, like, I said, I think the first 40 minutes are a disaster, that I, I clearly draw the line at 40 minutes. Okay. Like, after that is when the movie kind of really starts clicking. Okay. See, I, I still think it's like, a little frustrating from time to time. It's frustrating, and then it, I, I will say, I think, like, after that 40 minutes, it's a slow ramp upwards, but it is continually upwards, you know? Yeah, it doesn't, it literally doesn't climax. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a big problem. I think the other thing is that, like, especially in the first 40 minutes, a lot of it is dedicated to setting up a bunch of guns that don't go off, you know? Mm -hmm. Which is maybe why Revolutions is so fucking great. I mean, can we just say Revolutions is is great? I think it's a great movie. Revolutions is great, yeah. Yeah. I I love it, you know? And I, I, but I will say, like, I can't tell, like, how much it stands on its own because I did just watch these two together. I always kind of rate Reload and Revolutions together. That's fair. So, like, whereas, like, I think Revolutions elevates Reloaded, and I think Reloaded kind of drags down Revolutions a little bit. But they're still great. Like, it's it's one of those things where I still fucking love these movies. Yeah, like, know? honestly, I wanted to come out swinging, like, wholeheartedly, like, no, nah, Reloaded's fucking a masterpiece, too. And I, I really don't feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> Revolutions, well, I, I will it, argue that, though, yes. I was so sad when I started this, and I was like, I, I really think the first 40 minutes are bad. Like, I, I don't want to keep beating a dead horse, but, like, I really don't like it. In terms of the filmmaking, really, like, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of, like, fucking weird trip-ups there. And I was really worried I was going to come on here and have to be the asshole that's like, actually, it sucks. And I, re- and I was like, man, I remember liking this the last time I watched it. But then, like I said, like, after that, it, it, it gets really good. 
And like I said, if I go back to my argument that I think there's a good, like, three-hour version of these two movies put together, like, if I were to make, like, some structural changes, I would have started the movie, kept it in the Matrix, run through all that stuff without really leaving the Matrix, maybe going under the Nebuchadnezzar every now and then, going to the source, meeting the architect, then do all the Zion stuff in the middle and then go back to the big Agent Smith fight. I think, like, I'm not saying that's perfect, but, like, I think it would have worked a little better. Okay. Where, whereas, I think, I just think the Zion stuff, it's so, so much of it here is just, like, set up for another movie that we aren't going to see, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I mean, like, here's the thing. Came out the same year. It's not, like, the Marvel thing where you have to wait, like, years sometimes. <laughs> but a little frustrating. Um, also, uh... I guess here's here's the thing. So I talk about like how we kind of have to recontextualize what's going on with the movie. The one thing we kind of get at the beginning is Neo is having the dream about Trinity dying, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we get that action scene, which I'm not sure is the best action scene to start the movie off with. Um, but it's kind of just like generic here's what you want matrix scene which again could totally be by design <laughs> yeah you think it is and then it ends with trinity dying and then neil wakes yeah. up so that hangs over the picture you know yeah so like yeah. i, I want to agree with you but then i'm like no you kind of need that there yeah yeah and then it's also like neo's now having these dreams he's kind of seeing into the future a little bit it's also the beginning of him kind of like being connected to the matrix without being jacked in you know mm-hmm. which is a big part of revolutions um then uh <laughs> we go to like a big long uh talking scene inside the matrix where a bunch of people just meet and they stand around for a long time and we're suddenly thrown a lot of new information right and i feel like a lot of this could have been told uh visually <laughs> a little better uh, where suddenly uh, we, we're introduced to Niobe. She's a new character. We're... Also, there's like a weird line later where like Neo is like, what's the deal with Morpheus and Niobe? And I'm like, how have you guys not had this conversation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of just felt a little sloppy. Um, yeah, stuff like that but... keeps happening in this movie. And I was like, yeah. this is, doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah. And again, like, it's one of these weird things where, like, there's an argument to be made that it's entirely on purpose. I know. Like, that's what's, like, really weird about this I guess one. that's weird. Because I want to talk about a lot of sloppy stuff in the movie. I, I'm, I don't want to – just to stop myself from repeating myself, I want to say pretty much all of it, I think, could be intentional. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm still going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's, like, the whole thing where it's, like, the machines are digging, they're, they're bringing an army, blah, blah, blah. Which is – it's a weird, like – I feel like we could have just they could have just shown us the machines digging and then cut to this scene, you know? Mm-hmm. Like just to give us I don't know, like there's not like there's a weird lack of visual grounding in the beginning of this movie. And at the same time and then with on top of that where Morpheus is like, Well they're doing this because we have freed more people in the last few months, blah blah blah. And then I part of me wants to be like, I wanna see what the Matrix is looking like now like what like our real world like let's say our real world is actually the matrix and then suddenly like 
the revolutions are happening behind the scenes, but we're kind of unaware of it. What? How, how does that start warping our reality, you know? Yeah. And I, I kind of wanted a scene in it where it's like, this will sound weird, but I kind of wanted to see what the Matrix looked like, and I kind of assumed it would just look like kind of how the world looks right now. <laughs> where it's like, there's this big wave coming, and we don't know what it is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, the weird, just like... Shit doesn't feel right, <laughs> and we all are kind of vaguely aware of it. Um, and we know there's a massive paradigm shift coming, but we don't, like, we can't see the moving parts of it enough. And we all have our own theories, and like, suddenly conspiracy theories are back, and like, there's all this crazy, like, weird new spiritualism that's back. I kind of wanted a weird, like, just like a two minute scene that kind of established that, right? Like a world out of control, and maybe that would have been something hard to get away with post nine eleven. You know, mm-hmm. to be like the world is chaos, and then but also kind of be like actually this chaos is kind of good. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. um, I just think like like something like simple like that would have helped a little bit, um, especially then when Neo takes off after the scene and like flies around the world and like can like move storms around. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> which is just crazy visual. <laughs> yeah, because um, like when the visuals take off, they're like. They're literally groundbreaking. They're they're still yes. parodied. Um, less so, less so than the first one, I would argue. But like the Matrix and Multi Smiths fight, like that made yes. waves, like in a, in a big way. The Architect scene made fucking MTV parodies and shit. But before we get into all that too, I also think that maybe that's why the the film doesn't play with like the visual flourishes as much anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, they had their own like when they woke up Neo, when they woke up the one, it it was themselves freeing their mind in a way. Okay. And when they're back with like the rest of the revolution, they still have to adhere to certain rules and order. And maybe that's why it's filmed like so stagnantly often, you know? Yeah. I get I get that, but also we're about to go to Zion where there's like six scenes in a row, row exactly like that. <laughs> y- yes, yes. Um, which I think that is also like an extension of, of my argument for that. And again, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean it all works better. I definitely think it, it is purposeful now, though. I think it is nice, though, that we get to kind of see in these scenes that, like, a lot of people look at Morpheus like he's crazy. Yeah, because we talked about that, like, last time. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, he's kind of like a, a weeb. <laughs> like an anime <laughs> weeb. A little bit, yeah. And he's, um, like, talking about, like, you know, while you studied... Or while you went out and partied in Zion, I studied the blade. I studied the blade. Yeah, and it's like, all right, dude. Actually, you know what? No, that's not true because because Morpheus is like leads the parade to the orgy later. <laughs> A parade. Yeah. <laughs> the parade to the orgy. Yeah. Uh, floats orgy floats. Yeah, I guess there's um, discourse about the orgy being an orgy or not. And it's like I I don't know. A bunch of people are clearly it's about as much as an other. orgy you're gonna get away with in a big blockbuster movie in the early 2000s. Yes. And if I can, I would like to bring up some comments that... Oh, shit. You know what? I forgot a very important cultural moment, and I can't remember when it happened. Okay, just say it, and I'll talk Uh, about Bill Pope. When did Janet Jackson have her uh, Super Bowl moment? Ah! Ah, 2004. All right, so a year later. Yeah, yeah. That leads to this weird, like, return to Puritanism that happened, like, post that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now we have discourse a couple years, like two decades later, about should Spider-Man have a sex scene? And it's like, if 
if Peter Parker wants to fuck, then yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> why are you talking about that? <laughs> Anyways, not yeah. the point of my my takes. Um, Bill Pope had had some maybe insight into the production troubles of this film, where he 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 was very vocally pro the Wachowskis at the end of this, but. You mentioned like working on Bound was like such a rejuvenating creative experience um, because he had shot, you know, like Army of Darkness and uh, and Dino De Laurentiis, who had produced Bound, did not want Bill Pope. Mm. So when the Wachowskis were like, well, yeah, we, we want to work with, with, with this guy. And he was like, what? There are gorgeous women in this film. Why he shoots skeletons? Why you want him? You know? <laughs> And it's like nobody cry when the skeleton. (laughs) (laughs) And um, (laughs) goodbye, Judy Foster. Yeah, our fucking boy. (laughs) Um, I can do that because I'm Italian. Oh, okay, okay. It it was offensive when I did. All right, if the Merovingian was just Dilo De Laurenta. Oh hell yeah! I mean, hey. (laughs) Um, Meet the Italian film producer. Yeah. So they uh, movie. The Wachowskis work with Bill Pope. On, on Bound and The Matrix. And The Matrix, they were able to just kind of completely stand their ground against the old studio system. And and even to this day, Pope commended them for, like, being, like, like really inspirational and, like, aggressive when they needed to be on that film. And, and he said that they were, like, you know, like, this total just creative force that he really aspired to and that on the sequels they maybe read some filmmaking books that they weren't uh maybe too too helpful to the actual filmmaking process like i believe some stanley kubrick book that they read about like you know actors only really give a real performance by the 90th take or some shit and bill pope said and i quote I want to dig up Stanley Kubrick, bring him back to life, and kill him again. Because <laughs> um, he, uh, he, he did not have fun on the production of the sequels and said he had a very yeah. mixed re- relationship to them. Uh, and that some stuff he felt went in the direction that they needed to go the opposite direction towards or from. And mm-hmm. that uh, looking over the recent 4K transfers um, with, with the Wachowskis and... Uh, he wrote after after watching both Reloaded and Revolutions, he um, he noted that like God, like just the way that they made those films, it feels like a different world basically. And mm. that now that the producers had seen what the Matrix was, they were like, "Well, you got to do this and this and this," you know. And even though they stood their ground still on them, um, there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and it, you it, definitely get that. Yeah, and it, it made the process itself, regardless of our fanaticism of the sequels, like it made the process like just grueling and exhausting yeah. for everyone involved. And um, but after watching the the sequels again, he wrote the sisters Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss to tell them that like you know what we we did a good job and we should be proud. But he wouldn't want to do that again. <laughs> so you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, oh, it hey. sounds like it was it was really fucking tough. Uh, you can listen yeah. to his full conversation with the Team Deacons podcast, uh, my favorite that I like to reference on here. So go go check it out. It is uh, it's pretty good. I should maybe start listening to that podcast. Oh, every episode is like a 
a master class, honestly. Yeah, I'll start listening to yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's great. Oh. It's great. I'm always worried I'm going to get invested in a podcast and then, like, episode 99, the everybody's going to be like, and this is why COVID is a hoax. No, no. Thankfully, like, that oh, doesn't happen. No. <laughs> um, hey, yeah. Uh, you know what, like, made me kind of realize how torturous this must have been? Um, looking at just how much practical shit was actually in this movie, which you don't really think about a lot. <laughs> That that fucking uh that ship crashing through the gates of Zion and Matrix Revolutions was a practical ship crashing through <laughs> like a model the size of fucking my bedroom <laughs> just crashing into a gate. Did they hook up to like an amusement park track to like get it to run fast enough? Like that must it just looked it, it like the behind the scenes stuff for this just looks torturous, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like it was one of these things where everyone was like this will all be worth it because the Matrix is so huge right now. We're just gonna it's fucking gonna be a slam dunk, you know? Yeah. And I almost wonder if the studio is the one that's like, we can package a trilogy. Like, we can't package a sequel, we can package a trilogy. And the Wachowskis were like, Well, we have an idea for a sequel. <laughs> but uh we can and then they kind of stretched it across two films, you know? Mm-hmm. Um because there's no way a studio is not going to, you know, not make two movies where they can make twice the amount of money, which isn't what happened, but that's what they probably thought was going to happen. Yeah. Hey, Reloaded was the highest grossing R-rated film until Deadpool. So yeah. it partially it, worked. But the the drop between Reloaded and Revolutions is kind of nuts. Yeah. You know, um, I, like I, everyone made money. Ultimately, it wasn't like a flop, but it was one of those like they didn't get the double dip like they hoped they would. Yeah, and I, I got to shout out again the Action for Everyone podcast. Uh, Liam O'Donnell referenced this, like, again, he was one of the guys who was who was kind of banging the drum of the Matrix sequels for, like, like, basically since they came out. But I kind of agree with him that if they had waited a year, at least, instead of six months to get that third one out, and, like, kind of sprinkled in all, like, the extracurricular activities in the promotional materials, like, through that, in the run-up to Revolutions, I think they make more money, frankly. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I think the the ending of Reloaded is, like, the worst note you could end this movie on. And I don't mean, like, the, the uh, like, story. I just mean, like, the shot is, like, the worst shot to end this movie on. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't inspire a lot of excitement, but that fucking yeah. credit song does. Well, yeah, but that, it's Rage Against the Machine. I yeah. Mean. But I think like if if there was something that made people be like you know what fuck this and then it was I think it made it would made people be like I'm gonna be cautious about the next movie and then when a lot of people came out of it being like I don't know man not my thing like I think it turned enough people off mm-hmm. um, yeah you know whatever um, all right a scene that like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna do the 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 thing you really shouldn't do but I'm I'm gonna give my notes on like what. I would have done. No, if, God. if I had written this movie. Okay, Patrick um, and, Willems. Yeah, hey, you know what? Like, no, it, no, I like him, experiment. but I, I his Matrix video, I, I disagree with. It's in, he's got some ideas, but like, I wouldn't want to see that movie either. <laughs> um, but uh, if 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 I were to change, first of all, if I were to change anything, I would fuck the movie up. I don't want to say. I don't want to act like I don't realize that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And here's the other thing. I would keep you around when I'm pitching these ideas because you would have enough to tell me when the idea was bad. Okay. <laughs> so uh, there's there's the scene. I don't know if I would have introduced the Smith stuff this early, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, when the agents show up, right? Mm-hmm. And Neo consents that the agents are there. Uh, I think that fight is really lame, right? And they're like the ano- I do like their dialogue where they're like the anomaly. Do we proceed? Of course, still only human. Like that stuff's great. Yeah. Um, I think the fight kind of sucks. Hey, hey, and but I that is it- action movie legend Daniel Bernhardt as Agent <laughs> right. Johnson, who is not cool. a legend, but like he he should be because he's in fucking like some of the best shit ever. What was I just talking about him? Like he's in Birds of about- Prey even. Didn't we just talk about Daniel Bernhardt though for some reason? I don't know, but he rocks. He he's he's in a bunch of great shit. He's in John Wick, he's in Birds of Prey. He's, oh, he's, he's back in Matrix Resurrections. Broken. He's back in Resurrections, that's why. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, um yeah. No, he's fun. I mean, I think the agents are fun. I do like that the big bads of the first movie are kind of like relegated to like supporting bad guys. I love that. Like I always think that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um I, what I kind of wish would happen is like they're like, you know, they're they have upgrades so they can kind of anticipate his moves a little bit. I would like if Neo like fought with him for a little bit, and then you kind of realize Neo's just biding his time to like let everyone get away, you know. Mm-hmm. And the moment he knows everyone gets away, he just kind of like flicks his hand and like the agents just go flying out of the building, you know. Mm-hmm. Like he's a god at that point. Like, he's just, like, at this point, he's just toying with agents. I think that visually would have communicated things a little better. No, doesn't change the scene that much. I kind of want, you know that scene in Revenge of the Sith when uh, Yoda walks into the Palpatine's office and the two guards, like, get ready and Yoda just kind of waves his hand and they both fall over? I kind of want that scene. Okay. (laughs) But with the agents. Yeah, because I, I want people... I, I feel like the movie kind of needs to remind people that Neo's a god at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's something that they kind of do on Zion where he's like a messiah figure, but I, I want it to be very clear, like, in the Matrix, he is fucking god. And that's why they're doing so well. Um, whereas this, it's like, it's weird that, like, he's still kind of doing the basic action shit here. And at the same time, I think if he had done that here, it would make the later fight with the millions of Smiths and then with uh, the Merovingians weirdos uh, a little better. Um, but we'll get to that, you know. I want to go back to the uh, Neo-Messiah stuff also, but I, go ahead and run down your, your points. No, I already did my point. Oh, okay. oh that was it. <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm obsessed with this idea of, like, adapting Jesus Christ into a long-form narrative. <laughs> Not as, like, a, a fantastical religious text, but kind of the Paul Verhoeven idea of, like, yeah, that, that was a dude that existed. We should probably talk about him as a revolutionary figure because that's what he yeah. was ultimately, right? And, yeah. like... Well, that's so, Last Temptation of Christ, too. Well, yeah, know. that fucking, hell yeah. Top five Scorsese, probably. Money changers be gone. Yeah. And um, the idea that, like, like so many of the the religious films about Jesus are like oh he was a man that's why he was great but also he's he 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 carries himself with like a divinity and like also he's better than mankind it's like whoa whoa no 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 that's not the the 
yeah. the power of the story of like a savior, you know, that them being a savior is they help people save themselves and stuff like that. And also if he was a man, then he, ha- he has human urges like sex and hunger yeah. and such. And I just really well, remember, like that Neo and t- Trinity, like when they get back to Zion, they're like, Oh fucking finally, like we can, we have like moments to ourselves so we can fuck. Cause it's like a, a normal thing to like desire with a partner. That's, t- oh, that's yeah. a totally healthy, normal thing. And the moment they get a, like uh, uh, some time to themselves, the doors open and it's like, Oh yeah. Uh, people believe you're like God. So you have to, they need you right now. I'll, I, I, I can wait. And Neil's like, fuck, <laughs> like, God damn it. And I don't yeah. know. I just really like that. It, it, it provides a real like human essence to a narrative that could just be the opposite of human. Well, to bring it back, it's also, it reminds me of, you know, to bring it back to last temptation to Christ. When, when Scorsese did that, people literally burned down theaters. Yeah. Like, it caused riots when he portrayed Jesus that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, oh god, what is the fucking Kurt Vonnegut, like, Kilgore Trout Jesus thing? I don't know, um, actually. I gotta look up this quote. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, alright, um, I'm gonna read this. Um, you can cut it if you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it, what you were talking about kind of reminded me of, uh, the the gospel from outer space by Kilgore Trout, which is from a uh, 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 Kurt Vonnegut novel. And here's here's the long quote about a, it's from Slaughterhouse Five, where an alien kind of rewrites the Bible. And it says it was the gospel from outer space by Kilgore Trout. It was about a visitor from outer space who made a serious study of Christianity to learn, if he could, why Christians found it so easy to be cruel. He concluded that at least part of the trouble was the slipshod storytelling in the New Testament. He supposed the intent of the Gospels was to teach people, among other things, to be merciful, even to the lowest of the low. But the Gospels actually taught this. Before you kill somebody, make absolutely sure he isn't well-connected. So it goes. The flaw in the Christ story, said the visitor from outer space, was that Christ, who didn't look like much, was actually the son of the most powerful being in the universe. Readers understood this, so when they came to the crucifixion, they naturally thought, oh boy, they sure picked the wrong guy to lynch that time, and that thought had a brother. There are right people to lynch. Who? People not well connected. So it goes. The visitor from outer space made a gift to Earth of a new gospel. In it... Jesus really was a nobody and a pain in the neck to a lot of people with better connections than he had. He still got to say all the lovely and puzzling things he said in the other Gospels. So the people amused themselves one day by nailing him to a cross and planting the cross in the ground. There couldn't possibly be any repercussions, the lynchers thought. The readers would have to think that too, since the Gospels hammered home again and again what a nobody Jesus was. And then, just before the nobody died, the heavens opened up, and there was thunder and lightning. The voice of God came crashing down. He told the people he was, aban- he was adopting the bum as his son, giving him the full powers and privileges of the son of the creator of the universe throughout all eternity. God said this, from this moment on, he will punish anybody who torments a bum who has no connections. I should read that, huh? Oh, yeah, Vonnegut's fun. I don't know if, like, uh, going back to Vonnegut now would be as impactful as it was in high school. Um, 
I've had people say that Vonnegut is like the 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 lefty uh, Ayn Rand. Oh, um, and not that that he like promotes libertarianism or anything. Just that like there's kind of like a, a wishfulness to his writing, you know, a, a wishfulness um, and maybe shallowness. Yeah, right. and there's definitely like there, I mean, I even at the time I remember there were parts in uh, I think it's Slaughterhouse Five where uh, there's like there was. A, a race riot at some point and uh it's like very brief but there's some comments where it's like oh Vonnegut didn't really understand what's going on here um you know and not like in a like very like vicious or cruel way just kind of like oh you know he was a white guy of his time you know um but yeah I, I it, his stuff was very impactful when I was in high school <laughs> so you've never read Slaughterhouse Five yeah, Guillermo del Toro almost directed the movie adaptation of that written by Charlie Kaufman Holy shit. Yeah, and they, apparently they couldn't crack the script. Yeah, how can you? <laughs> yeah. But I, I got a lot of respect for them for that, where they're like, yeah, we can't really crack this, so let's just drop it. I, yeah, I will say that. There, there, there's something to that where you're like, you're not arrogant enough to think, you know what, I can figure this out. Yeah. Um, although they did a Slaughterhouse-Five movie that was, like, fine. Okay. In, like, the 70s. But, like, again, like, it's kind of like you can't, like, the book is just its own thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if there's someone to really crack it, it would have been Kaufman. But I guess not. Yeah, so yeah read Slaughterhouse-Five, people. Charlie Kaufman's The Matrix Reloaded. Hey, now. I think maybe I would be interested in the world where they were like, hey, could you uh, take a look at this for us before we go to directing it? Just your thoughts. I don't know if I want to meet Charlie Kaufman. I don't, no, no, no. I don't want to meet Charlie. Have you seen? I think I've talked about it before. But the interview with Kermode and Mayo uh, with Charlie Kaufman and the dude who co-directed um, Anomalisa. No, I have not. It is the most uncomfortable interview I have. I, I may. I might have ever seen in my life. It. It is. It's a pair of artists who feel like they've discovered like a creative atom bomb mm. without realizing that they're using a microwave. Well, man, it's uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just bad. You kind of get that vibe a little bit from the works, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I'm a I fan like those, of the works. I like, I like but, uh, Charlie Kaufman's stuff, but uh yeah, strange guy. Yeah. You know he start. You know he worked on the Dana Carvey show. Oh really? Yeah, they could not get him for an interview for that documentary about the Dana Carvey show though. Hmm. So I have no idea what he actually wrote. <laughs> Wonder if he wrote Grandma the Clown, which is just an old lady who's very sad about being old, but she's dressed as a clown. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a Charlie Kaufman thing. Um, all right. Where were we? Oh, Neo tries to find the Oracle, but, like, she's not there. That's a scene mm-hmm. that happens. Um, I guess we should just go to Zion already. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Because I really like the, the, the conversation between Neo and the council member. Well, here's here's the thing. A, I'll say this. I like that conversation. B, it is one of the most important parts of the movie <laughs> see it's kind of fucking boring <laughs> it's 
kind of weird. It's just like, let's just stop for fucking like five minutes and talk about these things, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, if the movie had maybe started on a better foot, I think you'd be more forgiving of a scene like this. But uh, nothing interesting has happened. Up to, there's just a lot of this in the front, you know? Yeah, I, I guess. Like, but, like, I'm so into the conversation. Like, this is one of the moments that should stop it dead in its tracks. But I really like it. But it also does stop the movie dead in its tracks. A, a like, I like it, but it does do that. Kind of. Like, but like I, I'm just so into it. Like, because it's, it's the whole conflict of the revolution, you know? Where it's like, yeah. you know, we're we escape these machines and we're trying to free people from these machines, but these machines are the ones we rely on to survive because of machines we created up above. And it's like, it's just paradox, this endless paradox of like, the struggle. Just, and like I said, I just think that like, if you're a general audience, it's going to be a frustrating moment. You know? Oh no, this, this film is definitely frustrating and we'll continue down that path. But like, I just, you don't hear conversations like that in movies that cost $150 million. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, I, I agree. It's a, I like it. It's just, but it's also like, you gotta remember, this is after like scenes of like, we're getting introduced to all these new characters in Zion who will not matter to the story of this film at all. Yeah. You know? Like they're all just being set up for this battle that's going to come later. And it's weird where it, because the battle doesn't happen in this movie, there's never really any tension from the machines digging to Zion, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, where it's like, that should be a really big threat. I think it says something that uh, one of the better calls made by the uh, the Lord of the Rings films is that, like, they don't show the army marching to, like, Gondor in two towers or anything, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, they, like we, we see the beginnings of the battle and the ends of it, you know? Whereas this one, it's like, yeah, these machines, this is going to be a problem. And everyone's kind of, like, other than that one guy, <laughs> it's like, people seem a lot calmer than you'd think. Yeah, um, and that that's an interesting character. I, I believe you're referring to um, uh, the, the security commander, right? Yeah, yeah, Link, is that it? No, no, uh, Locke. Locke. Commander Locke, Locke played by other. Harry Lennox. Harry, yes. Le Henry, Harry Lennox? I thought it was Henry Lennox. Have I been getting um, his name wrong this whole fucking time? Linux operating system? No. Uh, 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 anyways, <laughs> uh, I imagine Zack Snyder's a fan of these films because he cast him as uh, in a similar yeah. capacity in Man of Steel. And uh, his his role in the film is that he sucks. He's, he sucks, but also I he think there's like a, a fervently militant approach that the Wachowskis are, are like kind of rallying against where he's like, we need everyone to like sacrifice and... Yeah, and then Morpheus is like, "No, we don't." And even the one council member guy is like, "You know, like have a little faith in in, in your fellow man." Well, there's all these different faces of like what a revolution can be. You know, mm -hmm. like is it gonna be like sacrificing all our lives for a better tomorrow? Is it gonna be like wiping out our enemies? Like we're kind of getting a lot of that, and that goes into a lot of what the councilman speech is like. Well, what is freedom? What is peace? What is control? Like. Is it's not really you know peace or freedom if if you just like subjugate someone you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. uh, which it's like we're still we're always kind of tied we always have this connection and uh, but he just comes in and he just makes every wrong call you know yeah and it, it's it's that thing of like I, again to bring, bring it back to the Lord of the Rings the Lord of the Rings movies were like 
you know, I love the Ents in Lord of the Rings, but they're like written to be annoying and boring, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I can't really blame audiences when they come away finding them annoying and boring. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy, his whole thing is that he just kind of sucks. And also it's something of like, he's like, we need every ship. And it's like, what will that change? And it's like, wait, even with every ship, it won't matter. And then it's like, well, then what the fuck are we talking about? Yeah. Like, and I do think there's kind of a funny thing where like, he's a militant guy, but like the unspoken thing is that he's never fought in a war. <laughs> like, There's never been a battle, <laughs> like, which is kind of funny. Well, I don't know. Okay. We can get into that because the time periods are, a little shaky intentionally yeah. so and i think this is one of the strokes of pure and utter genius that this film has um but let's go let's let's stick to the the commander right now because he's probably fought like machines at some point but there's no like arena for a battle because they just yeah. kind of escape they're they're insurgents they're they're revolutionary so they he would just like burrow back underground he, it's like guerrilla warfare for them mm-hmm. there's there's no helms deep until revolutions you know they've never seen anything like that before and to be fair yeah. audience hadn't seen anything like that before either like on that scale i would argue mm. like lord of the rings kind of um and i would argue actually as much as i love revolutions that lord of the rings has has better battle sequences but like with the technology at their at the wachowski's disposal like the movement of the machines and the lighting and like the, the, the frames and the choreography. Uh, it's, it's still like wowed me. I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Movies can look like this mm-hmm. <laughs> with the right effort behind them. No, the battle I think looks fucking great. Yeah. Like the Chelsea's are underrated as like battle directors. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like Which I think is different than action directing. Like mm-hmm. it's, and they did a great job and they never really gotten a chance to do that at all again. Yeah, and like um, the the ship has sailed, um, but fuck, we totally missed out on a world where they do Star Wars. I guess, yeah. You never know. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. That, who knows where things are going? All right, but the point I wanted to make, uh, and we kind of do have to dump around with this because Reloaded is just that type of film. Mm-hmm. But here's why we would be bad for the revolution. Um, the only thing we can think of is attaching the Wachowskis to other projects. Ma- yeah. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had... This is why we're not getting unplugged from that Matrix. I guess so, but... Like, he, they're not even bothering Before I us. go into my, my huge rant about, like, the the the, the, the frailty and, and fakeness of the, the revolution that's guided by the architect, mm-hmm. um, it does suck that one of my thoughts at, at the Neo action stuff, I was like, fuck, they probably could have nailed Superman. <laughs> and i, I still stand might... by that but i'm also like glad that didn't happen not to be like these directors should have like that like they should have done xyz intellectual property but my big takeaway from this is then like man everyone should have just learned the lessons this movie taught and when they started making more franchises you know kind of yeah like this this gives us a great blueprint and then they just didn't do it i know all right uh, so the architect when when neo meets with him discovers that the one is not really the one. He is one of many ones, which makes Wait, are we him... skipping to the architect? I, I have to talk about this now because this is relevant to the to the Commander Locke stuff. I forgot to talk about, though, how uh, the, the whole speech about machines and what is control literally ends with the guy going like, I have no point. Yeah. 
Which I'm just saying, like, if you're an audience member, you're like, fuck this. <laughs> but that is kind of also the point of the movie, where it's like, just think about these things a little more. Do you mind if we... I want to save the architect. Can we come back to it when we, like, because we can talk about the battle a little more there, because then, like, we immediately jump into revolutions. Okay, okay, because I'm about to fucking, like, unload. All right, yeah, just we'll save it for that. Um, I wrote down awkward group orgy scene. No, no, you know what? Uh, I think the Wachowskis are brilliant at developing action protagonists and, and worlds because they give you an understanding of what these people are fighting for. No, 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 it's it's good stuff. I'm just saying that if you're going to have an orgy scene in a movie, you might want to give the audience a heads up. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool it's... with that, but I, I really think it's it's a beautiful scene where like Being these crowds of people are like fine. living life to the fullest. Being invited to an orgy is fine, but walking in on an orgy always feels awkward. <laughs> just, just, I just gotta throw that out there. All right, I'm gonna know, but it's like actually like a very important scene. Yeah, so, yeah. Because it is their way of like showing like the collective kind of like organism, you know, mm-hmm. of Zion and its people. But also we see that like Trinity and Neo are kind of off by themselves, which is kind of like setting up like quote-unquote the flaw you know mm-hmm. like that they like the, the difference here is like they've the the one has been designed to like have empathy with all humanity and that's what kind of keeps the control going but this time he's fallen in love with one specific person and they very much are acting apart from the uh the group orgy scene and that's basically what the climax of the movie is going to be <laughs> And the problem is that, like, again, like, the audience is just fucking checking out the moment the orgy's starting, like. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I love the scene. Like many scenes in Matrix Reloaded. It goes on a little long. It goes on way long. There's a lot of scenes in this that you're like, holy shit, this is still happening. Yeah. <laughs> like, Even, like, the fucking breathtaking highway scene. I'm like, okay, if you're going to make any scene in the movie too long, that's probably the one to do it. Mm-hmm. But it is a little long, and I started to get concerned. Like, fuck, I haven't seen Revolutions, like, all the way through in, like, ten years. Mm. Is this going to bum me out? And no, that didn't happen for Revolutions, just to be clear. Um, I was a little bummed to to walk away from Reloaded as much as I liked it to be like, yeah, you you probably could have tightened that up a lot. I think there maybe was just, like, they were like, no, this is not a rave. This is an orgy. Like, I think they just, because, like, it starts out, and you kind of be like, okay, they're kind of doing, like, some spiritual dancing, and then it just keeps going, and it's like, wow, they're really getting into it. <laughs> and then, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, there's a moment with that where that where it shifts a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, nine-year-old me could not tell what the fuck was going on. No, I was like, oh, they're all dancing, and then cut to yeah. Neon Trinity having sex, and I was like, oh. Yeah, everyone's having a party. <laughs> They're they're making out real hard. <laughs> oh, they're they're really getting into it. Really, you're really trying to be thorough. <laughs> um, Covering uh, all the nooks and crannies. Oh uh, yeah, um, you already covered uh, Neo and Trinity making out, which is a great scene. Um, then they get the message from the Oracle, and they have to go back into the Matrix. Um, and that's that's exactly where I wrote like the forty minute mark, like. <laughs> Um, and this is, all right, so I'm probably going to have mostly positive things to say going forward now. Okay. okay. So I got all the, like, kind of being a, a dick about it out of the way. Um, 
So we immediately go to... So they got to meet with the Oracle. We get the Seraph scene. Um, which I almost wish the movie had just fucking started here, honestly. Okay. <laughs> like, I think the movie could have just fucking started here. Because Neil walks into the room and, like, he's getting a different energy from him, which is, like... Again, it's visual. He doesn't, like, say anything. And... Um, and then they get into a fucking cool fight. <laughs> and then you're like, part of you is like, I, I have watched this scene with people and people get to the end of it and they're like, what was that about? And it, I'm like, no, no, it's very, like, this guy is like a protector. He's basically testing Neo to see if he's the one, you know, mm-hmm. like, he's like, I had to test you and I had to fight you. And that's the only way I know how to communicate. <laughs> like, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me too. It also makes sense when you start treating, like, he's, like, literally a program. He's a security program, you know? Mm -hmm. He's, like, a password screen, you know? (laughs) Like, you got to hit the right numbers. And, like, the way Neo does that is by kicking. Yeah, you got got a lock screen on your phone? That's Seraph. Yeah, you got to fight fucking Seraph, man. You putting in your password? That's him testing you. (laughs) So... I, that's I, I love that scene. Like, that's a great scene. I think some people feel like it's pointless. And then we immediately go from that, he opens the door, and then we get the idea of the, you know, the back doors, which is a real thing in computers, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, ever, there's back doors in the tons of systems. Yeah, and we're already yeah. seeing, like, the evolution of technology starting to influence the writing of the series and, like, the yeah. story directions, which I just found, like, so interesting. <laughs> but also what it's really doing, which is really important, is that it's growing the world of the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Which is what needs to happen. It's happening 40 minutes into this movie. <laughs> but it is happening. Um, and then we go to the scene with the Oracle. Um, which I really like. It's sadly the last scene. Um, with the Oracle's original actress, Gloria Foster. Yeah, shout out to her who's, who's so, so incredible in the role. And uh, unfortunately passed between the shooting of, of Reloaded and Revolutions. Mm-hmm. And this is and, and this is like again where she kind of gives some much needed, like this is exposition. I just feel like it's one. It's her performance. She's like got like such a warm presence to her, you know, mm-hmm. that like it really it it helps kind of make the scene work. And I love Neo's like, uh, like I'm not like gonna sit. And like she's like, all right, and then she just waits. <laughs> and then he sits down. He's like, I felt like sitting. <laughs> like I I just love. It's like one of the few moments that Neo kind of gets like his personality reinformed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of gives like some very like basic stuff where she's like, "Look, we're programs. You see programs all the time. They're angels. They're UFOs. They're stuff like that. And it's like those are programs behaving, which is establishing the stuff we're going to get into with the Merovingian, right? Right. And she's like, "Oh, and the path of the one ends at the the machine mainframe." door the door of light like it's all just like here's the very like point a point b point c like here's where the plot's going which gives the movie i think a better narrative thrust than what we've been dealing with for 40 minutes um did you notice that her, her candy is red i red did pills? Mm-hmm. yeah okay there you go like the red pill ha 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 mm. Jared, do you want to talk about the nature of choice um I think another reason why a film like Matrix Reloaded is so frustrating is for for the general audience, it's not why I think you and I find it frustrating. I think you and I are like on board with these ideas. Mm-hmm. It's a film about how choice is a lie, basically. Freedom is at least a lie. And I think choice choice can be 
misconstrued and and we can be misinformed on the choices we make because of powerful institutions and people who kind of leave a lot of our lives uh out of our hands and that you think you're making a choice but really that choice was made for you a long time ago and it was kind of the only choice you had mm-hmm. anyways this this movie's about how free will is 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 itself a construct yes but also it's like we're dealing with the debate of free will which is something that has been a debate for centuries <laughs> And it's like, all right, we're just going to slow down this blockbuster to deal with it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I if if we still don't really have an answer on free will in reality, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of ballsy for a movie to be like, all right, but I'm we're going to tackle it, <laughs> uh, which is which was what I kind of enjoy about it. Um, yeah, like I, I you... even now I still see people like dunking on this film on film Twitter. Not that it's undunkable by any means, but yeah. people like, oh, it stops dead in its tracks to explain like philosophy stuff. And it's like, no, 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 I like all of that. I wish it handled it better, but I also love these conversations. Yes. <laughs> so like, <laughs> wrong, wrong battle to fight, frankly, in my mm-hmm. opinion, for these. Uh, we should so also talk think? about Agent Smith, I guess. Think, do you think free will exists? I think if we choose... Answer me, you coward. I think if we choose <laughs> to believe it exists. Oh, sure. That's not a non-answer. <laughs> sure, buddy. <laughs> that, that was a good time to talk about Agent Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Smith dear Neo. Um, I will say, like... Uh, you get uh, a big moment of me when I kind of checked out of uh, the new atheist movement um, was when atheists started talking about biological determinism mm. <laughs> and how there's no free will because our minds just like already decide these things and that there's no real freedom and choice because they weren't saying it in like any sort of uh, revelatory way. They were kind of saying it in a like, and that's why we shouldn't fight the system kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, they were kind of saying it in a way that ne- Agent Smith talks about. Um, all right. Agent Smith showing up at this moment. How do you feel about it? I like it way more now than I ever did before. It's still not perfect, but I think his reintroduction after Neil is like, okay, I know the path I'm on now. It's all clear to me. Oh, whoa, Ed, what? <laughs> I, th- mm-hmm. I think that is... Um, his whole speech funny. is great, though. Oh, like, he's... He's fucking Compelled great. And I brought it up uh Sophie from Mars's video on the Matrix sequels. And also well, I haven't watched I didn't want to watch other people's stuff. You recommended a lot to me, and I didn't want to rot watch other people's stuff. No, it's totally uh, fair. Uh her uh her approach along with I also should give credit to Sarah Zedig, who assisted with that video, and it cuts between both of them uh elaborating their points and uh it's it's this wonderful thesis about the sequels and there's a moment in the film that's left in where you see the the camera and light reflection on Agent Smith's glasses on one side and the other side is Neo. Mm. Did you catch that? No, I did not. They go on to elaborate on a whole other like theory about the films themselves being about audience's perception to like the chosen one narratives. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And about free will and how like if someone's always watching you, like is that gonna guide your own choices? And it's it's fucking great. Just go watch it. I'm not gonna elaborate 
all the way through their own points. That's the thing. Like we, like I, I made the point the other one. We're the wrong two idiots to talk about the deeper philosophical implications of the film. <laughs> but there's a lot of great stuff out there to find. Yeah, I took one philosophy class in college, so. I took philosophy in high school and I failed. Yeah, I'm starting to realize the more I'm talking to other people from other parts of the of the world and country that my high school might have done me a little dirty because of they're like, oh yeah, I read this. Everyone read Slaughterhouse Five. I didn't read Slaughterhouse Five. <laughs> what what happened? I will say I, I I you know what I think I've told this story, but like um, I was a bad student and I wasn't allowed to like. There was there was weird rules about like what books you could read in certain classes based on like your your grade percentage, and uh, only straight A students were allowed to read certain books. And like out of spite, I would always read them, even though it mattered nothing to my grade. <laughs> like just to, like so like I ended up reading like a lot of great works of literature because the stuff they would fucking make you read when they think you're a dunce is like the weird like young adult like version of something you know. Mm-hmm. And, like, those books suck. I'm glad I never really had a young adult phase, you know? Like, I know a lot of people, like, God bless them, that, like, gave them their love of reading and stuff like that. But I, I like, went from, it was, like, Goosebumps, Harry Potter for a week, and then immediately into Stephen King. (laughs) Like, I'm glad that was my trajectory. Because young adult fiction sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, fuck off, Chuck Wendig. Um. Oh, this. Yeah, that guy. I think he blocked me. He he blocked me too. He. I think he blocked a lot of people who were not fond of a certain political candidate in the lead up to the 2020 election. Oh yeah. Was he the one that was like, I can't wait to sit on my porch drinking chick, fucking like a milkshake or something? Yeah, he, he was the one who was like, wouldn't you rather have a a great mom president than an abusive dad? He was one of the dudes who, like, clearly needed to talk to someone, like, professionally and not <laughs> vent their thoughts on Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, uh, there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. That's, that's, there's more to unpack there than when Agent Smith straight up calls the Oracle mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> like, good lord. All right, I have a take on Agent Smith, though. Okay. For the um, record, just for anyone listening, you're like, hey, this is a long episode. Um, the the audio versions will be uncut. The YouTube version will be split down the middle uh, when we officially move to Revolutions just because, yeah, I, yeah it's, this is a lot, but we're going to keep no going. There's no way these episodes weren't going to be epic because also even the next one, even if we come out of the next one like having no fucking idea what Resurrections was even about, I'm going to have to spend a lot of that time talking about The Matrix Online. <laughs> yeah. So these episodes are going to be uh, a lot. I hope you enjoy our babbling. Yeah, because if um, not, too fucking bad. <laughs> um, Agent Smith is the protagonist of life. You're you're gonna have to elaborate. <laughs> All right, you know that tweet where it's like, "What does this mean to me?" The protagonist of life. Oh. That's the only way Agent Smith can view anything. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Which is why he just keeps duplicating himself. He doesn't see anything inherent in the universe. He only understands the universe through himself, which is like what makes him a complete contrast to Neo. You know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, whenever he sees anything, he's like, yeah, but how can I make it me? Because I'm, I'm, the, I'm the protagonist of life. So it's got to be me. 
And so he keeps spreading like a literal like cancer. <laughs> and you know, some people might say, "Wow, that's not a very like insightful comment about society." But a lot of people tend to miss this, so maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it is because a fucking guy who looks like he's a fucking agent from the Matrix built his whole political philosophy out of basically siding with Agent Smith. Whoever are you referring to? Um, a guy with a 12-step program. <laughs> mm. Was it 12? I don't even remember. Our boy Jordan, Jordan Peterson. Joyden Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> Agent Smith is on a strictly meat diet. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, God, I would love that. Which is why that's what happened between the end of The Matrix and the beginning of The Matrix Reloaded. He was in a meat coma. So, you know what? I kind of wanted, like, here's the thing. Like, not to be, like, again, I should not write anything Matrix-related. I would fuck it up. But if you were going to do the, with the Matrix 4, which is coming, and if you were going to bring Hugo Weaving back, which it appears like he's not back, uh... I would love for, like, like Neo was unplugged and kind of freed from the Matrix, that Smith, too, is still freed, but he's, like, he's just living, like, a boring human life now. He has no memory of being an agent, and, like, he keeps trying things to make himself better, and he just can't do it. Like, he always ends up doing the wrong thing, <laughs> and so he is kind of like a Jordan Peterson type in, like, this new Matrix world. Like, that's this, the weird future he's made for himself. <laughs> he's just writing books. He's eating meat all the time. <laughs> like, Because it's, a, it's, a, it's a pure protein. It's manly. Yeah. It's very masculine. You can't, you can't have any signs of femininity or non-masculine conformity. That makes you weak. I mean, at one weak. point, it's literally, this movie literally goes like, well, the father figure, the architect, is order, and the mother figure the oracle is chaos and like that's jordan peterson's whole thing mm -hmm. except he's like the chaos is bad <laughs> like, and it's like that's why you should hate your mother <laughs> for telling you to clean your goddamn room bucko <laughs> like god Yeah, I got nothing is about he still, that. Is he still relevant? Didn't he end up in, like, a hospital? Yeah, no, the, <laughs> like, the, the joke about the meat coma is real. Yeah, like, he really ended up in a meat coma. Although, is that a cover for something? It might be, because he was right. hiding out in, in some country in Eastern Asia for, like, See, like a there's year. there's something more. There's something more going on there. No, no, totally. But, like, he was like, definitely in hiding for a while, and I'm curious yeah. about that. It's like when they used to say Babe Ruth ate too many hot dogs. Like, they didn't want to be like, kids, he's fucking a drunk slob. Yeah. Like, there's something going on there. Uh, but he doesn't seem as relevant anymore. Does he still have a following? I'm sure he does, like, but they're also, like, underground now. I think they've all just, like, migrated to QAnon. Like, everyone's less... Yeah, that like, probably as, makes sense, yeah. Ascended to QAnon. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. Right, the, the weird thing about the Agent Smith fight, though, is that, like, it's a cool fight, and then Neo just flies away at the end. Yep, it's, it's one of the instances in the film where you're like, okay, maybe that that didn't need to go on as and long. I, I think there was some story about, like, they had, like, a completely different idea of how to do the fight, and, like, they shot most of it, and then at some point someone was like, this is actually impossible to do, <laughs> like... 
we can't do this with the technology we have today. So they had to like redo the whole fight. And the fight does kind of feel like it was a little thrown together. It's a pretty good fight considering, mm-hmm. but yeah. Now, that I makes sense. I haven't heard that, but that makes sense. Uh, back to the Bill Pope thing. He mentioned that certain sequences on the first Matrix, like regarding the bullet time effects, that the Wachowskis wanted to, uh, like they described to him that like, we want a camera that can pan and whip around in like a split second so we can track the movement of an actual bullet. And like, it sounded feasible, like, because he was like, oh, yeah, yeah okay, let me let me try to rig something up. And then like the cameras would like fly off the rails, the, <laughs> the film reels would snap off. And, and he was like, look, I, I'm sorry, I don't know how to do that. And I guess some 26 year old ki- kid from like Massachusetts was like, oh, yeah, look, you just set up these four different like um, still cameras and you can do this. And I guess it's like the 3D effect that you can kind of do. Yeah, right? yeah. And then they match that with like the digital technology and the VFX to like track it. So it looks like you're seeing the eye of a machine watching what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's how you create bullet time. And it's like mind blowing. So basically the, the all that's a long winded way of saying, yeah, it makes sense that they were, were like kind of punching above their, like the possible weight class of technology for these films, which is a good you know thing. Who, you know, I, 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 that's why I love them. You know, who's like a dark doppelganger of uh, the Wachowskis in this instance. I, I don't know. Um, Uwe Boll. Um, who what did a the lot of fuck his, like, are you talking about? He did a lot of like his weird, like, like very like shitty bullet time in movies like House of the Dead. Have you ever seen any of his shit? Oh, like we have a history. <laughs> yeah, like there's like you know where the camera's spinning around. And, like I remember reading about like they had built some rig, kind of like what you're describing, like the first version that would like fall apart and like you know like the cameras would like whip off of it and shit like i guess they built that for house of the dead and used it and then like they were required by like osha to destroy it after using it because it was so dangerous oh my god (laughs) i remember reading something like that about house of the dead there's all these weird like shots of that movie where like the camera spins around people and shit that's the shots where like he edits the video game into the fucking movie. Yeah, I that dude. I'm glad he doesn't make movies anymore. Not because I don't like his movies. He just seems like an asshole. Oh yeah, but he does make movies. What? He still makes he them? No. Yeah, I think they just don't really get released anymore. Oh, okay. well, that's probably for the best. Because I think it was that thing where like all his movies were like a fucking tax scam. <laughs> like, that was that was what kind of came out about him. Wow. Remember? Like they were like used to like launder money and like exploit like German finance laws and then I guess those laws got changed wow so hey beat the system no not even <laughs> close uh, so you have you have thoughts about about the fight it's just yeah just it's it's okay I guess yeah. is what I'm saying I know some people really hate it and, yeah, um, it's um, it is not it's very a beloved. Tension, it's it's very attention free, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and I guess that's the problem I think with a lot of the scenes in this movie is there's just like not a lot of tension going on for huge chunks of it. Um, I don't know if I have anything else to really add to that. I don't know. I think a lot of it does come down to the unfortunate middle chapter syndrome you hear about trilogies a lot, 
Yeah. I think it's like Dark Knight, Empire Strikes Back, Godfather Part 2 that don't have that. And Godfather Part 2 was never meant to lead into a Part 3 initially. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, it's it, it's bound to happen more often than not is what I'm saying. Oh, did I lose you? No, no, no. I just I, I couldn't think of what to say next. Okay, yeah. I just, um... Yeah, I don't know. Like, Two Towers, I would argue, doesn't have middle chapter syndrome either. Or Spider-Man I mean, I 2. I Two Towers does. Oh, well, you um, don't need to talk anymore then. That's fine. Well, it's weird. The other one I would throw out is, like, Last Jedi. But, like, Last Jedi is weird where it's, like, it's still kind of the first chapter. <laughs> yeah. Like, part of the part of the flaw of, of Force Awakens is that it's only kind of, like, half of the first chapter. Yeah. And then I think Last Jedi is, like, the other half. But, like, it works in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And then the only way to fuck that up is if you really fucked up the third one. Yeah. Good thing that didn't happen. Yeah. People are going to reclaim that fucking movie. It's, uh, I don't know. Probably, but... I don't Figures know. will make some fucking movie that people like, and then everyone's like, actually, we've been misjudging the man. I've seen people say it's the best directed Star Wars film, which is a lie. Those people now in a prison? <laughs> no, but they should be. They should be plugged into the Matrix. <laughs> We should use their life force as batteries because they're not using yeah. their brain. Yeah, we got. If we have to start making a list of like who's going in first. It's those guys. No, because <laughs> <laughs> they'll probably be the most susceptible to the program. Frankly, <laughs> <laughs> fucking people. Um. All right, now we got to meet the Merovingian. We, we kind of talked sucks. about him already, and he's um, he's just very French. Yeah, he talks about causality a lot, and it's also like a weird like we're getting a lot of different interpretations of like what is free will and what is choice like what really matters at the end of the day mm-hmm. and Merovingian he's like who leads like a very hedonistic lifestyle is of course like falls on like eh, cause and effect it's just that shit I think he gives the cake roofie which is like so disgusting honestly yeah like it, that's another weird one <laughs> he's like oh I designed it myself and it's like this is I feel like I shouldn't be watching this mm-hmm. <laughs> almost um and back in the, the first Matrix retrospective, you mentioned that, like, you felt maybe that the, the villains were maybe a little weak sauce. Or not not the villains, but, like, you know, the you open the first Matrix with Trinity killing cops. And then this one, it's like, there's, there's some instances of cops hanging around, mostly in the highway chase, but it's not really a main focus of this film. Yeah. I think I would have agreed had I not just rewatched it. I think it makes sense for for that to make to take a back seat for this one, at mm-hmm. least, because now the focus is on like, like uh, class, I guess more. Not that not that yeah, the first yeah. one wasn't, but like this one's very much punching at the upper class, the people who don't even I have to worry saying. about that. Yeah, I I could have just used one cop just biting it. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, totally. There's, there's a couple security guards that get it, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Um. What was I? All right, now, I guess here's here's uh, if I like I said if I had to rewrite this shit, which I shouldn't. Like I'm not. I'm just fucking throwing ideas out there. Um, I kind of wish that this big staircase fight was like the first time Neo kind of like got into a real fight in the movie. Um, because we've entered. Like I said, we're in like the Merovingian underworld like he's basically 
It's like, well, the, he's from an earlier version of the Matrix, which is like when we're starting to get the ideas that not only was there the first perfect Matrix, which was introduced in the first one, there was also this other one. That's where the Merovingian comes from. And I don't know. I just, I wish that like Neo could maybe go into this fight thinking like, oh, I, 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 can, t- I, I can beat agents. I can take these guys. And the Merovingian's like, well, we're not from the Matrix, so we don't even have to live to the rules of the matrix so we could actually fucking kick your ass Mm -hmm. and so i don't know maybe would have made the fight a little more tense it's a cool fight i like that staircase fight yeah that's the thing it's Uh, not very tense but holy fuck it's so fucking cool (laughs) yeah yeah and you know what shout out to don davis um like the next like the final 45 minutes of this film are just him just fucking going off on the score it is like non-stop some of the the greatest music you'll ever hear in a blockbuster mm-hmm. um it, it's it's remarkable stuff and like but that's also kind of it to talk about with that fight you know i mean it's like yeah. oh yeah so cool all I right like, like <laughs> I do like when they unload the clip at him and the guy's Mervin is like, oh, you're just a fucking idiot. Like, you're nothing like your predecessors, which is a weird... that I, I actually had never picked up on that, that he's like, your predecessors did much better, uh-huh. which is something I just never picked up on. Me too, me too. Th- that he just straight up says that, uh, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they unload the clip and he stops all the bullets and then he's like, all right, you got some skill. Mm-hmm. Like, that's pretty funny. Um, and then they get they get chased by the ghost twins... Yeah, those are fun henchmen. Don't know what the they're deal fun. is there. No, they're ghosts. Although, again, to talk about like a, thing, a movie that's a little confusing, like we see them get shot, and then they can do the ghost thing, and it heals themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So when they blow up at that one scene, you're like, wait, are they dead or not? I know. <laughs> like, it's so weird. It's so many like weird little things like that that add up, mm-hmm. you know? Or like, I love uh, the scene where uh, Trinity traps them on the door and then she starts shooting their arm. And it's like, mm-hmm. like they could have just phased through that though, right? <laughs> mm. Well, I don't know. Maybe there's something about that guy being stuck. I don't know. Yeah, the I, other I guy don't really through. understand it either, but I, I love the action with them. The fight in the car is a really good moment. The whole when, here you go. The whole highway chase is is fucking grandstanding ovation worthy. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just constantly some of the the coolest shit ever. Uh, and and there's a thankfully, the film Twitterverse picked up on the one scene where Matrix or where Matrix where John <laughs> Matrix where, where, <laughs> where Morpheus. Gets out of the car and he he faces the twin vehicle head on, pulls out his samurai sword and <laughs> his his Glock, and then he slices the sword against the vehicle, makes it flip over, and as it turns over, he shoots at the bottom of the engine, makes the vehicle explode, and I think the caption was like, "Every shot in this scene is the greatest shot ever until the next successive greatest shot ever." <laughs> Um, Mythbusters time, shooting a car engine like that wouldn't cause it to explode. Oh, okay. Busted. Well, this movie film is sucks. bad now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was one of the early things they did on Mythbusters. Um, oh, like verbatim, like approaching this scene. Yeah, like I, I think they use this scene as the example. Oh, like, yeah, the scene with the, the ghost twin assassins, and they're like, you know, this car yeah. wouldn't explode like that. Okay. That's pretty fucking yep. funny. Mythbusters had its place. No, no, no. I, I am not yeah. anti-Mythbusters. You know, I just think that is you know, very uh, funny. Adam Savage worked on these movies. 
Oh, that's great. It's one of his last things he did before Mythbusters. Um, so there's a connection. Yeah. Um, yeah, the car chase rules. I like that the agents show up. Like, like it's weird, like to see like the different people chasing each other and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I love fun. I like that Neo. Like, it's that one thing where like I think he's uh, Link tells him he's he's five hundred miles on the other side of the world or something like that. Yeah. When he takes off the fly, so it makes sense that it takes him like oh a good like ten minutes to get there, <laughs> which is still insanely fast. But that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I gotta say. Favorite character in the movie? Probably the key maker. Oh, he's so lovable. I, I fucking love this guy. Yeah. I just love that he's just he's just has all those keys. Mm-hmm. And he's just got that great moment where Trinity's like, I need you to tell me you had a hot wire, and then like he just pulls a key out. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, Oh, never mind. Oh no, he's great. And there's this overhead shot when he's escaping, he's like, I will not go back. And then oh, Trinity yeah. and Morpheus chasing after him. And it's this overhead shot of him opening the doors. There's a lot of like anime influence on this series, obviously. That shot is, like, straight out of an anime. Like, I don't know why, yes. but the image, I could just see it, like, in animation format. With the little dude with a bunch of keys just jogging down the hallway for his life. And I don't know why, that just screamed anime to me. I don't know, but I, lo- I love that little guy. I love that, yeah. Yeah, he, sh- he shouldn't have died. Well, they should have taken was... him to the real world. Put him it in Harry Lennox's body. Probably. Um, I think that's the moment where you're kind of like this system's also oppressive against the programs too, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like which is kind of one of the through lines throughout these movies. Yeah, where it's like, well, oh. wait, if the programs like are also inhabiting this system, then do they all are they also just meant to to mm-hmm. like orchestrate what they're ordered to do, or do they also are they also capable of like their own free will if they want mm-hmm. it, like? What what is, what is the extent of that? And I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean, like, the film made me think about that. Yeah, yeah. Which, I can't think of the last blockbuster that made you do that. Yeah, you know, because, like, so often, like, something like Terminator, it's, it's much more clear-cut about, like, the machines being, like, just a system of oppression and, like, evil. Yeah. And that's, that's totally fine. That's what those movies are going for. But here it's like, no, no, no. If there's, like, artificial intelligence, that's still intelligence. That is still something that is, like, a tangible, like entity that thing exists now they probably deserve a little more than we're getting and so something like the animatrix i think it was the animatrix that taps into like oh the machines were like oppressed before and so some machine uprising was in itself a revolution yeah the second renaissance yeah um, from the animatrix we would talk about the animatrix but we do not have fucking time. Yeah, we're already like two and a half hours into this, so I apologize everyone. But speaking of uh long time to do something, an hour and 38 minutes into the movie we finally get a shot of the Sentinels digging. <laughs> well, you know. You know. They're just catching. There's, there's how you order some scenes uh mm-hmm. can affect how a film flows, you know. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I was I, I made that comment in the first Matrix about how I thought, like, oh, you know, I could have used more, like, you know, fighting authority. I forgot that, the, that a big part of this movie was them blowing up a nuclear power plant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is, uh, hey, <laughs> 2003, that's pretty wild. Yeah. I don't think we remember that basically we stopped building nuclear power plants for a while after 9-11. Mm-hmm. I'm sure George Bush had no ulterior motives to stop the rise of nuclear power and make oil more necessary. Hmm. 
I will say, this is something that always bugged me as a kid. And it's like, uh, like, I get it now, but like, it's so weird. We're like the, the keymaker gives the whole speech about like, we have to do these things at this exact time or it won't work. Right. Right. And so we can't make a single mistake. And then of course something happens that like derails it. And as a kid, I'm like, well, it's already fucked up. Like, why bother? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get like, as a kid, I was like, oh, I thought he said if it didn't go right, they lost. And then it didn't go right. So I'm like, oh shit, they lost. <laughs> that always kind of confused me as a child. Um, yeah, Neo tells Trini not to go into the Matrix because he thinks she's going to die and she has to go in because the fucking the shit happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and Neo meets the architect after the Keymaker is killed by many Agent Smiths. Well, we forgot, we, yeah, we forget that Smith showed up in the back back room. Um, backroom Smith. <laughs> he almost turns Morpheus too. Yeah, that that's a scene. That feels like something that you're like, oh shit, that might actually happen. Then you're like, wait, I know how the sequel goes. Like mm-hmm. that. There you go. But that scene is a little tense. Still, I was like, oh yeah. shit. Well, because the, the Smith in this is kind of like this weird. Like we don't really know what he's doing. You know, mm-hmm. like, like we get an which... early instance of some other uh, of the Freedom Fighters. They're, they're getting the call to exit the Matrix. And they're like, did you see that? I've never seen an agent do that before. All right, you first. And then the other guy gets it, who comes back into play later. Mm. But it's like, you, you're you not seeing it. So we don't know what they're reacting to yet. But there, I think it's at least like, it at least works in some capacity because we can tell that they're scared. You know, mm-hmm. we get an emotion out of it that's easier to like latch onto other than the machines are digging at fire. <laughs> like, like, you know. <laughs> Um, the architect scene is the best scene in the movie. Okay. Um. All right. I mean, unless uh, you're a weak idiot, let me <laughs> <laughs> let me explain a lot <laughs> right now. Like the architect did. Yes. Ergo, if you understand the original Matrix, you are now ready to understand the Matrix Reloaded. Do you remember the one of the first instances in the original Matrix is passing through a view screen similar to the one the architect has? Yes, yes. Yeah. I know where you're going with this. So, yeah. the, so the Matrix is all about not just control, free will, identity, revolution, anti-capitalism, anti-fascism. <laughs> it, bless you. Also, it is about that there are beings in control that will always... Like, Big Brother is out there, but it's not, like, it's not something that's tangible, which is why I think uh, that video essay I brought up was so invested in the the idea that, like, Smith himself is being watched and Mm -hmm. viewed, and that he's trying to gain control over himself by taking control of everything. Now, the architect scene, I don't know if it's the best scene in the movie. It is far from the worst, and I think it's actually quite good. Now, my reaction to it this time was like, okay, I've been into like all these other monologue stuff. I'll probably be into that because obviously everyone remembers the architect scene. It's not something you forget, but it did hit me like a freight train where I was just like, oh shit, like this is just the scene. Like it's it's them talking, and there's some like really great like visual play here 
where they're mm-hmm. passing through the screen back to Matrix to, to uh, <laughs> I keep calling people in the Matrix <laughs> like, to Neo's reactions. Every like evolving reaction he has shifts the the perspective of of the audience into another screen inside the wall of the architect's screens. And it just keeps going that way. <laughs> and it's like, Neo is so insignificant. He is so small and worthless in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. If he keeps following down a certain path. This is a genius move in a franchise film. Oh no, it's great. It is I mean, you so about the- fucking brilliant. It is so ridiculously exciting to have an idea that's genuinely challenging and a follow-up to one of the most popular films of all time. Not, I mean, even this, the first shot is fantastic where he walks through the door of light and, like, you know, the screen fills with light. He basically ascends, you know. Mm-hmm. We get, like, a brief, like, 2001 moment. Like, we see the whole universe for, like, half a second. Yeah. And then the camera just keeps pulling out, and then it's like, nope, it's a TV screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's fucking great. Yeah, and no, you know? that's not the universe. It is the universe... <laughs> ergo the matrix (laughs) it is a universe inside of universes which also brings out the idea that like just because this place isn't real and it is a system meant for control doesn't mean it can't be so much more than that if it was allowed to flourish on its own which is another idea that comes up at the end of revolutions Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it just keeps going. You keep going down the rabbit hole. Like in the first Matrix, Morpheus is like, see how far the rabbit hole goes. And it's like almost 20 years on and we're still seeing how far it goes. <laughs> Anyways, this movie broke my brain. All right. Um, not to be like, I don't know, a, a douche or something. I don't know what I'm going to be, but... uh. 10 years old in the theater watching this, I totally understood this scene. Okay. Not in a, like, like where we're getting like now where it's like, man, it just goes deeper and deeper and shit like that. Like, I I have this weird comparison where it's like, I watched 2001 A Space Odyssey when I was really young, and I got the movie, but I couldn't, like, explain it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, you, you can mentally understand, like, what's happening. Like, I, my brain got it. But like I couldn't if I if you put me down and be like explain what that movie's about I probably couldn't say it. Um, I like that's why the architect scene like really worked for me and probably why like I didn't walk out of the movie negative like other people maybe did. And but the most important thing is like a like he, he drops all this deep stuff on there but he he throws out like very specific stuff that I can't believe audiences like couldn't keep up with that. Where it's just like, he really, if if you only want to look at him from a functional level, his job is to point out, like, uh, that you're, like, the sixth time we've done this, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that there's multiple matrices, we've done this over and over again, this narrative is a form of control in and of itself, and now you got to make the choice, And did right? you catch this? This is the other thing I wanted to bring up with the architect earlier. This is the other thing I wanted to bring up also regarding um, what people have thought in the revolutions and whatnots, right? Mm-hmm. Did you catch that because it's like the sixth time or whatever? It is not the the years of 2100. It is like almost the year 2900 at this point. Yeah, yeah. These people don't even know that that this struggle's been going on for longer than it has been. It yeah. is <laughs> like no one talks about that. I don't know if a lot of people caught that. And I I'm willing to concede that that might be a flaw of the film. 
not a not a like groundbreaking one, not not a game changing one, but like something that maybe could have used a little more emphasis as well. Well, one thing I I will say that is a little confusing, just in terms of like lore, like this doesn't really matter in terms of the movie. Like the architect's like, look, we're gonna destroy all this stuff. You get to select twelve humans at the start over, right? I think that's the number he says. Yeah, something like that. I also think he do- he pulls like a Doctor Strange love where he's like. Uh, you got to pick X number of women. You have to pick more women than guys, right? Mm-hmm. So that you can procreate more, which is straight up from Dr. Strangelove when he's like, we got to have 10 females to each male, which is like a classic, like, oh, we're fucking ourselves into extinction, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, classic Kubrick shit. Um, I think in the lore of the Matrix that every time the Matrix resets, it jumps back to the beginning of the 20th century, right? Mm-hmm. So that means it's about a hundred years every time. I'm not sure if that timeline really makes sense. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's really enough to uh, populate Zion to the levels of that, even if you're freeing tons of people, you know? You know, this is a problem I have with a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction, because I, I think you're right. And another mm. show I brought up on here a lot is The Hundred, and that show is like, we haven't been on the ground on Earth in a hundred years because of nuclear war, and it's not habitable anymore. And it turns out the nuclear war wasn't that bad, and tribes of humanity still existed, and they now they have their own languages and their own culture, and it's like, could you do all that in a hundred years? <laughs> like, I don't think yeah. that's accurate. I don't, I don't like, I like think big people shifts can happen, but, it, it, you know, and... It also feels like part of it is like you're supposed to be like, well, there's distances between each collapse and rebuilding of Zion, so like the new generation won't remember, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. again, closer to 2,900 than 2,100. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I don't know, there's, a, there's something a little off about that in terms of lore, like that's, but that's just lore bullshit, so it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, I see some people get like close but no potato with it on uh, YouTube in, like, the comment section where they think that every time the Matrix reset, it literally goes back to the beginning of human history. Mm. <laughs> so that, like, the Matrix, every form of the Matrix lasts for, like, thousands of years. And I'm like, that's not how it really works. But, hey. <laughs> also, like, uh, you know, it's, it's the thing in the first Matrix where Morpheus is telling Neo, like, have you ever had a dream that you were so convinced was real? Because, like, it's something that hey, Inception hey. will also tap into. Where, like, you, your dreams, you don't really remember how you got there, but it, it, you don't question it either because it's not something you're thinking about because you're in the moment. And so that's, like, the system of control inside the Matrix. You're not going to think about how you woke up this morning, you know? Speaking of having a dream that you thought was real, I'm not even joking. Fucking last night, I had the fucking most terrifying dream. Was this about the werewolves? No, it was not about the werewolves. Okay. No, because it was, like, very real. I, it was me driving my car and I drove it off a bridge on accident <laughs> yeah and like I hit something and my car went like flying off a bridge and I was like in the car like falling as it's like spinning it's like a high bridge like you know like like like, I'm fucking, like the golden gate bridge or some shit yeah yeah and it's like I'm spinning in this car and I'm like Jesus Christ I like literally was like this is how I fucking die I thought it was fucking real like it was, and then the worst part is that I kind of whipped me out. It's like, the maybe it's just a fucking dream. Maybe it's just a fucking dream. Maybe it's just a fucking dream. And like I'm trying to get myself to wake up, and I'm not waking up. And then I wake up, and then I was like, Jesus fucking Christ! 
So that's my way of saying I woke up at 3 a.m. today and couldn't get back to sleep. Okay. So it's been a weird day. All right. <laughs> Which might explain some of my energy on this episode. Yeah. Um, Neo chooses to save Trinity. Yes, because he makes he a choice so regardless of whether or not someone made it for him. Yeah. And he, he, he rewrites the Matrix to be able to pump her heart again after she's shot yeah he's going full jesus mode yeah it's you know someone goes sicko mode he's going jesus mode (laughs) is that george costanza meme (laughs) i gotta get into jesus mode oh no (laughs) i've been rewatching seinfeld and you know what the fucking saddest thing is i see a lot of people in my life that i can like correlate to george costanza Mm. My family calls me George Costanza. <laughs> you know, everyone relates to to George and Elaine from Seinfeld. I think we're gonna pivot into like Kramer after the pandemic. Oh no, there's a ton of Kramers out there. Yeah. <laughs> Remember my friend Mo Atta. <laughs> <laughs> oh Christ! Oh, the best. Best piece of comedy in the 21st century. <laughs> um, but I but, thought he just write to his congressman. <laughs> like you can hear Kramer saying it. Like <laughs> it's so good. What a brilliant, <laughs> what, what a brilliant. Um, but the the Matrix Reloaded. Uh, I, I I think the ending's uh, a, a little flat. I like that he saves her. No, I no, no that's great. Just, that's great. I love. I it. wish it had ended there. Um, but then we got to get out of the matrix and then, uh, there's the cool moment. I think it's a fine note to end on with him destroying the, uh, sentinels, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of the matrix, which he's never done before. Yeah. I remember that. Like when I was younger being like, Whoa, wait. Like, cause I was like, Oh cool. He, he, yeah. The, the matrix thing got it. Oh, he's not in the matrix. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) And that leads to that stupid debate that people still have where it's like, maybe he is still in the matrix. Yeah, anyone who argues that is is an idiot. I'm sorry. Yeah, That's not no. what the movie's saying. It's again close but no potato. Like like kinda, you know, he's still in a system of control. It's just he's not physically in a matrix. Mm-hmm. Like um but hey, and then it just keeps going and it just ends on the worst possible shot ever. Well, also we have to mention that they explain that the uh, the counterattack that Commander Locke was doing to stop mm-hmm. the machines was sabotage. Not that it was it, it looked like it was going to be a pretty picture after anyways, but it was intentionally sabotaged with an EMP and the surviving machines wiped out the fleet. And the person responsible for that, who, who they believe might be responsible for that, is now in a coma across from an unconscious Neo. Uh, and that is Agent Smith inside the human's body that he inhabited earlier. To be concluded. Yeah. Um, yeah, bad shot to end the movie. Yeah, I remember a lot of, of sequels before they led into like their, their third final chapter. They had a lot of big cliffhangers. Halo 2 had a big one that was criticized, and I always thought that one was awesome. It's like, sir, I'm going to finish this fight. Oh, there you go. That's what the third one's about. It's just It's a third act, whatever. Uh, Attack of the Clones has a big cliffhanger. I think that one wraps up fine. Two Towers That one's just fine. weird where it's like, begun now the clone war has and also like that shot was in like every trailer so it is a little weird when like the last shot of your movie is the 
in every trailer for the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, stop doing um, that. To all the marketers listening to this very popular podcast, stop doing that, please. Yeah. I think it would be nice if maybe, like, you just go, hey, let's only use footage from the first half of the movie in our trailer. Um, if you want to know like something could... really cool, apparently the Matrix Revolution or Resurrection is using a lot of stuff just from, like, the first hour. That's pretty cool. Yep. Can't wait to watch the seven-hour movie. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. I mean, compared to what usually fucking happens, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. No, I fucking hope. I'm, it's going to be good. At this point, you can't convince me that movie's going to be bad. Yeah. Like, I'm, like, if I'm a Jupiter Ascending Defender, <laughs> like, I'm, there's a good chance I'm going to like it. It's just, it's one of those things where, like, if... If it's bad, I won't be able to admit it. Like, I'm at that point, you know? (laughs) Okay, hello, everyone. Uh, If you're listening to this on the YouTube, then you will notice that this episode has been split into two episodes, which is probably normal and fine because we're talking about two movies. But if you're on SoundCloud and Spotify, welcome back. We took a little break. Uh, Matt, Matt broke his computer, um, and his hand. I thought I was getting messages telling me I was in the Matrix, so I threw the computer across the room. And then he punched it, hence the broken hand. Yeah, you know. But now we're back to talk Matrix Revolutions, the final chapter in the original Matrix trilogy. We're back. You, you know, you know who's involved. It's all the same people. It's all the same people. <laughs> and Bruce Spence. And and Bruce Spence. Okay. Um, the Matrix Revolutions grossed $427.3 million against a $150 million budget. Uh, it's currently rocking a rotten on Rotten Tomatoes of 35% based on 217 mm. reviews with an average rating of 5.30 out of 10. Is that the uh, critic reviews? That's the critic reviews. And the consensus reads, it's a disappointing conclusion to the Matrix trilogy as characters and ideas take a backseat to the special effects. Mm-hmm. Matt, do you know who did go to bat for this film? Before we get into whether or not we agree, but I'm pretty sure you know who gave this three out of four stars. Uh, Roger Webert. Yep. <laughs> Despite offering criticisms of his own, on the grounds that it at least provided closure to the story well enough so that fans following the series would prefer seeing it as to not. Man, that that was a that was a bad call on Ebert's part. You like think not, so? not not in terms of the movie, just that like the fans would be happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> I but here's the thing. Did Ebert find time to bring up Dark City again? I don't know, let me check. But here here's the thing. It's not like, like when people say like, oh, they made this for the fans. They really mean like, well, it's not very challenging, but you're going to be happy because they reference stuff that you recognize, right? Yeah. That's what we do now. I think the true fans of the Matrix, like who are in it for more than just the original Matrix, like when when they're engaged with the the challenging ideas of the sequels, Mm -hmm. I think he was right. I think most of the people who negatively reviewed this film are cowards. And uh-huh. even though, like, I do, I did like Reloaded a lot. Um, I, I definitely, um, emotionally, that film keeps me like at a distance. Still, mm-hmm. 
I think Matrix Revolutions is one of the greatest blockbusters ever made. And I, I think it's at least one of the best directed blockbusters like of the 21st century. Yes. It's uh, incredibly well done. Um, yeah, I don't... I, well, I try to, like... I, you have to, like, put yourself kind of what everyone's mindset was at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, I think there's a phenomenon in film discourse that no one is immune to. Um, you can think you are, but you're not. Where you're writing... When, whenever you, you're reviewing a sequel, or not even a sequel, but, like, a director's next film... What you're really reviewing, you're reviewing their last film again, but, like, correcting, like, mistakes you felt you made, you know? Like, uh, you could sometimes feel like you were over-praising a film, so when a director's next film comes out, you're kind of harsher on that one. But you're really being harsher on the previous film, right? Uh-huh. And you're harsher on yourself. I see You see it all the time, and I think everyone does it, you know? Mm-hmm. And like I'm not gonna not not gonna judge anyone because um, I am hopeful that Matrix uh, Resurrections is great, um, but I get a feeling that a lot of the reviews that are gonna come out in the next week at least are mainly gonna be people like re-reviewing the whole franchise. You know, mm-hmm. people maybe who like didn't care for the sequels when they came out but came around to them later, maybe trying to like make like a mea culpa. You know. Yeah. Um, and again, that doesn't mean the movie's bad or good. I just think that that will affect like immediate film criticism of it. And I think a lot of people that were reviewing uh, Revolutions were really reviewing Reloaded, which was maybe a movie that, you know, most people came out of kind of baffled. And then getting to watch it maybe a few times on DVD before the release of Revolutions maybe you start to notice its flaws a little more strongly. And so you go in to, to uh, revolutions with like, you know, your guard up. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think that's why sometimes the receptions of movies, like at the time aren't as good. Uh, I think that's why lady in the water got savaged. Um, just cause people were just rewriting the reviews of village, a movie they clearly overpraised. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> every time. <laughs> Hey, I'm, I'm 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 coming in there. <laughs> I'm going there with it. Um, I just it, you get that like you know, and it's not wrong to be like it's gonna take a little while for a movie to really to figure out where a movie really stands. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think everyone's trying to make sure we don't miss John Carpenter's The Thing again. Yeah, <laughs> like we're all trying to plant our flag to be like, look, I called it. I called it when it happened. Yeah, and I think that's also why we see a lot of people like really going to bat for Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, 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 this is going to age as well. I, I've seen that argument. People are like, this is going to age as well as Blade Runner and The Thing. And look, again, I'm someone who's totally come around on a lot of his stuff. Not all of mm-hmm. it. I still think he's he's got misses. He's a human being. You know, He's an artist. It's bound to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I enjoyed the Snyder Cut, I would not say it's going to age as well as something like Blade Runner. I do really enjoy it, though. You know? Like, that's I, fine. I mean, it's that thing of, like, any movie, like, 20 years removed, it, it at least becomes an artifact of its time, you know? Mm-hmm. And how movies were made. So, like, they can still become fascinating in that way. Um, what was the goddamn shitty Adam Sandler action comedy we watched? Uh... Bulletproof was that what Bulletproof, it was called? yeah, yeah, and uh, like you know that was a bad movie, but it was still kind of fascinating because they don't really make movies like that anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And I would say, though, it feels like if Zack Snyder is going to be one of those, like, you don't get it, you're going to feel his influence fucking later. Like, it feels like maybe we would be getting people, like, I don't know, like, it's we're, we're about 15 years removed from 300, and it doesn't really feel like 300 has any place in the culture anymore. Like, a movie that was, like, huge at the time. Mm-hmm. And, I, like, you don't really feel it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But again, it could, could just be me. It could just be no. I I, I definitely in. think the the cultural footprint of that film has vanished a little bit. It could make a mark later. You know, people rediscover things all the time. But right now, same with his uh, yeah, his Dawn really. of the Dead remake too, which felt huge at the time. Mm-hmm. And and people would like would make the argument that it was as it was as good as the original, which I don't know if I agree with that. But... I I. Love that movie. I I don't think it's anywhere close. People used to go to bat for hard for that movie though, mm-hmm. and then it's like, well, no one really does. I mean, that, that could just be the zombie genre kind of being played out at this point. Yeah. Um. But like, no one really took the fast zombies thing and ran with it after that. You know, it's st- it stuck around for a little bit. They tried to do it again in World War Z, but no one really cared for it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like the one person that's like, no, that's like a that's a fun movie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm really. the one person on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, I also got to shout out the 28 Days Later franchise. Yeah, uh, which also just kind of stopped. Yeah, but that one, uh, both of those films not only made money and were generally well received, like critically. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's a rights issue because it's like yeah. Fox, 20th Century Fox tried to create something called Fox Atomic, which is going to be like their genre horror franchise stuff, mm-hmm. and then that like failed. But because the rights were now tied to like this offshoot of a studio that collapsed, they couldn't like pick up the ball and run with it for 28 months later. And then by the time that they're like, finally like, okay, we can probably do something now. It was like, Oh, Fox just got sold to Disney. (laughs) So wow. Yeah. That that's not happening and that's fine. Whatever. We don't really need 28 months later, you know? Yeah. That would be cool though. If like it just kept going. Yeah. The exponential growth of that. (laughs) Yeah. I, I would, I love 28 Days Later, which is not what we're here to talk about. Uh, and I, I enjoy 28 Weeks Later. I love like... the first half of 28 Weeks Later. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then it gets really bad. <laughs> but... No, it just, I don't know. It's, um, I don't know. The, the that movie, I mean, that movie the kind of... like, first halves of any movie I've ever seen. You're like, holy shit, they're doing it. And then they fuck it up. But... Oh, no. Fuck it and up, I think that was a movie at the time that got, re- I think it got praised. I remember like p- critics really going to bat for 28 weeks later and it felt like people kind of making up for kind of missing 28 days later. A, a little bit. Um, I, I still think and 28 you know the, weeks you know later is a, worth checking out for anyone listening, by the way. You know, what's another franchise that did that recently um, in our collective memory anyway, with the new planet of the apes films. Yeah where it was like rise kind of like got like ho-hum responses but then people were watching it and were like this movie's actually pretty solid so then uh war is war the second one I no it's dawn up. and then war yeah dawn uh and then uh critics came out to bat for the dawn were like this is a good movie but it wasn't like super enthusiastic yeah, and, and then, then already you could that one's interesting because you could see people being like, no, 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 these are like really special. Something's happening yeah. here. And then war people like critics went like ape shit for. I um, don't. I I think Dawn is the one they went ape shit for more so, and war was no, kind but, of like divisive at the time. I remember war uh, was the one where critics were like, "This is the movie." Like I just remember that one. It felt like people were like really cheering for it, and then 
I like War, but like Dawn is a better movie. <laughs> yeah, Dawn Dawn's more interesting. Like the I mean, this is this kind of relates to the Matrix too, because like Dawn has like the political and ideological conflicts, and War is just kind of like a death march. Yeah, War is just like crushingly depressing. Yeah, like, it's escape. Uh, from the planet of the apes level like depressing by the end yeah and it's it's also it's kind of like a weird moment where it's kind of crazy that i think it didn't do that well either like, yeah it, it had a matrix problem or like the the second one the middle chapter is like 800 million dollars or whatever mm-hmm. and then the last one's like yeah it, it, it made money but uh all right go away now <laughs> No one they cares haven't even anymore. tried to do another one yet like they're always talking about it but i don't know if they're like if anyone's like tried yet uh the person attached to it right now is um the guy who did those maze runner movies and i i think he's a really solid action director oh mm. i guess this is gonna really did test someone his, like, dramatic die chops. filming those fucking maze runner movies no the the lead actor uh got run over and so they had oh. to stop filming for like 18 months jesus christ yeah he's he's fine no no, no long-term issues but um yeah he got right. fucked up all right, I'm glad you listened to the studio PR no. machine. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. Now go see Maze Runner, whatever. <laughs> did they finish Maze Runner? Because I know they didn't finish the Divergent. Yeah, films. no, they did. They did, and you know that was um, coming off the trend of every finale being split into two parts, like to the point yeah. where the Avengers films did that too. Mm-hmm. And like, it, and the that guy, the director, was like, "No, we're we're just wrapping it up in one. Like, let's not." Hey, made the right call. Yeah, and all those films made money and are, like, generally well-received critically as well. Not, like, home runs. None of them, I would argue, are home runs. But, like, you know, there's, like, merit to just doing, like, a good, solid job. Yeah, for, like, a teen audience, you know. Yeah, you know, like, that's probably going to introduce someone to, like, a whole series of, like, science fiction through that. Yeah. Does that happen? I don't even know if that happens anymore. I like to believe it. I don't know. Like, I mean, like the, the hunger games, I think was like, uh, the hunger games and Harry Potter. I think people like people that were really interested in more than just like the franchise stuff, I think discovered a lot through like, Oh, I like fantasy. Let me see this. And you know, like Harry Potter was like a stepping stone to Lord of the Rings for me. And eventually Lord of the Rings was a stepping stone to game of Thrones for me. And Game of Thrones was a stepping stone to stuff that didn't end up dropping the ball really hard, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. You know, so it's it's never like a direct like parallel, but I, I do think like everyone has their own steps to discovering what they like really love in art. Yeah. It just it, it's unfortunate that like if you go onto YouTube and like type in something you like, there's kind of just videos about how to consume more of the thing you like. Yeah, you or know? or why the thing you like sucks, and it's like, well, yeah. no one's really talking about like the actual like emotional or like thematic content of the film. And yeah. by the way, that is the proper way to use the word content. That's like a a, a literary tool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not just things for you to like consume constantly consume more yeah which is unfortunately the way it's more popularly used now but like the content of a story is like a real thing that you can like discuss and dissect which is something that i i didn't see a lot for revolutions until very recently um yeah i knew there were always people defending it no Mm -hmm. they're always off in their corner of the internet yeah, because, like, um, it is a big, bombastic action movie. 
One thing that's kind of crazy though, I gotta I gotta throw this out real quick, is that in my like research, I found like a ton of Matrix like fan sites that like are still active, but they feel like they're from an internet from over a decade ago. Because oh. no one's given a shit. So it's not like they've had to update or anything. Oh, you know? that's kinda cool. It's interesting. Um, I just didn't expect that. Um and it's a lot of people uh you know, unfortunately, it does the nerd thing of, like, there's a lot of weird speculation that's not that important, but occasionally you'll find an article that's, like, going in deep on the themes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I, it was like, wow, these guys have just been... And it's that weird thing where, like, the, the Matrix fandom kind of, like, kept going in its own little pocket of the internet for a long time, but it was never big enough that I ever thought we were going to get another one. Um, so it is crazy that, that they were recording uh, Matrix 4 as being released. Yeah, I, I mean, I we could talk a little bit about, like, how the fandom, it didn't keep, like, the movies alive. I think the movies were just enough of, like, a cultural hit that they didn't need that. But we could talk a little bit about The Matrix Online after uh, we finish our Revolutions discussion. Maybe, but you know what? I don't have my notes ready on it. Like, okay. I'm, like, halfway. We, we will have to talk about it for Revolutions, I think. Yeah. I mean, I for believe- Re- Resurrection. I believe it's still canon. I know. Which is the insane thing. Like they, <laughs> no. they, did the, they did the exact opposite of what uh, Force Awakens did. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and I'm sure there's, re- I think there's like uh, um, an in-universe uh, explanation as to why there's like inconsistencies across like different like iterations of the Matrix story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Resurrections might end up being about. Because there's also the Path of Neo video game. Do you remember the Path of Neo? No, no, I, I don't. It's basically a, a retelling of the Matrix sequels. Really? Yeah, um, where you play huh. as Neo. And it's like, it's just you redoing the major action scenes from the movie as Neo, basically. And it ends... Uh, with the big showdown with Smith, but I believe in that game, that, like, all the Smiths, like, come together and form, like, a giant Smith kaiju, basically. I, I have heard of that. Yeah. Uh, and then you fight, which might have been maybe their pitch initially for the end of the Matrix, uh, <laughs> revolutions, and then someone was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been the one thing someone said no to. Um... Yeah, Revolutions has occupied this weird spot where, like, I always kind of ranked Reloaded a little higher for the longest time, um, because I like the, like, big ideas that are, like, I was like, Reloaded is ambitious, and I kind of like it more even if it doesn't come together as a movie very much, and then, uh, Revolutions just kind of wraps things up, and then rewatching it, it's like, no, Revolutions, like, is better, (laughs) I don't know what to say. (laughs) It is, Um, yeah. It's uh, it's still kind of it's unfortunately like still frustratingly incomplete because of the nature of the way these two movies are split. Uh, but it it I talked about in the last episode where you can't tell if some of the weird pacing or story choices of Reloaded are like intentional, like if it was if they were deliberately trying to, you know fuck with the audience in a certain way where it's like this old story is tired on purpose so that when you get to 
the architect and he's like yeah we've done this over and over again it like oh that's why everything kind of feels like by the numbers but there's a lot of stuff in revolutions that makes me think that like those were deliberate mistakes because revolutions puts a lot of effort into correcting a lot of that stuff and not in a not in a like rise of skywalker type way <laughs> yeah like in a like, naturalistic story way where like yeah. it's, it's, it's addressing it but not like see look we, we changed the thing do you like us now yeah, and underlying their points a little better, um, which we will get into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to shout out a couple people that we didn't on, on the Reloaded discussion. Uh, I love actor Harold Perrineau as Link. Yes. Um, we didn't shout out our boy Tank, who was written out unceremoniously between The Matrix and The Matrix Reloaded. Link is his brother-in-law. Isn't uh didn't like they kind of have a problem with that actor? Wasn't that like the story? I actually don't know. I think it was like a story either like they had a problem with it or like he wanted too much money. Oh. And um so it was just like well fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> oh well that's so bad. Uh and Doctor Cornell West as Counselor West. Yeah, Diego texted me being like we should have talked about that. <laughs> I just I I love it. <laughs> There's a lot to be said about that. Um, he's a big fan of these movies. He's written I, a lot about them. Boy, um, I can tell. <laughs> uh, here's a, a nutty take. Uh, Cornel West should maybe try being an actor. <laughs> he's not bad. He's not bad. I think he could be the guy that like gives you the information, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if you got to like meet like a broker somewhere, Cornel West could totally be the guy who's like, here's where you go to do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Remember Michael Caine's scene in Tenant? He should do like, that. It, totally. Yeah, it could have been Dr. Cornell was. Mm-hmm. I don't think Nolan is as left leaning as the Wachowski sisters, though. So maybe that's why that won't is happen. Is anyone in Hollywood as left leaning as the Wachowskis? <laughs> um, that is making blockbusters. No. No. Yeah, no. Like, no, no. That can only make $200 million budget movies. Yeah, no. Unfortunately. Um, but hey. God damn, it's unfortunate that Resurrections is getting all woke all of a sudden. Yeah. Not like Where did the this first, come from? Not like the first fucking movie ends with the song literally called Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine. Mm-hmm. Wonder what that's about. Yeah. Well, I think that's also, <laughs> in, a, in a roundabout way, part of the problem that people initially had with Revolutions, too. Because The mm-hmm. Matrix is like yeah fuck the system and like it's so much more than that too but like that is the attitude of that film right like yeah. anti-authority like tear tear this shit down system failure let's fucking rock yeah and matrix revolutions is like no war like if you're if you're in the fight long enough like it is just terrifying mm-hmm. um my my pal andrew boyd allen they uh they did a great thread recently about the matrix and and the action in the series and how like and reloaded everyone's like stoic and cool because that's like the vibe of that film too they have to be while they're going through those trials and tribulations and by the time they get to revolutions it's like no they're like a ends wit like they're they're gonna lose and they all kind of know it you know like mm-hmm. people look like scared in yeah. these fights <laughs> and um it's it's very much a film about how like yeah like you could be fighting for a noble cause but just fighting for the sake of fighting at a certain point is not is not gonna give you long lasting results you're not gonna have a very long prolific life if you um 
if this is the only world you know, unfortunately. Well, a bad version of the ending of this movie would have been, like, a giant laser just destroys Machine City, you know? Uh-huh. Like, that feels like the, the Hollywood way this movie would have ended mm-hmm. by certain people. Um, you know, just a giant laser either wipes out all the machines, or maybe nihilistically wipes out all the humans, or maybe um, dumbfoundingly just says, ah, oh, we just combined machines and humans. Now they're one and the same. That would be a really bad way to end your trilogy. I was like, what is he referring to? And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a, like, and then some idiots online would be like, yeah, but it's thematically consistent. And I'm like, it's thematically boring, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the synthesis ending. Why? Because it's, it's like, well, if you can't. Here's an easy answer to this complicated issue. Yeah. You fucking morons. Yeah. Eat the sloppy Video games pigs. aren't for smart people. <laughs> hey, they were for a little bit. <laughs> were they? I wonder if the main No, no, there are there games... are g- good games out there for like people that enjoy conversations. <laughs> Xbox 360 drops like 2 years after this, which leads to like the mainstreaming of video games, which is like a bi- a big blight on our culture ever since. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Because video games used to be, like, this weird corner where really crazy people were working on, like, fringe political ideas in their games. Mm -hmm. And now people are like, all these games are too woke. No, no, (laughs) they're apolitical. My my Call of Duty game where you have to stop a massacre of of, Mm -hmm. uh, a local village in the Middle East, uh, that's that's not political at all, though. Yeah. Well, you know, it would be like trying to make Cowboy Bebop political. I mean, that's just silly. I, I'm not even going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> you wonder if, like, that, that's, like, a huge part of what's wrong right now. Like, Oh, totally. I'm, Absolutely. I'm not, and, like, you know, it's one thing to, like, say that. And I'm not I'm, – I'm really not even trying to say, like, all movies should have my very left point of view, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like, I think really quick, I think you and I have been very open and honest about, like, yeah, you know, like – the politics of stuff we enjoy sometimes isn't the greatest, you know? Like, Predator mm-hmm. 2 is, like, a very conservative film. Yes. I also love it. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like, it's, I, I know that wasn't Los Angeles in 1997. Mm-hmm. It, it's, but it's fucking ridiculous, and it happens to, to tickle a funny bone in me. So, mm-hmm. whatever. But there's, like, the appeal that, like, we're not political, we're, we're just, like, we're just telling a story. It like leads to just very flat movies, you know. Yeah, because like and here's I think the that's thing sometimes about... why uh, certain segments of film Twitter will respond to movies with grotesque politics, because it's like, well, at least it stands for something, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and like while I don't often agree with those takes, it's like I, I can at least understand it. I personally feel I'm not going to call out any names, because um, I think we're all guilty of it to an extent. But I do personally feel that sometimes we swing a little too hard in the opposite direction with that. Where it's like, oh, yeah, at least it's a, it's a stance. And it's like, yeah, but okay, hang on. <laughs> Maybe the stance is like a little not great. Like a little too not great. Well, I mean, it's I, I just get annoyed with the people that try to be like, actually, it goes so far right, it goes left, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're specifically, I think, referencing now like the S. Craig Zoller stuff. Yeah, which we we have openly enjoyed, but let's let's also, be very honest fucking, about it. That fucking idiot who was like, "Sausage Party is so unwoke, it becomes woke." Oh, that oh, that was film Twitter's favorite punching bag, Devin mm. Faraci. 
I can't believe she's like kind of still around. I like, I know it's, it's it's grotesque. It's weird. I mean, at least we don't talk about him all the time, but yeah, thankfully, yeah, strange. Uh, so yeah, yeah, bad person. Um, but um, but but the Matrix Revolutions is not bad, hmm. and Doctor Cornell West is a good person. Let's just keep talking about him. <laughs> I knew a guy, I only got, I knew Cornell West because there was a guy in my community college, like, English class, who was, like, super into Cornell West, (laughs) and would, like, bring him up all the time, and we were both the two guys in the class that understood the way to pass an English community college class is that no matter what we're talking about, just pivot the conversation to something we want to talk about, and then we look intelligent. (laughs) So anytime we were discussing anything, he would basically go to Cornell West, and then anytime... I stood up. I was probably talking some libertarian bullshit, but <laughs> I got my participation grade, so hey. There you go. That's something. And this is a guy I thought was in, like, his mid-20s when I was, like, 19, and then I come to find out he was, like, 42, so. Oh. That's that weird community college thing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's just people of, like, every age group. Yeah. Which is why but... community was genius. <laughs> I mean, hey, I, that's why I probably got into that show initially. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, this is kind of what I'm going through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we play paintball like that. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. We should talk about how Sarah remains the coolest character ever. Uh, yes. He just, he's the coolest. I, I got nothing else, really. He just, he's so cool. It is nice that there's a character who's kind of just, like, just there to be cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you know, as a security program, he's like, "All right, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll guide you through the underworlds," because that's what happens at the opening of this film. Yeah. Well, it's literally called it's... Club Hell. Yeah, like here's the thing. Remember, I was talking about like how it took us forever to understand that there were werewolves in Matrix Reloaded, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so the, like they meet the Merovingian in like a fancy French restaurant. It might be difficult to kind of parsed yet even though his wife is literally named persephone like that's like the big tell but it might be a little hard to parse exactly what's going on there because they don't explain it to you they should have just met him in club hell in the the first time you know you think so because like i think it's like a really interesting visual where it's like oh it's not just that he controls like this upper society he like that those same people ultimately mm-hmm. run the underworld which is you know like a metaphor for like all the I get, damn dirty I, stuff i get that point i i that it, it makes sense and you're right i'm just saying if you're trying to communicate this idea to the audience <laughs> i'm saying this would have been a better way and it's weird that it's suddenly like here you know mm-hmm. like and then i do remember i gotta say i remember being in the theater and then there's like the ceiling like fighting that's happening which is another great way of visually being like we're in the upside down world now where like the matrix rules don't apply Mm-hmm. Like it's a great visual, but also a fun action. I do remember though being in the theater and feeling like this was immediately kind of tired. Oh, like ten year old me. It's like weird, and I don't know how to explain that. I think maybe the revelations that, uh, like you know, that the Matrix is like this is the fucking seven, sixth iteration of the Matrix, kind of like deflated some of that shit a little bit. Watching it now, it's like a really cool fight. Um. I like it. It's better than a lot of the stuff in uh, Reloaded, I would argue. I Yeah, again, I'm pro-Reloaded. I was going into Revolutions rewatch. Like, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll be a fan of these. Like, I, I 
I've, I really feel comfortable saying like I'm, I'm very pro reloaded and pro revolutions, but I, I was like, I guess I'm, they're just going to keep me a little distant emotionally and that whatever, that's fine. I not, not everything's very moving. And then even this opening, I was like, oh, I'm fucking in this. Like, whoa. I almost wonder if you could just edit, like, the ending of Reloaded onto the beginning of Revolutions and if it would work as a movie. Like, it feels like if you just have that information going in of, like, the sixth iteration, you can get all these ideas in this. All the ideas in Reloaded are kind of here. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, they're they're interconnected for sure. So, like, even though I was bringing up that that uh, the video I, I really liked from uh, Sofa from Mars, like, many people have brought up the point that these are are one film, really. Yeah, and I don't I mean, think I've, that's an accident. We've done that, you know. Yeah, and I just wonder, like, I you know, it's at that, at that point will just it'll bother me till the end of time of just like I want to see the version that is just one movie that's three hours long, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, it, I think it would have been. But who knows? Maybe the reason why Revolutions work so well is they kind of worked out all the problems on Reloaded. <laughs> Maybe. Like, yeah. that could have just been it. You know, even like the, the you know, it's, they, they clearly have these big ideas and maybe just struggled to piece it together. But once you get to Revolutions, it all, like, kind of fits. And, again, I think that's why, like, people find, people still find Reloaded frustrating. Mm-hmm. I see a lot more love for Revolutions, like you said. Um, but Reloaded, I think, is one where people are like, I'm not so sure about this, Chief. <laughs> and then um, that will affect how you view Revolutions, probably. But I also remember, like, being in the theater and, like, they meet the new Oracle, because they had to, we talked about they had to recast the Oracle, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. With Mary Alice um, being the new Oracle, mm-hmm. who does and, a good and, job. Yeah, she, she's great. This. It's just uh, unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. Um, I do remember being like, you have to find the train man. And I'm like, like again, this is ten year old me in the theater in 2003, and I'm like, we're introducing a new guy. Yeah. <laughs> Where the fuck did this come from? <laughs> Just I don't know why. Like I, like ten year old me really had that reaction in the theater. Yeah, usually I'd have that problem. Like you know, some people are relitigating the Amazing Spider-Man films, for example. And like, look, whatever you enjoy a movie, that's fine. I, I like, I'll talk Go to shit. Hell. I'll, Go to I'll talk hell. shit with friends because it's fun. <laughs> like if they like those movies, I'll, I'll I'll poke fun. But like, there's nothing wrong with enjoying any particular film. That being said, I don't understand any of you mm-hmm. because like half an hour into the Amazing Spider-Man two, that's when they decide to introduce Harry Osborn, who will try to be the emotional linchpin of the film by the mm-hmm. end. Yeah, but you how can't about the do that? Where they start they start reminiscing about childhood memories. Yeah, well, you but can't do that. that. And Matrix Revolutions work? gets a little fucking close, frankly, to, to mm-hmm. making some decisions like that. And for whatever reason, they work here. And I think it's because the Wachowskis are maybe the greatest. That's just why. I mean, they're really good. Yeah, they're great. Um, it would suck if uh, Resurrections sucked. <laughs> I, I know. I, I'm not even like... I, I, I'm going to accept whatever happens. Mm-hmm. Um, Although everyone seems to be like the early buzz on it seems good. Yeah, I mean, so. here's the thing. Let's let's not pick fights with people, but I have noticed the ones who are like, "Man, the Marvel stuff has never been more exciting." Mm-hmm. Seem to be the people that are like, "Oh man, they mm-hmm. dropped the ball on Resurrections." All right. Who is so. doing that? Like, I know I'm going to bat for Eternals because that's just my thing currently, but. Like, who is the people that think 
Marvel's like interesting all of a sudden. It's it's the people that have kind of been like fanning and standing over it already. So it's just that shit. <laughs> like, yeah, it's that it. it's it's those people, but they they seem to be like less in number now, mm-hmm. and I just find that interesting to think about. Doesn't mean the the Marvel stuff's going away. I just I I really think, uh, you know, hey, so- the good guys might win eventually. <laughs> Someone smarter than me messaged me on the Twitter about this because I have it in my notes, but I also don't really know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure for like because like the, the the credit sequence in this like we go deep into the code like they kind of do, but this one goes on a little longer. Yeah, it, it's also and, reversed. Yes, for the first um, time. But also there uh, for like half a second, I thought I saw a dragon curve in there, um, which is a fractal curve. Um. And then, uh, when when Neo's in the the limbo subway station, which has a name that is like an anagram for limbo, but I don't remember what it was. Um, on the subway map, on the wall back there, looks like a dragon curve. I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> I don't know either, but it is called Mobile Avenue. Okay. Or Mobile Ave, whatever Avenue. Whatever yeah. Fuck. Mobile is is an anagram for uh, limbo. Yes. For some reason, I couldn't remember the name, the word mobile. I don't um, have those gas stations. We do, but we go to Wawa's in this state, oh, partner. Oh, okay. Okay. We got me. Wawa's and Wegmans, partner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we talked a little bit in Reloaded about how, like, machines themselves might be, like, capable of being, like, realizing self-actualization apart mm-hmm. from, like, the systems that they're just meant to be like operating machines in and the opening of revolutions is entirely that where it's like oh yeah these these programs created something new that's entirely. my favorite stuff in this movie it's so great it's just that little that little scene in the subway of just like oh i'm a what was he he's like a power systems manager or something like that yeah yeah and, it's like it's just he's just a guy he's just a yeah. guy who, who, who his, created a little girl with his wife and they love her and his wife's like an analyst and like she's all like defensive and he's all kind of like no let's just be nice to the guy mm. <laughs> like hey maybe the last person he ever sees like that's a a great moment in the movie um right diego I did not like that when I first saw this because I was like, you know, "What? The, uh, where's the action?" You know? I remember just—I just remember being bugged by the train man, like as a kid. Uh, he still bugs me, but in a fun way. Oh yeah, he's creepy, but it's Bruce Spence. Bruce Spence is fun. Bruce Spence, whenever he shows up as a weird guy, it's like, "Oh yeah, this movie's great." He was fucking cornering the market on weird dudes in like the early two thousands. I know he rocks. Like it was like he's in this. He's in a deleted scene in Return of the King. Even though they, like, really, like, dubbed him in the final version of it. Uh, which is weird. I don't know why you bring Bruce Spence out and then just do that. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, his his mouth just does that. They yeah. didn't need to do any prosthetics. And then uh, he's that one dude in uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Hell yeah. Um, right, well, what were those guys called? I don't even remember. I don't know. But they, or th- those are called. fun, like, like uh, subversions. Because the character he plays in Revenge of the Sith, they're like creepy devil looking dudes and they're like mm-hmm. please help <laughs> yeah like, there's a lot of that in the prequels mm-hmm. uh-huh. I wonder if that was a point George Lucas was trying to make I wonder if it was a point he was trying to make but that he fucked up by putting it all on Jar Jar Banks. oh and to be fair 
the maybe some of the the coding in Phantom Menace is like not great. Yeah, no, it is not. Um, but he was. I, it is that thing where like he's clearly trying to say something, and then he just kind of didn't. It's if you don't stick that landing perfectly, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And well, that's how you get Jar Jar. Yeah. Jar Jar's the key to all of this. No. <laughs> it turns out he was right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah, in a way. Who's the, who's the Jar Jar of, of Matrix Revolution? That fucking kid. You really don't like that kid, huh? I just I, I have a problem with, like, it would be cool if he was an actual kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if he was, like, a young kid. But the dude's clearly, like, almost 30. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I can't get around that. So when he's like, I like this gee whiz attitude, I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> like, I fucking grow up, motherfucker. Like, sure, the age, like the actual age thing is kind of like a, a barrier a little bit. But I really, I mean, it's just an extension of the ideas that like, no, like Neo shows people kind of how to save themselves. Like mm-hmm. he's not literally going around picking and choosing who to save. You know, that's that that would be weird. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, this film kind of realizes that for the kid, where he he kind of gets to be the hero. So like when he's like Neo, I believe like he's not just believing in Neo, he's believing in himself, and it's like that's kind of the message of the one, which I just found very moving. Yes, but that kid still sucks. <laughs> also, they he just he's always just the kid. Like that, I don't that just that bugs me. I don't know, like, it, 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 the whole thing. I do like, uh, he does get that, that, that's a good moment he gets at um, at saving the day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that idea of, like, the nightmare battle is, like, the only answer they have to reload these giant mechs is to just send some poor bastard out there yeah. with a shit, lot of, a shit ton of ammo. All right, let's talk about the, the Zion stuff, because there's barely any Matrix stuff in this, and it's kind yeah. of... You, you hear the same shit with, like, Iron Man 3, where they're like, well, there's barely any Iron Man in it. It's like, well, it's not just about the suit. The whole point is more than I just about... I get how that would be frustrating for some people, though, you know? Um, A little like, I'll, bit? I'll be honest. I, I get it. I do get it. And I, I don't know. Uh, like, I maybe just because I was so won over by this viewing, I was like... What the fuck are you all talking about? <laughs> well, we also, like, we're watching it, like, right after Reloaded, both of us. Yeah, so yeah, that's we true. got the movie that was mostly Matrix. Mm-hmm. And then this one is like, nope. I do remember that being, like, the big complaint at the time. Like, if people, like, we're going to give you your one sentence, like, reason it doesn't work, you're like, the re- you know, the reason why Revolutions doesn't work is because it's set on Zion for 90% of it. Mm. And it's, I'm like, no, but... You know, I get if you show up to see a movie called The Matrix, you're probably going to want to see The Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> that but, like, being said... Is, the stupid thing about the Iron Man 3 complaint is that Iron Man is in the fucking movie. He's just not in the suit, you fucking dopes. Yeah, I know. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah, these, these fucking... <laughs> it, that's a costume, you idiots. I remember that was a big complaint in the early days of the MCU. Mm-hmm. Like, why does Robert Downey Jr. keep showing his face? And it's like, because he's Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> like, yeah. And if you really want to stretch it, it's like, Tony Stark wants people to know he's Tony Stark. That's yeah. his whole problem. How did the fucking first movie end? Yeah. That's the, that's like the one, like, defining trait of the character. He's got an ego. You dopes. Like, <laughs> what a weird... And it wasn't like he didn't do any Iron Man action. Like... Yeah, like, there's a lot of... Uh, whatever. We're not we're not here for Iron Man 3, which is a good are, film. People um, are... 
dummies. Yeah. Uh, I think the, to go back to the Zion stuff, I think the action in, in Zion is like so fucking fantastic. It's a great battle scene. Yeah. And like, uh-huh. I talked a little bit about it in Reloaded, but it is also like overwhelming and scary and like yeah, yeah. beautifully lit. When like it gets really apocalyptic, it really feels like the end, you know? Yeah. Like it's like oh shit, like the, the, that's like over for them. Like they're gonna lose. You really feel like the weight of like all the sentinels and machines burrowing through. And I really like the little weird drills that they got going on. The the machines mm-hmm. when they drill through, they just fall through Zion. Too. Yeah, yeah. So it's like they're not just drilling; they're also like weapons of like weight. And mm-hmm. stuff like that. That was a really interesting invention. Uh, and I, it, it's interesting that like everyone has to like participate in the battle basically, unless you're like wounded or a child. I just found that very like uh, that shows like the limits of of humanity at this point. It's like yeah, everyone can fight. It just kind of sucks that you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little. Sh- it's a. I know some people complain about like how the main cast isn't really involved in the final battle. And I don't, I don't really agree with that. Um, I will say, like maybe the characters that are in the battle could have used a little more uh, characterization. <laughs> I would agree with that, and um, I think that is one of the other issues I have with Reloaded a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's kind of torn between having to introduce the Zion stuff and also continue like the the story of like the the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar. And I think they're expecting people to remember certain characters that aren't like super memorable you know mm-hmm. like i i wouldn't be shocked if you showed up to revolutions not remembering who the fuck the kid is you know <laughs> and then on top of that to introduce a woman who is basically like i'm just two days away from retirement like yeah you know <laughs> it's like well we know how this is gonna go yeah <laughs> um but it, for what it is it's good and i think it's important that the heroes aren't directly involved it's it's kind of doing a like you know um Return of the it's doing a Return of the King thing, but more like the books where you kind of are just fighting, hoping that everyone is doing their part. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like if if you read, it's in the movie, but the book does it better. Where when they they charge um, at the at the Black Gates, that like they think Frodo's dead. You know, mm-hmm. like they're given his armor, being like, oh, we got him, and they have to fight like believing that if they distract. Uh, Mordor long enough uh, Frodo can get to Mount Doom and it's kind of you know it's like that it's faith it's belief and it it I think it works well here for what it is um, but yeah I mean I if know. there's if there's any pro- like we're loaded we're, we're talking about how like the big problems for us are that we kind of don't get payoffs to anything and like the sole problem for me in Revolutions is that well it really is just all the payoff yeah. Like, you, you kind of, if you're not into any of the Matrix stuff, like, don't even bother watching this movie, frankly. Mm-hmm. Like, if you really hated Reloaded, like, Revolutions is not going to be good. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it, it, it is such a weird movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, trying to think of other things. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward film. It's like, okay, they, they um, have to find hey. Neo. Commander Locke sucks. Commander Locke does suck. He continues to suck. I don't even understand what he's trying to do at a certain point. Like, well, he's he's a... he's just a dude who's trying to be like, no, no, we have to stand our ground. 
Yeah. Like when they're saying like, oh, we'll we'll lose, or he's saying like, we'll lose the the docks, and they're like, dude, like we already lost. The yeah, docks. like look around, like it's over, man. Like, it's, but there's a point in it where it's like, uh, I guess it's like he's supposed to suck, but he's like, well, we're gonna have to fire an EMP, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, the fucking not the Nebuchadnezzar, but the other one comes crashing through the hammer, um, comes crashing through, uh. And then fires the EMP. And then, like, he goes up to me. He's like, why the fuck did you fire that EMP? And it's like, dude, you had the same plan. (laughs) (laughs) Is he just trying to save face? Actually, he didn't have the same plan. That was not his goal. What was his plan, then? I think he just wanted to, like, hold the dock. (laughs) No, but, like, at a certain point, he's, like, he was was saying we got to get the gate open. Like, so they could fire the EMP. Because remember, he's like, Captain Fune, I don't know if you can hear me, and Captain Fune's dead, but he doesn't know the kid's in the thing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And and he's like, if you can hear me, we've got to open the gate so the hammer can get through. And it's like, there's a problem here, Just this is what you got to do, I hope you can hear me. And that's like his moment where he's like, you know, he's been like this guy about, like, it's got to be about numbers, it's got to be about this, but that's his moment of, like, kind of caving and being like, I don't know if anyone can hear me, but if you can, you got to get that fucking gate open, right? Mm-hmm. That's his moment of, like, believing. And then he's like, "The fuck you do?" <laughs> I I don't think he was saying like, "What what the fuck were you were you thinking?" Just like, well, like he's he's not letting them really have a moment of like reprieve. Yeah, but he's delivering it like a way like he's like, "You guys think you won, huh?" Like, oh no, yeah, yeah. Well, that's just him sucking, of course. I don't know that that always like even now I'm like, why is he being like this? Like well, because because Morpheus and uh, Niobe are clearly gonna hook up after this like crazy. I guess that's and all. And he's it comes just like fuck. It. Yeah, but just get in the fucking Zion orgy pit, like. Yeah, I know, fun. right, dude. He's the leader of like their entire army. Like someone will will like hook up with him. Mm-hmm. Someone will find that attractive. <laughs> also, Harry Lennox is not like a bad looking guy. You know, he's hey. if his character was an asshole, it'd probably be like. He'd have less problems, is what I'm saying. I, I will say this: in um, what what version of uh, Matrix Reload uh, Revolutions did you watch? Like, was it DVD, Blu-ray, whatever? No, um, uh, HBO Max. I just did HBO H- Max. Did you notice like there were some kind of compositing issues with some of the effects in it? No, I didn't. Like, it might have just been my streaming then. Okay. Like there was a couple shots that looked really bad, but I couldn't tell if it was just like the streaming kind of dropping a little bit or if. Like I wonder, I, I, this I'm, this reminded me I kind of have to go buy these on 4K, um, mm-hmm. but uh, just just watching it, it was like there was a couple moments where I was like, huh, now not enough for me to be here and like make a stand on it because most of it looks fantastic, um, but I couldn't tell if that was the movie or just my streaming being bad. <laughs> yeah, there there are some moments that definitely are you know proof that it's from 2003, but that's just yeah. gonna happen with a lot of the CG stuff, like. Unless it's Pirates of the Caribbean, for some reason that stuff looks fucking just amazing. Still, uh, I would say it's worse than Reloaded. Like even though yeah, we were, we were fans of the the Neo versus like the countless Smiths fights on the playground or whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't look great. And I, and I know that's, early... a, that's a lame complaint to have, but it it looks really bad at times. It, it has some of the early like fully CGI people effects. Yeah. Know? Which yeah. is a a year removed from Spider Man, which had like a lot of that for just one character. Mm-hmm. 
And then this one, it was like, oh, let's have an army of CGI people. Yeah, and it, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but here in Revolutions, I, I didn't have that problem, really. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes, like, uh, there's a really cool moment when Neo punches Agent Smith through the rain and stuff. And it's like, wow, this is a really great visual. And it's, like, just on the verge of being Uncanny Valley enough mm-hmm. that I could see someone getting, like, taken out of the moment from that. The final fight here finds such a perfect balance with all that stuff that uh, it, it calls into question some of the choices in Reloaded. A little bit. And I, I want to hold off on, on that because I'm going to go on a huge thing yeah. for, for that shit. Um, I don't know. We, we kind of like breeze through this though because like it just kind of hits the points on, um, until you catch, like the second half. Uh, did you catch when someone casually threw out the word VDT? No. Um, what? Which is a virtual disease transmission. Oh, because <laughs> Smith is doing his whole thing. Well, no, when uh, when uh, you know, when they're they're examining Bane or whatever. The oh my uh, god, that's right. Yeah, yeah. When Smith is doing it, his whole thing. Yeah. Well, I I thought you meant like the other way, but uh, they're like, well, there's no sign of any VDT activities. And I'm like, man, I could have used a movie about just that problem in Zion. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna talk. There, it was there was kind of a fun moment in Reloaded where we see that Zion kind of has their own little mini matrix, right? Mm-hmm. Where like they have all those people plugged in and they just do all the administrative work for people coming in, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a fun idea. Yeah, like that they have their own little construct. Um, and like further, like that's the like nutty moving... thing about these fucking two movies is like. I feel like the Wachowskis totally could have gone gotten away with like, we're gonna do seven Matrix movies. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and like they're... keep exploring these ideas because like it again it it becomes so much more than just like we got to tear down the system, which it is ultimately yeah. also about. But it's like okay, but see we now we have to save people within the system. Like, and we're gonna devote like each film to like one maybe two ideas, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, they totally could... And, like, I think an interesting counterpoint to that is something like the John Wick films, you know? Mm-hmm. Which, it's like, we're leading into four. And four is the one where it's like, hey, maybe we should tear down the whole system. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, you know, it's like... And I'm not gonna... Like, John Wick clearly is not, like, as complicated as these. Mm-hmm. But it would have been nuts if it was like, we're gonna do John Wick 2 and 3 at the same time, and we're gonna deconstruct the entire action genre. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, they're like, no, we're going to, like, devote each one to, like, a new thing. And that's, you know, it's a choice. And I guess I respect, like, doing the uh, the two movies, but it would be interesting to look at that other world where, like, we have seven Matrix movies and each one introduces, like, a new big idea, but they're all just kind of, like, 90-minute movies. <laughs> Which yeah, you... maybe you could have gotten away with if you would, like, release them a lot quicker because i feel like the like i said the other thing is the culture is just quickly moving away from the matrix you know Mm -hmm. like maybe you could have gotten away with a matrix like multiple film series uh if the first one had come out earlier in the 90s or something (laughs) uh i want to shout out ian bliss as bane Mm-hmm. Because he basically just has to do a Hugo Weaving impersonation. He's for doing his entire a fun role. job. Yeah, it's fun. Um, so Bane. Yeah, what are your thoughts on this character? What do you, what do you think? Oh, I no, I asked first. 
I, I was I was leading the question before okay. you. Okay. Well, I, I think it's a very fun performance, and something about it also makes me wish there was more attention paid to him and Reloaded a it's, little bit. It's a little weird that, like, when he finally does, like, attack, and he's fighting Neo, Neo takes, like, fucking ten minutes to put it together. It's, that's a little funny. <laughs> like... And like, you know, you're the fucking one, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's calling him Mr. Anderson. Yeah. And it's like, I'm what getting... do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? It just it's it it would be like I we all dunk on the like save Martha scene, but it would be like if it took Batman like ten minutes to put that together. <laughs> <laughs> like he kills Superman and he's walking away and he's like, Oh no. Oh wait, Martha. <laughs> That's my mother's name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, um, I I like that we we got to see Neo like deal with the same kind of conflicts that he does in the Matrix outside the Matrix now too. Like he's there's no fight oh, yeah, scenes yeah. outside the Matrix mm-hmm. until like this movie really. Well, it's also like if we're gonna like if we're like breaking the hero's journey almost, it's kind of like either Neo or Smith is gonna extend their influence into the real world, right? Like they're the two the two sides of the coin of what could happen right because mm-hmm. neo has his powers out here and smith even he, he jumped out before him basically like it's 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 weird battle of like nihilism versus like hope you know yeah like smith is totally just a representative of like nihilism of just like it's all pointless life is bullshit we're put on earth just to die <laughs> like <laughs> And Neo's just the contrast to that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a movie just like, don't give in to the fucking Agent Smiths of the world. Yeah, because turns out there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's, uh, I think it's a, a more important message now with like the rise of kind of doomerism, mm-hmm. you know, of just like, well, there's nothing that can be done. And I just, I want to, like, I, we all get down lately because it's fucking shit's rough out there, right? Mm-hmm. But we kind of have to like, not give in to that even if it's the correct response <laughs> which i think is kind of what i took away from this movie this time you know yeah i i don't, I don't want to get too into to that that final culmination of that conflict but it's i i think we're on the same page with that especially mm-hmm. uh given the weight of the world at the moment um let's see what else do i want to talk about before we get there um uh, I got. Let me see. I got some notes. Well, S- Smith, here, here's something I liked. Even though there is not a lot of Matrix in this movie, when we cut away after the Oracle is turned by Smith, and, and she does not re- resist. She just kind of like accepts it because Smith assimilates um, Seraph and the little girl Sati off screen, mm. which is like pretty harsh. Um, and Smith laughs really oddly. It's like the strangest smile laugh I've ever seen in my life. Which is something I'm willing to bet the nostalgia critic mind like 10 minutes of his review out of. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Like, I, I'm saying it's like strange in like a positive way. And he's yeah. like, this is why the film's bad. I do like the nice touch that uh, now because everything's changed, the Oracle's like, I can't really see the future right now. Like, mm-hmm. the whole Matrix has changed. And like a good way of telegraphing that is that like the cookies aren't ready when Neo gets there. Yeah. And she's like, I was, oh, I'd hope, I was hoping these would be ready. You know? Yeah. And then I really like when they're back on the outside and Link is like, 
trying to like or everyone's trying to like look at the matrix and like something's wrong with my screen and they're like no i see it too and link is like nah whatever's happening in there isn't good and like we don't see that until neo returns in the finale and i i, I don't know i really like stuff like that yeah like, yeah when you're heading into like an end game of your story like you really want like you you don't want to feel safe you know. I kind of like another thing I like earlier in this um, is when they meet with uh, the Merovingian, the most disgusting Frenchman ever, and he he throws out that whole thing of like I want the eyes of the Oracle. Like, remember that? Yeah. And then they're just like, you know what? Fuck this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's why Trinity when, is great. <laughs> when I when I talked about uh, like the idea of like there could be like the seven versions of the Matrix, it almost feels like the Wachowskis being like, "That's just what this franchise would devolve into," mm-hmm. like stupid fetch quests like that. Uh, just like bring me the eyes of the Oracle for the Merovingian. <laughs> um, and the, I like that the train man's just there, and he's disgusting in this fetish nightclub. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's straight up, like, nipple twisting happening and shit, you it's, know? It's, <laughs> like, they got, like, gas masks and stuff, and it's like, all right, again, go for it. Ten-year-old me in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you ever have those things you revisit from childhood, and then you're like, that explains a lot. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, also, I guess the train man has one line in this where it's like, I wanted just this one line at some point in the first movie when he punched... Remember, he's able to punch Neo in the limbo space. Yeah. And, like, send him flying through the wall, and he's like, down here, I'm God. And it's like, that that a line like that really would have helped in Reloaded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's literally one line. Um, we get that fun visual of Neo running one way and just coming out the other side, too. Yeah, I always love shit like that. It's always fun. Yeah. That's always fun. The movies should be fun, like, in that way again. Yeah, like, just play it, with the visuals. It's a visual instead of, medium. <laughs> instead of people just being like, isn't it weird we're in outer space? Which is, like, every movie now. <laughs> I know. It's like, I'm, I don't love Interstellar, but I at least admire that film for a lot of reasons, and one of them is because it's not like, oh, man, isn't it weird that Matthew McConaughey is in space? It's like, takes everything very seriously but not like mm-hmm. austerely and i think that's a criticism that uh nolan gets a lot and i think um people also forget that the matrix series is like it's very playful and funny yeah like everyone looks very cool because they are very fucking cool in these movies the, the but shit there's was a sense of cool. humor this shit was not cool in the early 2000s though that was like the exact moment it died yeah I think my whole point is that, like, all this shit in these movies was, like, cool in 99, and then by the time these sequels come out, they're no longer cool. Mm. And that's just culture. And I think that, I think a lot of people were just embarrassed that they once thought it was cool, you know? Yeah. Which, it's like, no, it's nerd shit, motherfuckers. Yeah. Like, and it's so weird that when nerd culture suddenly became cool, that, like, The Matrix didn't, wasn't, like, a part of that. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like The Matrix was left out of the nerd club. Which is so strange. That is, yeah. And unfortunately, that left it to be like discovered by like the worst people online, and then who misinterpreted the message. Mm-hmm. Although, shout out to Lily Wachowski for telling Ivanka Trump and uh, that fucking Tesla guy to fuck off. Yeah, that Tesla guy. Elon Musk. I can't remember his name. I'm telling I... Nikola Tesla to fuck off. No, Nikola Tesla was cool. Nikola Tesla believed in eugenics. Never. Whoa. Never mind. 
I'm sorry, not the beat. That was really. Uh, did you know John Lennon beat his wife? Yeah. Sorry, that was. <laughs> that, that was a little harsh for me. Yeah, that was. Um, whoa. Yeah, I never know. mind. Nikola Tesla was not cool. Nikola Tesla was a product of his time. <laughs> Nikola, here's the thing. Nikola Tesla is dead, so. <laughs> <if you> can, <laughs> We can, like, view him as, like, a historic figure now. You know? Like, yeah. He's, he, it's, he's not holding elective office somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a little weird that a guy named his company after Tesla. Yeah. Wonder you know? what that's about. That has to do with anything and his family's diamond mine. Yeah. Don't know. Not a fan. Really? Not a fan. Not a fan of the boy. <laughs> Not a fan of him. One of these days, though, like, you know, he's just like, he's got his hands in, like, everything, like, cryptocurrency and shit now. Like, which is just, it's it's never been more apparent that the cryptocurrency thing is just going to implode. Mm-hmm. Like, it's totally a bubble. Like... What's going to happen to him when that happens? Like, I'm not saying he's going to lose money, but, like, what's his public image, which is all he really cares about? Yeah, I don't know. Probably break down a little bit. It'd be fun. Hopefully. As long as he doesn't have, like, missiles in space by then. Yeah, yeah. Like, it'll be fun unless he's, like, declared his independence, the independence of the moon by then. I, I had uh, someone trying to explain why cryptocurrency is, like, the way of the future to me in person a couple months ago. And, like, and I, I just... I mean, I basically don't understand because it doesn't make any sense when you really break it down, right? And they were trying to explain, like, no, 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 you don't understand. You got so there's this thing called diamond, and like the moment it 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 gets higher than Twitch and Facebook on like the Nasdaq, like it's over for them. You don't understand. I'm like, but how is it gonna get there? Mm-hmm. Like, I just kept, you know, logical questions. Like, okay, well, like, how does that happen? It's like, well, we just need enough people to invest. And it's like, well, that's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't mean any. Anything needs enough people to invest in. Yeah. <laughs> like, even just sticking into, in, like, the rules of, like, a capitalist society, that that goes for anything. <laughs> like, well, there's it's, that, it's the funny thing of people being like, well, if cryptocurrency's fake, then the whole, st- the whole economy's fake. And it's like, and yeah. Like, hey. <laughs> it is. Funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> and I feel like if cryptocurrency ever does get to this line that they keep talking about... All it's going to do is make everyone who's not invested fucking pissed. And then we're all going to realize it's all bullshit. Yeah. Like, so I think that like, I'll say, I think the jury is out on like cryptocurrency as a concept. I don't really know, but NFTs are like definitely bullshit. Oh yeah. Like, and like, so if cryptocurrency is the wave of the future, we're in that space that like the dot-com bubble was, you know, Mm-hmm. Where like everything was suddenly a dot com because no one knew what the internet was going to be, and then it's all going to implode, and then maybe shit will rise out of the ashes of it, you know? Yeah. Um. So hey. Also, we... shout out to Keanu Reeves for laughing at uh, an interviewer's face, and they brought up NFTs. <laughs> you know what that? You know what that says to me? Um. That uh, Keanu and uh, Lana were having a lot of conversations about <laughs> um, cryptocurrency behind the scenes. Oh, probably. I feel like that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And hey, the, this no one broke this down, but um, on the on the Bill Pope episode I brought up of the the, the Team Deacons thing, 
he mentioned that like of all the people that read the script for the matrix and after speed was a big hit keanu became a hot like topic obviously um he was apparently the only actor who read for the part of neo that got it from like top to bottom like ideologically thematically and like the character traits but he also understood like the story that that the wachowskis wanted to tell and i just found that really interesting you know it's like you know trust no bitch but (laughs) if if i'm gonna put my faith in any celebrity it's probably keanu reeves yeah that's not a not a bad call i guess yeah um not it is a little sad because i i guess he was the first choice for racer x in speed racer it would have been cool to see him do uh, racer x that that would have been so fucking cool i didn't Uh, know that (laughs) It might have just been scheduling, because like I said, like he he was definitely like it was a weird like peak Keanu after these movies, mm-hmm. and then it's like nope, there's another peak Keanu coming. Yeah. <laughs> like, God, that's a guy who's just had like more ups and downs than anyone in Hollywood, other than maybe Nick Cage. I was gonna you know? say Robert Downey Jr. I think we forget about like yeah, Robert Downey Jr. A had decade. like the, but he had like a long down, and then he's like back, you know. Where it's like Keanu, it's like he's big, and then it's like oh he sucks again, and then it's like oh he's big again, and then so he sucks again, and now it's like he's big again, like, <laughs> and it's not like uh, self-inflicted shit too. Like the only other guy I can think of is Eddie Murphy, who's had like weird ups and downs like that. But every time with mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy, it feels like he sabotages himself. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. where where it was like he was big, and then like he literally had like a few years where it was like he's good this year, he's bad this year, he's good this year. And then he had, like, a good run in the 80s, and then he was, like, just fucking up in the 90s. And then, like, early 2000s, like, he's like, oh, shit, he's back. And then he immediately starts doing movies like The Adventures of Pluto Nash or, like, remember, like, Meet Dave? That was, like, his last movie for a while, wasn't it? Yeah. There was another one that was, like... What the fuck happened there? <laughs> there, was, like, there was one where he was a guy who could only say, like, a thousand words, and then he would die. So he had to, like, he couldn't talk, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, that was the last one. And then he, like, does Dolomite. And then it's like, oh, shit, Eddie Murphy's back. And then there hasn't really been much since then. Well, we made um, Coming to America. Oh, yeah, made Coming to America. I forgot. I still haven't watched it, so I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I haven't either, to be fair. But, like, I no one's heard good things about that, unfortunately. Yeah, I've heard, like, one person defend it. Yeah. So Which sucks, because it's the same people that did Dolomite together. Yeah. And, like, I like that movie. So. Mm-hmm. I just feel like you know that that would it would have been hard to do another coming to America. Yeah, know? like I, I think but. that that's a bad idea, like mm-hmm. as a film. But it's like that that team had such a good time on Dolomite. They're like, let's fucking do another movie together. Yeah, let's do this the coming to America sequel. You know, like any genre can kind of do the like here's the old guard handing the new guard like the baton, right? Mm-hmm. Except comedy. Comedy can never pull it off. Yeah. Like, I, I can't think of too many times it's happened where it's, like, an older comedian with a younger comedian being, like, you're the new one. Like, it, it's almost never worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, Goddamn, I would love to do, like, a John Landis series, but John Landis just sucks so much. I know. Like, because he's got, like, at least, like, five really good films. Yeah, it's Coming to America, uh, Trading Places... The stupids, the stupids, <laughs> of course. Um, Beverly Hills Cop three. No, <laughs> no, no. That's that's one of the first. I think I talked about. It. That's one of the first movies I ever saw. Where I was like, "Hey, this is not good." 
Like this, I can't watch this. Like it's There's so a George bad. Lucas cameo. What was that? There's a George Lucas cameo. Yes, yes, there is. <laughs> He's like, yes. hey. You know uh, what? You... I'm kind of surprised George Lucas wasn't one of the council members. That would have been, but this might have been like peak George Lucas being like, fucking Titanic's making more money than me. Like, yeah. he might have been jealous of the Matrix. Oh, maybe. You know? Goddamn, I would totally, if I was doing a Star Wars movie right now, I would totally be like, we need a council member. Fucking bring George in. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, immediate nerd respect. You know? Yeah. Like, I would, or who was, what was his guy in, he's in uh, Revenge of the Sith. Oh, it's like a walk-on cameo. It's yeah, like, but he's like a blue guy. What's his name? I, I um, don't know. <laughs> I gotta look it up now. Sorry. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't um, know names like Sleaze Bagno and Size <laughs> Noodles. I used to know this stuff. Uh, Baron Papanoidian. Wow. There you go. <laughs> what a title. What a t- Bring him back. Yeah. Fuck it. Fuck it. Got the, oh, it's the Baron. <laughs> no like what <laughs> he, he, he should have been the baron from dune oh shit <laughs> that might have actually worked in a weird way uh this is my dune my dune. kill them all my arrakis <laughs> <laughs> i will not hand over arrakis to the white slavers of the world oh, that's a Everybody great interview <laughs> yeah Somehow a, I don't think they've scrubbed it from the internet yet. What a guy. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It's fucking crazier, too. I think that was like an interview on ABC, which yeah, is owned it was by like Disney. 60 Minutes or some shit. <laughs> oh, it was 60. Okay, 60 Minutes is CBS, though. That's different. Oh, okay. okay. It was some, like, That's big news thing, though. Like, you're right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, it was, like, it was aired on national television. And that was, like, before anything was even out, That too. was before Force Awakens came out, yeah. Yeah, it'd be one thing if he was saying it, like, right now. Like, right now he could go on TV and say it, and people would be like, yeah! <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But, uh, what a guy. Yeah. Uh, I would be interested was... in his take on The Matrix, honestly. I-, I would be, too, yeah. But who knows, he might not be into the nerd shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's I, so hard to get a read on fucking George Lucas. No, it is. But you know what? This actually brings me back to, like, another interesting point I wanted to make is that, like, like the, the Wachowski sisters, like, I I bet they're not also tied specifically to nerds. I, I bet they're fans of stuff. Like, if you pitched a movie by showing someone Ghost in the Shell and being like, I want to do that in real life, you're, you're kind of a fucking nerd. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I bet they have other interests outside of that. And, like, George Lucas, as a, as a dude who got, um, you know, started up in New Hollywood... Uh, you, those people had other interests besides like movies. They they were interested yeah. in like other art forms and stuff like that too. You know, like it wasn't just like nerd shit. Like I've had conversations with people about like, oh yeah, they like. I I think it's hilarious that all these like huge actors are in the Venom movies for some reason. I I think it's the funniest fucking thing in the world. And then I've had people say like, you know, maybe they just like Venom. It's like no, they just like money. <laughs> but also like. <laughs> They also just like working with Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy mm-hmm. is a very interesting actor, you know? Like, I'd want to work with him, and I'm probably a terrible actor. But if someone told me, hey, you want to get cast in this movie and do a scene with Tom Hardy? I'd be like, fuck yeah, dude. Is he going to eat another lobster? <laughs> All right, here's a question for you, Diego. No. 
uh, let's say you're making like a big franchise film or something, or maybe it's your own franchise of some sort, right? Mm-hmm. It's the new hotness, and you get to pick your council. There's like a council scene, and you get to stack your council with anyone you want. <laughs> Who are you picking? George Lucas. George Lucas. Yeah, but like, give me like three. Uh, I'm bringing back Dr. Cornell West. All right. Are you just going to pick people we've already discussed? <laughs> Probably, yeah. But you know what? Here, for the third one, I'll, I'll go a little different. Monica Bellucci. <laughs> All right. There you go. Mm-hmm. I think I would put the Wachowski. I would try to get the Wachowskis on the council, though. You know, I guess I just... I didn't they, consider them because they, they're like they would they're so almost private. certainly say no, but yeah. it would be a fun get if you could. Oh, totally, totally. But they're just you know they they don't even do like a lot of interviews. They put fucking Terry Gilliam in uh, Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> yes, they did. So maybe they're like fans of like the cameo game. Yeah, know? yeah. Like they, you know they, they maybe yeah. Have they ever cameoed in their stuff? I can't I think. I of. don't think so. Um. Let me check real quick. If if they did, I think it would have been in this era. Yeah, yeah. Um. You know, especially like, because as I noted, they did the like the reading of like like Stanley Kubrick's and stuff like that. And oh yeah, yeah. Like if they probably read a little bit about Hitchcock. But um, I don't know. I feel like we could kind of just focus on like the back half I put of this M. now. Knight on my council as well. Oh, <laughs> that's like, pretty good. Like, you're getting a fucking monologue, man. That's pretty <laughs> like, good. You're fucking going in on it. All right, and let's... then Elon Musk. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, you know who should do the Elon Musk biopic? Um. I was going to make a joke, but then I realized it might be a crime to make the joke. So. <laughs> Were you going to say Abraham's a brooder? <laughs> hey, I like the way you think, Diego. <laughs> um, anyways, <laughs> let's talk about how... This, we're, we're kind of struggling to talk about this movie, even though it's really great. Wait, you didn't answer my question. What? You, well, who's going to do the Elon Musk thing? Was yeah, you answered the question. Oh, your joke was Abraham Sabruder? Yeah. Oh, we were both going to make the same fucking joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, well then. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so we don't go to prison. God Let's... damn, if that ever did happen, not that it should... Like, there would be conspiracies for fucking ever. I know, and they'd just be stupid. You don't understand, Elon Musk was about to save the world. Like, you know, just how JFK was definitely going to end the fucking Vietnam War. Eh. You bunch of dopes. Anyways, let's just talk about the ending of the movie. <laughs> um, what? Yeah, let me look at my notes again, because I wrote a lot. And some of it, like, we've already kind of touched on enough. Some of it... Yeah, I feel like we touched a lot of, of it on uh, Reloaded, which is why, like, I'm definitely uploading these uh, together on the SoundCloud and, and audio mm. versions of this. I just wrote guns at one point. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I also uh, do like the mech stuff, like, not not oh, no, just, the like, the big rule. battle stuff, but, the, like... The mechs are real... Like, the battle action is so good. Like I said, I think, in the Reloaded episode that I wish the Wachowskis had kind of gotten another swing at, like, a battle scene, you mm-hmm. know? 
Yeah. Like, they're really good at it. Um, especially in an age where it's, like, they're sandwiched between Two Towers and Return of the King, which is some of, like, the best, like, battle animation ever. Yeah. So, animation, what the fuck? Um, no, I mean, to, to, to be fair, there's a lot of animation, like, in yeah. the battles sequence stuff. There's so. a lot of, again, there's a lot more models in it than you would think. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, watching yeah. Watching behind-the-scenes stuff, I was kind of impressed. Um, and there's a nice balance of it, too. I will no. say, like, with it's talking about the love story between uh, Neo and Trinity, which, like, is a thing I think people are still vocal about having problems with to this day. Because they're cowards? Um, yeah, I mean, it, they're, they're kind of a, like, idealized romance, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they're just in love for, like, two full movies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I get why maybe certain audiences have difficulty penetrating it. Like, there's a, a lack of... I don't know if relatability is the word, but, like, some people just, they, they kind of can't roll with it. It's like a fairy tale romance, you know? Yeah. And I, like, and that, that'll that trip people up to this day. I mean, I, it appears in a lot of, like, a lot of directors try to do the fairy tale romance thing. And I would say, like, I've seen it done successfully and people still respond negatively to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Of just, like, well, this isn't, like, the, the, you don't really believe they're in love. And it's like, well, the movie says they're in love, so let's just roll with it for a second. <laughs> Um, and also they at least get the scenes devoted to like them expressing the love and you understand like the connection also like high romance like visuals i mean like you know he's in the limbo train station but they also take that opportunity to do like the classic like train reuniting like of the couple scene you know yeah which is straight out of like every fucking crappy romance movie ever made (laughs) like (laughs) So, uh, but there is, like, I get some people kind of want, I think that the, the thing that, like, the Marvel movies have fucked up is, like, they just write every dynamic as, like, the Han Solo Princess Leia dynamic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, there's other ways to write characters. Um, but the Han Solo thing does work, you know? Like, I think it has its place. And I don't know. It feels like we're going to get, like, a weird, like, backlash to writing any characters like that. <laughs> And it's like, no, you, can, you should kind of have the one character that maybe feels that way. Mm-hmm. Um, which there's zero characters in these sequels that fill that, you know, spot. Um, yeah, yeah. And I get why, like, that could maybe make it a little difficult for general audiences to mm-hmm. invest in it. Um, and, you know, we've again, also so had, like, the, the backlash anytime I to think the about, Anytime I think about that, though, it's just like, I just think of the fucking horrible scene in uh, Age of Ultron. <laughs> where Hawkeye's like, I got I got a bow and arrow, we're on a floating city fighting robots, this doesn't make sense. It's like, goddamn fucking Joss Whedon, report to the Hague. Like, <laughs> I, I like that scene. I know you do, I know you do, Diego. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. You better not have edited out that trap I laid for you in that one episode. <laughs> <laughs> Where I got you to say that Joss Whedon's actually fine and cool. <laughs> nope, nope, that did not happen. <laughs> yes, it did. No, uh-huh. no, no, no. Gringo wins again. <laughs> no. And I was saying, anyways, that there's already been such a backlash, like romance and films. We've talked about that before too, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I miss people like caring about each other openly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a nice feeling to have that people like spending time together. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, like, 
big movies are so allergic to that now. Which people only know how to get people together in movies, and they don't know what to do with them. Yeah, I mean, that's you know? a problem in, like, romance just in general, on, on like, film and television. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I love New Girl. Boy, does that show hit some rough spots when the couples <laughs> get together. And then they're like, oh, shit, we're, like, on season three? Well, we want to keep going for more seasons. We don't know what else to do with them. So let's, <laughs> let's break them up. We'll, we'll bring them back again at the end. And, like, thankfully, I think that ends up working. But it's like, that's not how you write a show. <laughs> you know? It's not... You can't live like that. <laughs> um... Like, a man, like here you go. Take that to its logical extreme. Imagine someone in real life getting together with someone they deeply care about. They're both very happy together. And they're like... Hey, we're only like 25. You want to spend your whole life together? (laughs) That would be weird, right? (laughs) They would break up after that conversation, and that would be strange. So, I don't know. Movies in real life don't always have to correlate, but just think about it like that, and stuff starts getting really weird, is all I'm saying. Yes. Also, Neo goes blind, and that's still a pretty rough visual, frankly. Uh, yeah, Smith blinds him. And literally calls him a blind messiah, I believe. Yeah. I wonder if an upcoming franchise is going to do a similar thing at some point. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but then only when he is blind can he truly see. Correct? Yes. Yes. I, I know exactly what you're referring to. And then he kills the guy. No. I mean, yeah, he <laughs> does. he does kill Smith. But uh, also, that's kind of a cool revelation that, you know, because Neo has been able to connect to the Matrix even without being plugged in, it's like, oh, he sees the world differently now. Mm-hmm. And, like, at first, Reloaded makes you think, like, oh, it's going to be, like, something he's going to have to overcome. And this film kind of reveals, like, no, he's just seeing the the world as it could be, in a it's way. It's almost tripping him up at first until he's blind, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He can't really handle it. It takes him kind of... Uh, giving up one of his senses to fully see it. Yeah, and, like, I'm so fascinated by this franchise's, like, relationship with, like, faith and religion, mm-hmm. where it's, like, it, it takes these ideas and and really breaks them down to, like, their purest essence in a way, where it's, mm-hmm. like, yeah, these ideas can be, like, manipulated by, like, people in power, but, like, the idea of having faith in oneself or, like, mm-hmm. the people around them, that's, like, a... That, that's how, like, humanity's kind of persevered after all I this mean, time. Not just religion. You could almost see this as a treatise on, like, filmmaking itself, you know? Well, filmmaking like, is, in a way, a religion, I would well, argue. No, but what I'm saying is... No, like, no, I know, I know. That, like, film has this power, it, like, is the ability to be this really powerful art form, and it's, but it's often in the hands of, like, just powerful corporations. Mm-hmm. And it just it's used to just kind of sell more slop to people, right? Mm-hmm. And just keep the content machine generating so the numbers go up on the thing we fake and that we fake agree on. Like <laughs> it's all bullshit, right? But it's like when a movie works, it can like help you see through like another person's eyes, almost, you know? Yeah, and then and even Neo uh, says like, "I wish you could see what I see." Yeah, and it it you can maybe feel the Wachowski's kind of like. Not just, like, trying to deconstruct culture, but just, like, expressing their frustrations with the film industry itself. Which I've heard uh, Resurrections is doing a little bit of that. Um, so, which I'm kind of excited to see, especially considering the landscape of film right now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then and then you got something like Speed Racer, which is entirely about filmmaking. Yeah. So, too bad Speed Racer bombed. I know, but it does not bomb Americans. in our hearts. Oh yeah, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we should talk about the finale now. Uh, Unless you have anything else, I'm really trying not to skip over anything. But I feel like, again, with Reloaded, we kind of hit all the points we needed to. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I think I think we've uh, done a good job doing a bad job at this <laughs> yeah professionally unprofessional yeah uh so everyone in, in zion they do the mp they're able to to make a last stand but it looks like ah oh, fuck it's end of the rope for humanity basically and uh, neo and trinity head to the machine city to make uh a, a basically a last plea for a truce with the machines because Neo can stop Agent Smith because he believes it. But when they get there, Trinity dies. Um, This really bummed me out when I saw it for the first time and yeah, not in a positive kid. way. Yeah, it was a real bummer of a moment. I remember being a kid in the theater being like, why was like saving her in the last movie such a big deal if she's just going to die in this one? And of course she gives a whole speech about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I may, 10-year-old me was not uh, maybe listening because they were very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a ballsy move. Here's something. I didn't like this until my last viewing this weekend. <laughs> I now think it's one of the most tragic and beautiful moments in the entire series. Mm-hmm. We're like, you know, you, I mean, you, you just explained it. It's like, yeah, why even bother saving her? It's like, well, because people's lives and relationships are, are worth more than just like a checklist, you know? Mm-hmm. It And yeah, rightfully, she uh, they let her give a speech about like how their time together is so beautiful. And like, it's, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just a really. No, it's, it's great. Yeah, stuff. It's, a, it's a great She's moment. Like, when I was, she was like, when I was dying, I, the only thing I wish was that I would get one more chance to just tell you how I really feel, you know? Mm-hmm. And like she, and she like gives all speeches like just the one thing that was really important, and it's the thing of like, yeah, when you're dying, you're not gonna fucking regret that like you didn't, you know, climb Everest or some bullshit or mm-hmm. like made more money. You're gonna be like, I wish I had told the people that I loved that I really loved them, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what and Neo gave her that, you know. And it's kind of like, it's a really, like, humanist moment. <laughs> like, it's, it's, like, yeah. like And you kind of, through death, you kind of have to figure out, like, what is important in life, you know? That's a, that's a very uh, broad statement, but... <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it goes on a long time, too. It's a long death scene. Mm-hmm. And I think it just makes people uncomfortable, you know? Um, cause it's so nakedly emotional for like a blockbuster action movie too. Yeah. Um, and it's also like, I mean, think of like the other movies where, you know, Trinity doesn't really sit there and go like, all right, now go fucking kill the machines or some shit. <laughs> like, which a lot of other movies would end with that scene, you know, like if a character's going to die, mm-hmm. it's like my, my dying wish is that you just fucking punch that one guy. <laughs> like... <laughs> I think of fucking Tony Stark's death. Like, does he even say he loves Pepper Potts? No, he he just kind of sits there and 
there's some Tommy Wiseau level blocking as his friends and allies kind of say one last word to him. It's all your, it looks like he's like, I'm in so much pain. I know. He's like, please this. let me die. <laughs> Stop <laughs> talking to me. Yeah. And <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, I need like the polar opposite of these fucking movies. Like it, it is. Man, like if Bio like, got there and was like, "Hey, machines, plug me in," and they plugged him in, and then he just killed every machine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I died, but I took y'all with me, you sons of bitches. Because that's what being a hero is really about. Yeah. Just violence. I told you how I thought that movie should have ended, right? Uh, like if you're gonna change one thing about it, like I know, like you're, you're like the whole movie's bad, but if you yeah. change one fucking thing, uh, Tony does the destroy all weapons, right? Yeah, like okay. that would have worked a lot better. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but Thanos just has to sit there like a dope. A Thanos <laughs> that they don't have a relationship with, by the way. So I don't it's even like know who you are. Yeah. Yeah, but the audience does. That's all that matters. I know. Right? That's fucking anti-cinema-ass movies. <laughs> so here's the thing. And I went deep on, on this on um, the, the Venom Christmas episode I did with uh, my buddy Brandon and Gene. And here, here's the thing about, about these fucking movies. Now I got to go on this before I, I, I pour my heart out about why The Matrix Revolutions is a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It's not that superhero movies are anti-cinema. It's that the way they make those movies is anti-cinema. Mm-hmm. And I've come to the realization that I even enjoy most of them as much as I shit on them now. But, like, you you can't just expect to make a, a movie out of a product. Yeah. And because those movies are designed to be products that excite you for the next one. That's all they are. And occasionally you'll get a talented enough filmmaker to really bring some life into it and that's fine but well, they're, they're not designed it, to be movies they're designed to be consumed so it would be one thing if like the marvel was just off in its corner of pop culture like doing its own thing right yeah like but it's the dominant thing right now and like that's where the problem is mm-hmm. and who knows how much longer it's sustainable you know yeah um and but who knows like i don't even know what movies are going to be five years from now it, everything's so up in the air, um, so I'm just I'm, a, I'm placing no bets and just kind of trying to enjoy what I enjoy in it, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, like, and again, like, I don't begrudge people for finding enjoyment in them. I think some people are using it as an excuse to like genuinely bully other people and like whatever. Like, it's the most popular thing on the planet. Take the hit. Mm-hmm. You're an adult, probably. I don't know. Some people listen to this are younger. I found, but. That's, That's not the point. Kids go away. I know. <laughs> if, if you're under the age of 21, and you're listening to this. You still have a chance. You still have a chance. How old's Dan <laughs> Just Doherty? In life. Was like early 20s, like fucking. Dan Doherty was like 20. Like Dan Doherty was tw- tweeting back in the day, like, "Man, I just feel so old now." And then I found out he was like 20, and I was like, "Dude." <laughs> <laughs> Like now is the time, motherfucker! Like <laughs> the point. All, all of this to say, there's a lot of problems in the world. If if you can find something that makes you a, a little happier, I, I don't begrudge you. But be be uh, like open to acknowledging 
the, the systemic problems at hand, I guess. And and maybe uh, try to highlight some stuff that isn't part of the system. Just don't be a damn fool about it. Yeah. You know, because, you know, the world is kind of like... There's, there's a lot of weight going around right now. Like, emotional traumas. And we, we all recognize that things aren't working. And it can, it can kind of have a bearing down on you. Especially after something like this year. You know, and like, and like the to, year before that, and the year before and that, the year before that, yeah, and but the to, year to before be, that. To be the most emotionally honest I'll ever be on this podcast, like, look, I, I lost both my grandpa and my father this year. Mm-hmm. It's a, a lot of emotions going around, and um, even though I thought I had fully processed it, that's not how these things work. It's going to be with me like my whole life, right? Mm-hmm. And something about watching the final fight in Matrix Revolutions. Um, which is nothing like my life, by the way. <laughs> uh, but the the fight, the showdown with Agent Smith uh, having overwhelmed the Matrix and, and Neo, where he's kind of just like a beatdown at a certain point. And Neo standing up out of the rain and the mud, and Smith is just monologuing at him, because no one monologues like Hugo Weaving, holy fuck. Mm. And he's just telling him, like, 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 what are you even, like, fighting for? Do you know? Is it, like, love? Is it, like, whatever? Like, only a human mind could think of something as insipid as love. And then Neo, like, he, he just says one line, and he just says, because I choose to. And it just broke me like a dam. And I was, like, crying through the last 15 minutes of the movie. And I did not expect that coming out of Matrix Reloaded being like, yeah, it's good, but I, you know, I don't feel anything as he saved Trinity. Like, it's a very sweet moment, and I like these characters. And I like the relationship, but I didn't feel much like emotionally rewatching that movie other than like, oh, yeah, this is badass, <laughs> you know? And here I'm like, oh, fuck. It just like opened up this well of emotions that I guess I've been carrying around for a while. And it just it, I, I don't remember the last time I felt so like emotionally fulfilled from a movie experience. And I saw this on a couch <laughs> like like 12 feet away from a, a big TV screen. And all that to say, yeah, this is a masterpiece. And if you don't like Matrix Revolutions, don't tell me. That's all very important, Diego. But why did Neo simply not let Smith get him like the moment he came into the Matrix? <laughs> <laughs> why didn't Zion just build the dock out of EMPs? <laughs> you ever think about that, idiot? <laughs> cinema fail yeah if you're watching movies like that (laughs) and you're like over the age of 18 i want you to know that you're a loser i'm sorry i did that i was so dumb no 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 i mean you're bringing up like a like a real subset of people that watch movies that way Mm -hmm. you know and i mean even the russo brothers went when they went on like honest trailers before they were like the biggest producers in hollywood for some reason um, they mentioned that they they watched honest trailers to honest trailer proof their movies as they were mm-hmm. going forward. That's that's not art. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's not a way to create something. Yeah, getting back script notes is not the same thing as we have to make sure we please these people. Yeah, is honest trailers even relevant anymore? 
Not really. It feels um, like in the last, like maybe it's just because there's been no movies really, but. Yeah, mind uh, you, this was, I, I should say, this was after they were uh, promoting yeah, like, the Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah, that was like after Winter Soldier, like around Civil War times. Um, no, no, no this I, I mean, before Marvel Civil War. Civil War times, not the American Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a different. Honest um, trailer proof of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Really? So what, Abe Lincoln, uh, is, Abe Lincoln is going to free have all the slaves the in the South, even though he doesn't control the South? Sin. Ding. Um, sorry. Cinema Sensing, the presidents of the United States ranked. Yeah. Oh, he's saying he simply wants to stop its expansion. Ding. Like, such bullish bullshit. Oh, we're gonna have a second of Battle of Bull Run? How redundant. Ding. (laughs) (laughs) Appomattox Courthouse. Ding. (laughs) Anyways, what did you think about the ending to Matrix Revolutions? Because there's there's another big thing we have to talk about after that fight. Um, I I gotta say first we gotta talk about Big Baby Face he meets in the Machine City. Oh, um, um, do you know Deus the name Ex of that character? Yep, yep. <laughs> Which is like the greatest. Voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson. Yeah, they got an actual voice actor for once. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you should do that more often because he does a good job. Yeah, he's great. If you've seen any cartoon in the last 20 years, you've heard of Kevin Michael Richardson. Yeah. Does Does a ton of shit. Yeah. Uh, I love all the machine stuff so much. Like, it just looks so fucking cool. Yeah, the machine stuff looks great in, like, a nightmare-type way. Oh, yeah, no, it is terrifying. Like, I I don't want to live there or anything like that. (laughs) You know? I mean, I kind of, like, admire it the same way I do Blade Runner. I'm like, fuck, I love watching this world. It feels like I'm in it, but I also don't actually want to be in it, (laughs) like, at all. (laughs) Although some might argue we are kind of living in a Blade Runner-type world, but whatever. It's not not what we're here to talk about. It's really Blade Runner 1984 out there, am I right, fellas? Never mind. <laughs> More like Woke Side Story. Spielberg made West Side Story too woke. Um, I I really love the the oh you know More I didn't like even talk the about Woke Chowski sisters. <laughs> I didn't talk about it, but the moment that Trinity and Neo get to see the sky... Oh, Trinity. Oh, yeah, the sky. Yeah, she gets to see the sky for the first... The only time. And they're like... It did remind me, I gotta say, right there where you fucked up and said Neo also saw it. Yeah, I was like, whoops. <laughs> you did remind me of the one joke I wrote down from this movie. No. <laughs> Which, when, after he gets blinded and Trinity comes to help him, Neo goes, I think you'll need to drive. <laughs> Which it's like, wow, that's the one joke you put in? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty dark. See, I was going to say Daredevil origin story. Oh, no. <laughs> that is how Matt Murdock sees stuff, so. Hey. Oh, God, is this the year of Daredevil? Like I think the, it came the, out the year after. But the Affleck one? It might. Let me check. Let me check real quick. Yep, 2003. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, February. Because Daredevil is one of those movies where, I, because of uh, Cheaper by the Dozen, I saw Daredevil in theaters, liked it, and then the moment I watched it at home after having seen 
cheaper by the dozen in theaters. I suddenly realized Daredevil was a bad movie. <laughs> Aww. Remember Daredevil? I do. Remember Electra? Oh, boy, do I. Because of the music. Wake me up. Hell <laughs> oh, yeah, Evanescence? That was huge in middle school Diego's life. God, I just think about, like, being in middle school, just riding the bus home, and, like, it's just Evanescence playing. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Well, because when you're a kid, everything is, like, the most important thing in your life. Everything no, is the like, most dramatic thing that's ever happened to you. Yeah, but, like, I'm not listening to it. Like, I'm just on the bus riding home, oh. you know? Like, but you know, like, you know, like the bus ride where it's like, all right, all your friends are off. So like, you're just looking out the window and I'm just sitting there looking out the window and it's like, wake me up. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what is that doing to my brain? (laughs) It's waking it up. No, it did not. (laughs) Because then I forgot about that song until that guy did the fucking goofy cover of it. (laughs) Oh my God. I forgot about that. Or, you know, I remember that Vine where it's like, you saved my life. It's what I do. What's your name? My name is Evan. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. the best. Evan. Essence. <laughs> Wake me up. Did you notice uh, one thing, a byproduct of the uh, fucking 2016 election, is that, like, I remember nothing from culture from the year 2016. Oh, it was just overwhelmed? <laughs> like, it's just, like, it all got erased. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Fight with Smith is cool. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, I kind of skimmed over to talk about my emotional breakdown with that. Yeah. But the, the fight is, is incredibly well choreographed. It's very, like, evocative. The images are, like, constantly some of the most striking it's shit the you've best, ever seen. Like, not to be obvious, but it's the best super Superman fight ever put to screen. Yeah, like, I would argue it, that as well. It, it's and it made me go like, why the fuck do we even bother talking about Man of Steel? <laughs> like honestly, it really did make me think that it's so good. It's such a good fight. Yeah, I, I love the the effect of like the shock waves in the rain because it creates like yeah. these bubbles of atmosphere. Like that's such a cool visual. And like, yeah, they do it like a dozen times. But if you have a visual of that's cool, yeah, you fucking do it a dozen times. Yeah. I think it was just a thing of, like, audiences were so, like, baffled as to, like, what the fuck happened at the end of that fight, like. Oh, well, Neo allows himself to be taken over to, uh, for the machines to be able to stop Smith. It's, it's synchronicity. Baptism of fire. Yeah. There's a little cross on Neo as he is crucified to purify the world of its sins. Um, I do. There is a fantastic moment that I don't understand why it's not talked about more. Where after uh, Smith takes over Neo, and he's like, "Have a second where he's like, did did I win?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, also work? when he realizes like something's wrong when he can't dead name him, mm. where he calls oh, him, yeah, he calls him Neo, and he's like, "Wait." Like, he's freaking out before he, he takes over Neo, because he called him Neo and not Mr. Anderson. Yeah. And he's just like, Did you, are you doing this? Like, what the fuck? Like, he just can't comprehend, like, why he called him that. Now, Hugh and, Weaving's so fucking good in these movies. Yeah, he's, he's fucking unbelievable. Yeah. 
And let me remind everyone that I still don't understand how he's even in these sequels. Still, <laughs> um, I something I, I from guess Neo he... got imprinted onto him. Yeah, but <laughs> what, what does that mean? Neo gave him the gift of choice. <laughs> but how is he here? Because he chose to disobey. What? He chose to stay. He chose to disobey. Uh, I don't understand. It's his whole speech in the second one. Yeah, but like, I don't understand how that correlates to his existence after he was like destroyed. In Matrix 1? Yeah. Well, because something like, because he, all right, fucking... I don't think this is that hard to get. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being honest here. I, I don't um, fully understand. So, like, he gets destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, at the end of the day, Agent Smith is still a program, right? So, like, his code, like, when he explodes, you literally see his, like, code go everywhere, right? Yeah. Also, when Neo kills uh, Smith in the real world, Neo sees, like, his soul explode, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, um, also, it, that's the man's face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, what was I going to say? Um, uh, so like his, his code explodes. He's still like, is it's in the matrix, his code. And there's a part in, uh, matrix reloaded where the Oracle talks about like how if a program breaks down, it gets replaced. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that. And then when something breaks down, it returns to the source, but it can, it like, sometimes they choose not to. Right. Right. Sometimes the program's like, actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay and I'll choose exile. And Smith was given that gift of choice by Neo. Like, uh, an agent program when it broke down would probably, because it's like kind of like the perfect like authoritarian program, would have just returned to the source. And you know, it, this kind of mission in the first one is to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he doesn't want to exist. <laughs> but getting copied over, he he chose. He suddenly realized, hey, I can make a choice here. But even then, he's like, but I'm still stuck in the fucking Matrix. <laughs> and that's where he kind of has his, like, existential crisis of, like, I'm kind of free, but I'm also not free. And, like, he can't come to terms with it, so he chooses, like, nihilism. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I guess... <laughs> I, it, I guess it was just code being rewritten. I, I, I guess that makes sense i also don't mind it not making sense to me because like i'm so into like the themes yeah of these you know like, like don't it... worry there's plenty of other things that don't really make sense when you think about it but... oh yeah totally totally uh however this is a perfect film so who cares yeah it's good yeah anyways what do you think about the matrix also being rebooted and the the truce between humans and machines a uh, new sky in the Matrix. Yeah, an important touch. Now, if you also not to get too into Matrix Resurrections hype, which came out the day of recording this, <laughs> by mm. the way, um, the the sky in the very first trailer, the very first image you see is like reminiscent of the sky in in Matrix uh, Revolutions. Mm-hmm. I guess the the little girl could do that because uh, the the Oracle says like if she did it for Neo and. Yeah, she says, yeah, she did. And she's a new sky. She's a new program. Mm-hmm. She didn't have a purpose initially, and then she just made the sky different. So, good for her. Yeah. It's like Wait there's all minute. these ideas about, like, free will and control and these things and how 
the architect makes another appearance, and he's like, yeah, like anyone who wants plot, to leave. I, right. I huh? almost spoiled Matrix Resurrections um, for myself, because uh, I was trying to look up the cast list again, but the whole plot is already on Wikipedia. Wow, you people move fast. Yeah. Um, but um, the architect returns and says, anyone who wants to leave the Matrix can leave. And it that, that's a little tidy for me, but I think you kind of have to... I think it's it's honestly kind of a fine like middle ground for now, you know. Mm-hmm. And there is something you know. Also, but he he says to her the other important thing he says he's like you were playing a dangerous game, which he says to the Oracle. Mm-hmm. And it's like implied the Oracle kind of set up like the whole romance between Neo and Trinity because that that's really what did it, you know. Yeah. That led to this whole new world. That she was like she was working for a piece, even if the architect wasn't really working for that. <laughs> Um, that she kind of is the one that, you know, started the dominoes rolling in the direction. And then he's like, do you think this is going to last? And they're like, probably not, <laughs> but it'll be good for now. Which I think is a fine thing to say in a movie. Yeah, you know, I mean, because The Matrix is more than just about, like, the hero's journey. I mean, so often in stories, it's like, all right, and they live happily ever after, right? And that mm-hmm. that's totally fine to a certain extent in some stories. The Matrix is not that story, so it's like, yeah, you know, like it's, it'll be good for a while, for as long as it can, mm. and that's probably the most optimistic note you could leave this trilogy on. <laughs> and um, so also, uh, Sadi says, like, did you always know? And the Oracle's like, no, no, I didn't, but I believed. I believed. Then movie ends. Well, also, um, Seraph, I mean, uh. No, Sati asks if um, they think they'll see Neo again. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot that line. Yeah, and again, they just believe. Yeah. It's very, fucking idiots. very sweet. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> and hey, to be fair, didn't look like we'd see Neo again. Not that we needed to. You know, I mean, I, I think more than well, ever, here's the weird thing. I'm really happy with this as a, as a finale. This would probably be a discussion better suited for the next episode, but, like, fuck it, let's just have it here. I'm pretty sure there were, there were talks of Matrix 4 from, like, the beginning of, like, from, like, almost immediately after Matrix Revolutions. And it was something that, like, you kind of heard the Wachowskis were always, like, tinkering with the idea of doing another one. Do you remember this? Not really, honestly. I remember there being a lot of talk about a sequel for a long time. And it was, like, one where, like, the Wachowskis, like, almost did it at a certain point, and then they got canceled. And then uh, there was the, like, that Zach Penn script in, like, 2017 that almost got made. And then the Wachowskis came back. Well, Lana came back. Yeah. And here's here's something. Even Joel Silver wasn't, like, involved. And remember, he was the big producer on these. Mm. So, like, they, they were... Someone was gunning to do, like... The Force Awakens with the Matrix at some point, without the Wachowskis in. I believe I I don't know how like verified this is, but I believe they wanted Keanu back for that, and he was like, "I'm I'm not doing it without Lana and Lily, or mm-hmm. Lana or Lily." Mm-hmm. So, gotta respect that guy. It says on the Wikipedia that, like, while they were making the Matrix sequels, the Wachowskis told their close collaborators that at the time they had no intentions of making another installment. 
Instead, they gave their blessing to the notion of gamers inheriting the storyline, which is where like a lot of Matrix Online time comes from. Oh, there's stuff to talk about, but I feel like we actually yeah. have to hold off on that. Yeah, yeah, until no, we're the gonna next one. we're gonna save the Matrix Online. There's a later. big thing to talk about with that specifically. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if that plays into anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, Michael B. Jordan was in talks to star in the unproduced Zach Penn uh, Matrix. I forgot that. Yeah, and I I like Michael B. Jordan. He's great. Um, yeah. I got no problems he, with him. He feels like he would fit right in with a Matrix film, honestly. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, but, yeah. I hope that, at the end of the day, I hope Matrix Resurrections is a movie that, like, is so fucking baffling. You can't make a sequel to it without one of the Wachowskis. Oh, that would rock. That's kind of the goal. I I want to start going into that, but I feel like I should just save it up for yeah yeah for the next one. I, I feel like we got about five hours of podcasted done. Yes, it's pretty good. It's five hours of us just like talking around points and making very bad observations about these two movies. Yeah. Go so. go check out Dr. Cornell West's writing on the Matrix. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, listen to literally anyone else. Probably. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, mo- most people. If uh maybe if they're wearing a red hat, don't don't pay so much attention though. That's all. Anyways, Matrix Revolutions. It's the best one, right, Matt? Um, I probably like the first one more, but Revolutions is probably, like, it's second now where, like, I used to probably put it as the third one. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I'm honestly still with you. I, sorry. The, the first one's just so good. Yeah. I will also, say I'm definitely on board with Speed Racer being the Wachowski's masterpiece now. Yeah, yeah. Um, These get close. Though. I will say, though, um, like, I no matter how I slice it, I kind of can't separate Revolutions and Reloaded, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that they're just forever kind of stuck together. <laughs> I respect that. So, any any rating I give those movies, it's I'm kind of giving both of them um, that score. So, what are you going to do? Yep. Yep. Well, Matt, thank you for joining me on these Matrix sequels. We did it. It's the longest we've ever gone. You might have just heard my cat uh, rub into my microphone. So, oh, okay. that's fine. That's that's now on the thing. Yeah. What is? <laughs> what does your cat think of of uh, the Matrix? What'd you think, Ellie? Whoa, deja vu. <laughs> A cat just walked by. Oh, the no. same cat walked by. Oh no, they've changed the Matrix. Quick, Diego, tell them where we where they can find us. I'm at emperorotn1 <laughs> at twitter.com. You can find me at the Diego Crespo on Twitter. Check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon, where you can probably get some other stuff. I, I still got some writing. I still have takes. I still have Spider-Man bullshit. I need to exercise from my interests in life. Yeah, if this if this show sold you, I wanted to hear more of what one of us has to say. <laughs> Join the Patreon. Yeah. And also, it... we've done some commentaries that I think are still just on the Patreon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Including The Rise of Skywalker. Happy two-year anniversary. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Two-year anniversary to Palpatine coming back. Palpatine's back. Thanks for listening. Thanks for like watching. There's some, there's some idiot is like, I will do another Star Wars, but only if J.J. Abrams does it.
We've been professionally unprofessional. Matrix has you. You've never believed in the one. I still don't. I believe in him. The dock is breached! Here they come. Neo is doing what he believes he must do. If you tell me we'll make it, I'll believe you. We'll make it. We have to. I don't know what he can do to save us, but I do know that as long as there is a single breath in his body, he will not give up, and neither can we. Everything that has a beginning has an end.